I know just came from Colombia. She smiled because I did not understand. Then she held out some marijuana. She said it was the best in all the land. And I said, no, 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 I don't smoke it no more. I'm tired of waking up on the floor. No, thank you, please, it only makes me sneeze. Then it makes it hard to find the door. From Mallorca, Spain She smiled because I did not understand Then she held out a ten-pound bag of cocaine She said it was the finest in the land And I said, no, 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 I don't No more I'm tired of waking up on the floor No, thank you, please It only makes me sneeze Then it makes it hard to find the door He smiled because I did not understand Then he held out some moonshine whiskey oh -ho. He said it was the best in all the land And I said, no, 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 I don't drink it no more I'm tired of waking up on the floor No, thank you, please, it only makes me sneeze And then it makes it hard to find a door That's Ringo Starr, the No-No song. Not the Beatles, just Ringo Starr. And uh, I guess it can be considered an anti-drug song in some ways. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dan Druff with Tellus. Usually we have Calwatt on here for at least the first half of the show, but uh, due to the after 9 p.m. Pacific time start tonight, I've not been able to reach him. So, looks like he probably fell asleep. Uh, Trader Ruski is signed up to come onto the show tonight, so we'll have him and uh, maybe Brandon a bit later as well. So uh, I want to quickly announce the free roll, which already started 10 minutes ago, but you can get in there with a full stack, and it's not even the free roll I posted. It's actually better. It's a lot better. Because uh, Eric Benzamokin came through and uh, gave a lot of money. So it's going to be a $150 free roll with a $100 bounty. And I'll explain this uh, shortly. You may remember from the previous week's show that Eric Benzamokin, uh, yeah, I played his ad because he has been donating to the free roll so often and so much recently. So even though he's not officially a show sponsor anymore, he's been donating to the free roll so much. I said, well, I've got to play his ad anyway. So I played his ad, which admittedly I've played a lot, you know, like once a show for a few months now. So some people have gotten a little tired of it. It's a two and a half minute long ad. Uh, it hadn't been heard in like a month, so I, I can't say that anyone 
would have a right to complain. In fact, you know, how often do we run ads on this show? Most shows have no ads. When he was a sponsor, we had one ad. So, you know, deal with it. That's a seven-hour show. We have two minutes of ads. But uh, Trader Ruski groaned. So did Calwatt, but Trader Ruski especially groaned when I was going to play that ad, which I did anyway. I didn't care about the groaning. But uh, Eric heard that, and uh, he texted the following to me. He said, uh, uh, I appreciate running the ad. I do, however, have to punish Trader Ruski for his complaining about you free-rolling my ad. So I'm going to uh, send you some money, $100 to the next free-roll, and $100 bounty on Trader Ruski's whiny ass. That's really what he wrote. So uh, there's going to be a $100 free-roll. Sorry, $150 free-roll, extra 100 I, I was at first going to make it 75 from Handicap Me, who also sent 100 uh, but I'm going to hold a little more of his over. So it's going to be a 50 from Handicap Me, 100 from Eric Benzamokin, and then also from Eric Benzamokin, a $100 bounty on Trader Ruski. Now, he plays, I believe, as a Trader S-H-K-Y, something like that. You'll, you'll know it when you see him. So that's a big bounty. So you know what to do. <laughs> so I've got to readjust the payouts here. And I know there's not much notice here. But you know, that's, if, if you're here playing the free roll, then you get a bonus. So you got a lot more than you thought. So the prize pool is 150 not 75 And also another 100 on the bounty. So it's actually a $250 free roll with 100 being the bounty. So, of course, i got to figure this out on the fly. So $75 will be for first. There will be 40 for second. There will be 20 for, thir- 20 for third. Yeah, that's good. Was it leave 15? I will give 10 for fourth and 5 for fifth. And 100 bounty on Trader Ruski. There you go. I just updated the thread, too. 75, 40, 20, 10, and 5. 75, 40, 20, 10, and 5. So thank you, Eric Benzamokin, for the 200 you sent here. Thank you, Handicap Me, for the 100 you sent, 50 of which is being used tonight. We also have some money from Snow Tracks that will be used in the future. Now, I want to let you guys know that uh, Snow Tracks is ineligible to win the Handicap Me money. So anything that came from Handicap Me this week and next will not be winnable by Snow Tracks. It will... Uh, just uh, proportionately roll over to everybody else who won. Uh, so that, that'll be the way that goes if Snow Tracks happens to cash. Of course, uh, the Eric Benzamokin money will go to Snow Tracks if he wins. So it's only a third of whatever Snow Tracks wins he won't get, and it'll be redistributed to the other winners. And you never know what'll happen on the show. We've had big free rolls the last few weeks, big free rolls. So it started at 9, but you have till 9.25 p.m. to get in the free roll in the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find it near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a separate account to get into the free roll and make sure to know the rules. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. Also, if you have an old account, you need to have it validated by Belly Buster. So you need to PM Belly Buster, that's Belly Space Buster, on the forum to let him know to validate your account to play the free roll if you're a new user to the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can ask me, but uh, I may or may not be able to do it for you. If I know you, I'll do it for you. If I don't really know you, then uh, you'll have to wait for Belly Buster to do it. 
Belly Buster is doing this in order to prevent uh, kind of like last-minute multi-accounting, which is actually a good idea because with these larger free rolls, still still not even that much money. I mean, it's it's nice on a small site where there's not like thousands of people participating. You know, we have like fewer than a hundred people who play these free rolls, so that's a nice free roll because everyone's got a shot at some actual money. But it's it's not like life-changing money for anyone by any means. So it's sad that anyone would think of cheating, but it is true that. For the bigger amounts that maybe people will start creating second accounts that are not intended to win, but they're just going to dump chips. So this will prevent that, where you can't even register for the free roll unless uh, Belly Buster approves you and can tell you're a separate person. Uh, Anyone caught multi-accounting here, or cheating, or chip dumping, or colluding, will be banned from the free roll for life and maybe from the site as well, depending upon the circumstances. So don't do it. It's not worth it. Even if you want to get around the moral implications of it. If you want to explain to yourself why it's morally okay to cheat the free roll, which it is not. These are people who are generously donating their money because they like the show and they like the community surrounding the show. And then you're stealing from them by cheating and from the other people playing. I mean, so that, it's really bad to do in the first place. But aside from that, it's not worth it because you'll get caught and then you won't be able to play anymore. And if anybody's caught, I'm never going to let them back in. And it's not even my decision. It's Belly Buster. And trust me, he, he's a much harder ass about this than I am. So he will never let you back in. And I will never overrule him. So just don't do it. We haven't caught anybody yet. I'm just There were some suspicions in one of the larger free rolls. Where nothing was proven. Uh, and then we started to get a little bit more concerned about this. Uh, I, I think the vast, vast majority of you have never even thought of cheating, and that's good. But you know, there's always a few assholes who have to try to screw it up for everybody else. Anyway, this is uh, eight more minutes of late registration to get in. If you want to call into the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55. 775-372-8355 is the number. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is... A mountain near Las Vegas with snow on it. And it's about 45 minutes away by car. I have an old 70s rotary phone that sits on top of Mount Charleston. Which forwards to me wherever I go. 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. We also have the call to listen line. The call to listen line is not a number to call into the show, but it's a number to listen to the show. Through your phone. Any phone that can dial in the world can use the call to listen line to listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. You don't need a smartphone. You don't need a data plan. You don't need a computer. You don't need the internet. You don't need any of that stuff. You just need any phone that was ever made that can still dial. And you call up 712-775-8162. You don't even need a good cell phone connection. You can have a very weak, lousy, one-bar connection. It will still work, and it will never buffer. Never buffering. 712-775-8162. It's the easiest and simplest way to listen to the show, and it won't even cost you any data. Let's say you're running out of data. You don't want to stream an internet radio show because it's going to hog up a lot of data and run you over. It's not going to happen here. It won't cost you any data. 712-775-8162. It has existed since November 2015. We're approaching a million minutes listened to on the call to listen line. I'm not even exaggerating. 
not quite there yet, but we're, we're approaching it in uh, two and a half years. So I'm uh, proud of that call to listen line. I was laughed at when I talked about making it. I said, hey, anyone have any interest in this? And people said, oh, come on, that's stupid. Come on, why don't you broadcast on Twitch? That's, that's the response I got. Why don't you broadcast on Twitch? Forget this phone stuff. Well, you see, almost a million mis- uh, almost a million minutes have been listened to on the call to listen line in its two and a half year existence. You can also call it when we're not on the air and hear one of our streaming reruns where it just picks a random show from all the shows we've ever done, except the few that didn't archive like a few weeks ago, and plays them as if they're live all the way through and then picks another one at random over and over again. You usually won't hear the same one twice very often because there's so many shows. We've done over 270 shows. So that's a lot to choose from randomly. You can listen a long time without it ever repeating. Some people go to sleep with it on. Some people use it as they exercise or while they're at work or doing housework or grinding poker. Many uses for it. 712-775-8162 is the call to listen line. The chat room, you need a forum account in good standing, meaning I validated it at some point. You're not banned, but the chat room, you can get in there and you can chat with other listeners to the show. I'm usually not watching it that closely because I have so much to do as I am running the show. But nevertheless, uh, you can go in there. Don't don't bother if you're not listening live, which is most of you, because there's nobody there. But there's always people there during the live show. Before we continue, I'm watching the chat. I just came in the chat room now. I knew I was forgetting one thing. I always forget one thing. So this week, it was forgetting to just like go in the chat room. I just I usually go in and announce it's going to start. I, I forgot completely. I'm in there now, and got three minutes to get into the free roll. I connect Trader Ruski if I can. Looks like he will be my co-host tonight. Maybe Brandon too. Maybe a miracle will happen and Calwatt's dog will wake him up. That's happened before. Can't completely count him out, but uh, when I don't make enough contact with Calwatt before the show, he tends to fall asleep. Like I've, I've got to make contact with him and let him know like when the show is starting and. See if I can just goad him into staying awake. What's happening, Josh? Hello, Trader Risky. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I was just saying that with with Calwatt and the time difference, I just uh, what I didn't do tonight is I had a lot of things I had to do at home. I did not get to give Calwatt the updates of when we were starting and all that, and he just fell asleep. See, if, if, I'm, if I'm giving him updates and kind of stringing him along to wait, 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 you know, a few more minutes, don't fall asleep, a few more minutes, then once we get him on here, then he lasts a few more hours. But if I don't do that, then he just, he falls asleep. So I think that's what happened tonight. So, happy to have you here. Uh, JSTAT is saying if, if Druff did a YouTube live stream, his channel would be deleted for GOP talking points. I don't think it would be deleted, but I think there's a good chance that my channel would be demonetized. Demonetized meaning that uh, no matter how many views you get, you make zero money from the channel. 0.0. I won't even play the sound effect. But, uh, uh, YouTube, let me explain here. And, uh, 
it's important to understand what's really going on at YouTube if you care about the subject because uh, this is one area where despite being a conservative Republican myself, I have to say that fellow conservatives who broadcast on YouTube are not entirely truthful about what's going on there. They're partially truthful, but not entirely. It is true that conservative broadcasters on YouTube have been demonetized and were... Some of the popular ones were making a lot of money. Now they're making almost zero because of the demonetization. And many of them have done nothing wrong. None of them have, you know, many of them have never broken the terms of service or uh, nothing. They've just found everything's demonetized one day. Especially this happened, especially over the summer of 2017. However, uh, they are pushing this as evidence that YouTube is manually going through conservative channels. And purposely demonetizing them to punish conservatives because YouTube's owned by Google and Google is a left-leaning company. That part's all true, except the part about manually going through and punishing conservatives. They're not doing that. They wrote a bot to go through all the YouTube channels. Can you imagine how many YouTube channels there are? I don't even know, but it's an insane number. So believe me, they're not going through methodically one by one and deleting conservatives' content. There's a lot of people getting demonetized. And these bots are overly sensitive, and they're programmed to be overly sensitive, to remove anything with the slightest hint of controversy. And they are knocking a lot of channels either completely offline or demonetizing them. Why demonetize them? Because this way these sponsors are not having their messages appear on these controversial channels. Where the conservative YouTube personalities have a point is that it does seem that what is deemed, quote, controversial content does seem to be more sensitive on the right than the left. So uh, provocative content that's right-leaning, the bot seems to be grabbing a lot more and and demonetizing more than the left-leaning provocative content. But there are people with left-leaning provocative content who have been demonetized as well, just uh, not to the same extreme. Uh, there, I do believe there was a bias, and simply by the person putting the bot together and, and searching for the, those terms. Uh, but this was not specifically a way to punish conservatives. This was just a way to stop advertisers from complaining that their ads were running on controversial content. So whoever was tasked to do that at Google to decide what is, con- con- uh, what is uh, controversial content and then sent the bot out to demonetize those channels, whoever wrote that was biased somewhat politically. So it was not a concerted attempt to silence conservatives, but there was some bias in the process, and conservatives are getting at least demonetized, if not silenced, as a result of this, and and YouTube doesn't seem to care. This this problem's been going on for about, uh, I don't know, nine months now, especially, and little has changed. So that's uh, that, that's in response to uh, JSTAT there. Uh, unfortunately, YouTube is a private, you know, well, it's actually Google. You know, they're a private company. They, they really do have the right to decide what they want on their channel. If they wanted, they could remove all conservative content. Just say, hey, we're, we're not going to host conservative content. Tough luck. They, they could do that. Uh, they're trying to present themselves as neutral and unbiased so they wouldn't actually ever make that kind of decision. They might kind of secretly want to, but uh, anyway, the main goal here was to keep the sponsors happy. The secondary goal was, uh, not really goal, but uh, in the way they were doing it, uh, 
the bias, the inherent bias who, who was putting this all together ended up writing something that punished conservatives more. That's the way it happened there. Uh, now, if I were on YouTube doing this uh, as a live stream, this show, the reason I would probably get demonetized is not so much about the conservative content, of which there isn't that much. I mean, sometimes I'll give opinions, but this is not a political show. Uh, it would be because of the adult content. There's a lot of uh, raunchy content on this show. That's what would get me demonetized. So, um, like, like Anna Kate is being put up as an example in the chat room. She had her YouTube demonetized, and actually not demonetized, shut, shut down completely. Uh, and she's saying that uh, you know, it's fully biased, it's because she's a conservative. But the truth was she was having a lot of uh, controversial topics on her channel, which is fine, but that's what happened, is the bot just killed her channel because she was discussing pedophiles. She's not a pedophile by any means. She, she was discussing pedophiles in a very critical way, but she was discussing a topic that they don't really want on there, apparently. I'm pretty convinced that's what happened. I don't think this is directed at her or her political views. So, uh, I mean, that's just honestly what's going on there. So it's unfair, and it is biased against conservatives, but not in the way they think. And uh, seriously, serious, who knows a lot about YouTube, he posted about that on the forum when this is being discussed. And I pretty much fully agree with him about that. Usually when Seriously Serious explains something like that, he's correct. Usually he's pretty good at uh, cutting through the BS and not really coming at these things from a biased standpoint. There's only one topic from Seriously Serious that I would not want to hear about and believe he's unbiased, and that's Doug Polk, for obvious reasons. For Doug Polk, he's not exactly unbiased, but everything else he's pretty unbiased. So, uh, I, I think it would be great if YouTube just stopped doing this, if they just uh, either made a very, very clear rules and regulations for what you can and can't say if you want to be monetized, or just you know, let everything go. Or, or only demonetized really obvious situations where it was super controversial content that an, uh, an advertiser wouldn't want to be associated with. Or even have tiers of advertising. You have, have like uh, advertisers that don't care where they are. They don't care if they're on a controversial channel. But they just completely demonetize people. So they're not handling it right at YouTube. There's no question. I mean, the, the gripes against YouTube for this are valid. And, it, it's, and this is the problem. It's, something, it's very similar to the, the supernova elites on PokerStars. When you count on a third-party company for your own livelihood, but yet you work for yourself, you're not an employee, you're just using them as a way to make money, you never know what's going to happen. And you never know how they're going to screw you because they don't care about you. They only care about themselves. So they don't have your livelihood in mind. And it's very frustrating when you've put a lot of time and effort into something and have built a big following or, you've, or in the case of poker stars, you've played a, an insane number of hands to get yourself a status there that gets you a very high amount of rake back and other benefits. So you put a lot of time and effort into whatever you're doing and then they pull the rug out from you through no fault of your own. And that's the problem when you count on a third-party company. That's the risk you take. I'm not saying it's right. It's just, uh, unfortunately, they can do it. So that's the risk you take. But it, it, it sucks. I mean, if I, if I had built a following on YouTube of more than a million subscribers and I was making good money from it, 
from my content and people enjoyed seeing my show and I was doing real well. And then just one day everything gets demonetized. Of course I'd be pissed. Of course I'd feel like I was treated unfairly and I'd be right, but there wouldn't be much I could do. So it's kind of an interesting subject, at least interesting if you're not on the victim end of it. See, I haven't been personally affected by this, so I can speak about it in an objective way and not get angry. But uh, oh, oh, draft for the two people that just tried to re- knock Trey out. They just lost all their chips. So <laughs> they, they better come a little stronger than that. Okay? Oh boy! Just, just telling everybody. Well, not only that, it's, it's going to make it tougher for others to knock you out. Now you have more chips. That's right, and I want the hundred dollars when I take it down. Yeah, see, and the, that's the problem is you can't knock him out unless you have more chips than him. No matter what your hand is, you could you could have uh, you could have him drawing dead. And you can't knock him out unless you have him covered. So uh, now he's become that much tougher. He's uh, he, it's kind of like he eats the heart of every player he knocks out. So <laughs> okay, okay, I don't want to ramble about this too long before we can get the show started since the show's already late. So this week. We don't have that many major topics to talk about. This just was kind of a slow poker and gambling news week. It really was. So uh, we're going to have a number of topics which uh, are about poker and gambling, but uh, a few of them are about older stories that I think are, are interesting, especially ones that have come up this week. And you know, just some discussions that I think some people would like to hear. But first, we will do the agenda. And then we will get into our main topic, and then we'll get into everything else. Party Poker has had uh, technical difficulties this past Sunday during a big tournament where a guarantee was missed by a wide margin. Isn't that convenient that the guarantee was going to really miss and Party was going to be responsible for the remainder, the overlay? And somehow there was... A technical problem would shut down the whole tournament. Hmm. What a coincidence. People were quite angry about that, so we will talk about that as our lead story. Paul Magrill, also known as X-22 in the poker world, also a backgammon player, has died at age 71. Not only will we discuss Paul Magrill a bit, but also we will discuss why poker players just don't seem to last very long. Why? Why are there not many old poker players? I don't mean old guys who decide they want to play poker or who casually play poker. I mean people who play a lot of poker. Why are they all dying so early? Like Doyle Brunson's one of the few who is a poker player who obviously played regularly and is still alive at a fairly late age. But there aren't that many. 71 is not very old. But uh, a lot of poker players die early. We'll talk about the life expectancy of poker players and why it does not seem too good. A listener question came in, which I want to discuss. Can illegally operating casinos come after you if you live in the U.S. and you stiff them? Let's say you deposited to America's card room and you either charge back and successfully win the charge back or... uh, you know, your deposit failed, but by the time it, they realized it failed, that you've already lost the money on there, and they come come to you asking for the money back. Uh, what if you really do screw them out of money? What can these rooms do to you? I'm not talking about the legalized rooms in Nevada and New Jersey and Delaware. I'm talking about ones like America's Card Room, Bovada, 
What can they do if you screw them and you live in the U.S.? I will let you know whether they have any power over you. Should poker stars have a right to enter California's market for legalized online poker if it ever happens? After the massive fine they already paid for operating illegally, the fine which was used to reimburse people who had been cheated on Full Tilt and UB, neither of which were poker stars' fault, but that money was partially used to pay that. So after poker stars did all that, after they paid a $750 million fine to settle what they had done wrong, is it fair to continue penalizing them and keeping them out of the California market? This question has been dogging California legislatures uh, for years. And that's why we don't have legalized online poker in California, despite the fact that the state wants it and the state legislatures want it. So this subject came up this week when Doug Polk posted an anti-PPA message and talked about how they were against legalizing poker in California if PokerStars wasn't going to be part of that. And he was saying that uh, they don't deserve our support for that reason. That was Doug Polk's take. The question is, is Polk right about that? And should poker stars be in the California market? There is a lot of different opinions on that. I'm going to give you mine, and Trader Risk can give you his. Two flashbacks from the past. One of them was brought up on Poker Fraud Alert this week by a user I just banned today, a user I'm, I'm tired of. <laughs> I just, the guy's nothing but a troll, and I'm sick of him. But uh, nonetheless, he did bring up something interesting, the first interesting thing he's brought up in a long time, and that was he claimed, I don't have proof of this, but he claimed that on UB, this was after the super user scandal. This was in between the super user scandal and when they shut down on Black Friday and had stolen all the money. But he claims that in that time period that uh, he inadvertently figured out that their blackjack was not shuffling. The shuffle, the shuffle was not random and that there was a way to predict what was coming and he beat them for a lot of money. So I'll talk about that and the implications it might have had on poker itself and even perhaps that maybe... There is more cheating on UB that was not even done by the super users. Maybe not even by people working there, but people who just may have realized this shuffle pattern with poker, which could have been the situation as well. So uh, we'll talk about that. Obviously, it's not relevant to today, but it, it does bring up a question about you know, how random is the shuffle on other sites that are currently running. Flashback number two. I'm sure most of you are aware that I had a part in uncovering the absolute poker and UB cheating, especially the absolute poker cheating. I was a victim in both places. But some people, especially trolls, some people have accused me of really not having much of a part in that and simply uh, taking others' work in uncovering this cheating, uh, implying it's my own, spouting it off as if it's something I did, and uh, getting unfairly recognized as an expert on the subject or someone who was uh, kind of a hero in the story when in reality I did nothing. There, there's been some accusations against me. So I'm going to explain to everybody what I did and did not do regarding the AP and UB scandals. And I'll tell you the story of how it came to be that I discovered it was happening. Colluders found a creative way to cheat in America's cardroom guarantee. 
Uh, I don't know if it's still going on. It's it's pretty blatant what they did. It's pretty clever what they figured out to do. Uh, the main ones who got screwed there were America's Card Room, not so much the players, but uh, it's still pretty obnoxious, and I will tell you what they did. And it's just more proof that ACR is really asleep at the switch. Sands Gaming, which is owned by Sheldon Adelson, that's uh, basically the Venetian, the Palazzo, uh, and their associated properties in Macau and elsewhere. Sands Gaming made a boneheaded mistake which prevented them from opening what's known as a mini-casino in Pennsylvania. They're, they've been uh, licensing mini-casinos there, and Sands Gaming very well may have gotten one, but they screwed up something very basic and didn't get it. So if you hate Sheldon Adelson and what he stands for regarding online poker, you will like the story. Finally, the UK is clamping down on large online poker sites that are trying to make it difficult for customers to withdraw. You would think that the large operations there that are licensed in the UK would be safe to play and that getting your money would not be a problem. But uh, it has been determined in the UK that uh, some of these large online poker operators are finding ways to make it difficult for customers to get their money off to where some people just either give up or end up having their money confiscated. So a lot of shady behavior on the part of these large operators. They're showing that even in a regulated market, you've got to watch closely. That is our agenda for this evening. And if you want to call into the show, make sure to call in between topics, because I probably won't take your call if you call 775-372-8355 in the middle of a topic. You can also text that number, by the way. It's also our text number, which you can text me before, after, or during the show. 775-372-8355. Mumbles texted me. Please announce on radio Beto O'Rourke for Senate 2018. Okay. Um, Let's see. That's, I think, all we got right now. 712-775-8162 is the call to listen line. 775-372-8355 is the main number to call in. All right, so... Let me get to the uh, first topic here. Party poker. This is, of course, now a regulated site. This is not just uh, like old party poker that was running as a gray market site until the UIGEA passed. I mean, this is a regulated site at this point. It's a huge company. And despite that, maybe some shady things are still going on. This was on March 4th, 2018. From Party Poker. A tweet. I'll, I'll read you some of the responses, too. They're funny. Please accept our sincere apologies for the issues experienced this evening. All tournaments scheduled for 9 p.m. GMT, which, by the way, that's uh, 1 p.m. Pacific time, and before will be canceled, and players will be fund- refunded, or prize pools will be distributed depending on the running status of the tournament. Okay, on the surface, that seems fair. We're having uh, technical issues. We're sorry about that. Uh, anything scheduled before you know, 9 p.m. GMT will be uh, canceled. And if you're already in the tournament, then uh, depending upon uh, what the status of the tournament is, then you will get the proper amount of money back. Okay. Now, what can they do? Technical difficulties, you know? So that, uh, that's what occurred. However, 
Here's the problem. It occurred during a guarantee. It occurred in a tournament with, uh, I think the guarantee was... One million dollars. But regardless of what it was, they were 500,000 short of the guarantee. I know that. And what occurred was that the tournament had some kind of technical difficulty and, and eventually it crashed, and then people got this message. Uh, people ended up just getting the buy-ins back. They did not end up getting uh, anything in relation to what their chip stack was. So people who were doing well got screwed. And people asked what happened. And Party Poker responded on Twitter, there was a technical issue on the site which resulted in the cancellation of some of the tournaments. And then they talk about refunds being processed, apologies, blah, blah, blah. And They said uh, the tournament will only pay out funds which have been collected for buy- in buy-ins. Any guaranteed prize pool amount from the tournament will not be a relevant factor in calculating payouts. That's the big problem. So you can see what the issue is here. That there's suspicion that what if they were falling very short of a guarantee and rather than having to take a $500,000 hit, they said, hmm... What if we just pull the plug? What if we, we create our own technical difficulties? What if we even DDoS ourselves? Because people were saying it kind of looked like a DDoS. So maybe if we DDoS ourselves, so it looks like a legitimate attack or a problem like that, if, if it mirrors the way normal problems actually go down, then people will believe it. And then we get out of having to pay a $500,000 overlay. Is there any proof that's what they did? No. But the optics are very bad, and it's very suspicious. The question is, what should they be responsible for if there is such a disconnect? And and late registration wasn't over yet. There was no way they were going to make up that amount of money. But late late registration was not over yet. So the question is, uh, if they're not done collecting buy-ins yet, if they're in the late reg period, and then it crashes. Should they be responsible? And for, forgetting whether they caused the crash on their own on purpose. Let's just let's pretend this was not their fault. Let's let's pretend it was a real crash that actually occurred. Should they be responsible for the guarantee since they did not have the opportunity to collect every possible buy-in? They may say, well, we could have reached the guarantee. Maybe we would have gotten a major flood of people at the end, and it would have reached the guarantee. We wouldn't have been out of any money. So why, why should we have to pay the difference? The problem is that um, a few things here. First of all, people were observing that cash games were running, and the casino was running just fine when this occurred. So that already makes it suspicious. Again, no proof, but it's already suspicious that the one part that was going to be costing them money is what crashed. Uh, someone tweeted, this is the first time I've seen this happen, although I did notice that at 8 p.m. just before this started, there was still a 500000 overlay on the championship event, but this should still not be the reason if they should distribute the current, and, and, and if it is, then they should still distribute the prize pools evenly, the guaranteed prize pools evenly. So, 
they could also claim that uh, this could be a way for those doing DDoS attacks. They didn't say this, by the way. I'm just I'm just saying this. They could claim that if they were to distribute the guarantee, this would encourage DDoSers who want to punish them in some way to keep doing this because every time it's going to cost party poker money. So just think about it. The, you know, a tournament is uh, 500k short. Of its guarantee, all you have to do is DDoS the site, ruin the tournament, and then uh, party poker is out $500,000. And if you hate them, if you want to punish them, if you even if you maybe want to extort money out of them through these attacks, that, that's a great angle to use. So these could be excuses as to why they don't. But here's my issue. Here, here's why I think this is wrong on what they did. They're a very large company. They the 500000 sounds like a lot to you. sounds like a lot to me. But for a very large company like Party Poker, it's a drop in the bucket. So for PR purposes and for player satisfaction purposes and just for the optics of the whole situation, they should have paid according to the guarantee, not what they had collected at the time. Now, if they were to have a chronic problem with this every week where this was targeted, then at that point they could change the way they handle it. And then they would have a justifiable defense of, hey, if, if we do it the way where we honor the guarantee, all it takes is someone to DDoS us when we're short of the guarantee, and it's going to cost us money every time. We can't leave this vulnerability open. I'm sorry there's people who are abusing this. We have to uh, do this a different way. Uh, but also warn people. Also warn people that if the tournament does not uh, close registration completely, that they will not distribute the guarantee only uh, refund the buy-ins. And then once they do that, I, th- I think then the DDoS is targeting that in particular would stop. I don't know if this was targeted because this was short of the guarantee and someone thought that this would really screw party, or if this was not even a real DDoS and party DDoS themselves to save the 500000 Now you may say, well, why would they do that? Why, why would a large company that 500000 doesn't mean that much to? Why would they do this and risk all kinds of problems, licensing issues, everything else. Well, I'll tell you why. I don't think the president of Party the CEO of Party Poker commanded the underlings there to pull the plug on this tournament. I don't think that happened. Uh, but but when a company gets larger, there are people who are responsible for different departments. And if your department is not doing well, if you if your department ends up costing the company money or failing in some way, then you are seen as the point of failure, and they may fire you, or they may uh, reprimand you, or you may be kind of blackmarked and never get promoted past where you are, blah, blah, blah. So it's worse than just the company not doing well or losing some money. It's that uh, it's, it's losing money, and it's seen that it was your fault, and you're seen as incompetent. So... Obviously, guarantees are set by human beings. Decisions to have guarantee tournaments are made by human beings. And if the human being who was responsible for this tournament saw that it was going to go off with a big overlay and didn't want to look bad, and if he had a buddy who either worked in the tech department there that could cause this little disruption, or maybe even knew people on the outside who could cause this disruption and save his ass then he could have asked someone to do it. I'm just making all this up off the top of my head. But these are realistic things that could have occurred. It is a little bit weird that in one of their bigger overlays that the only thing affected was this tournament. 
Now, it also could have just been a coincidence. It really could have been. I once had a hand on Poker Stars back when they had all in all in protection, meaning that if you, even if you're playing a limit event or a limit hand, that uh, if you get disconnected, it doesn't fold you. It just treats you as if you're all in with no more money. So I had uh, it was a hundred two hundred game on uh, limit hold'em on Poker Stars, and I was I had pocket kings, and I think it was four or five way action before the flop capped. Very big pot already built. Wouldn't you know it, an ace flops. <laughs> well, not only was I unhappy to see that ace, but uh, when the betting comes to me, I think it's uh, bad and raised to me or something like that, where it's obvious I have to fold. I try to click fold, nothing happens. I try to click fold again, nothing happens. I got disconnected, and it put me all in. So I got to take, I get two free draws at that king. I did not win the pot. The king didn't come. But it showed my hand. Then, of all things, I reconnect like about a a few seconds after the hand is over. Again, totally not on purpose. I sit back in, and boy, do people lay into me. It also didn't help that uh, one of the people in that hand who did flop the ace was someone that I didn't like and didn't like me. Someone I I don't have a problem with anymore, but back then we were uh, kind of verbally jousting on poker stars a lot and didn't like each other. So this guy started really ripping into me, saying, look, you know, I always thought you were a dick and an asshole. I never thought you were a cheater. But wow, this is obvious. You know, could you be more obvious with this? And And they were, everybody at the table was berating me for how obvious it was that I was cheating. And I kept trying to tell them, I know how this looks. I probably think it was cheating myself if I saw it on the other end. But I promise you guys, it really did happen to disconnect me right when it came time for me to act and reconnected me a few seconds after the hand was over. Extremely hard to believe, but that's really what happened. So, no one believed me. Now, that was my only incident like that, so that's why you don't hear of uh, Todd the all-in cheater. I'm sure everybody forgot about this now except me. But uh, sometimes you can have these situations where it all seems to add up that it's being done on purpose and it's not. So I I do consider that with party poker. Maybe someone did DDoS them. Maybe they just figured it was not fair to them to make them responsible for the guarantee if the registration was not yet closed. But I think because this is the first time this has happened, at least to my knowledge, they should just pay it and then watch going forward. And if going for, even if they want to pay it now and make a rule going forward, that's fine too. Like pay it now and say, okay, we're going to pay this here as if it was the guarantee was hit. But in the future, until registration closes, we're not honoring the guarantee. So please know that before you register. They can even put up a little pop-up when people register there. And they can even explain you know, in order to prevent abuse. And we'll have a story later in the show on how people abuse guarantees. There's various ways guarantees could be abused otherwise. But I think here they just should have paid it. Trader Risky, how do you feel about this? I agree. I mean, they should have done something. 
Yeah, it's just, That's a little ridiculous. Yeah, it just feels crappy for players here. They they register for a guarantee. Here's the thing with a guarantee: not every tournament has to be a guarantee. If they're not comfortable with the risks they take with guarantees, we've discussed this on the show before. When when uh, live card rooms and online card rooms try to screw players with guarantees, if you are uncomfortable with offering a guarantee because of ways that your business can get screwed, then do not offer a guarantee. Problem solved. But when you offer a guarantee, there's a good and a bad. The good is that you draw more people to the tournament. The bad is that if it does not reach the guarantee, then there's an overlay and you lose. So it's a risk that you take. It's actually the casino or the card room gambling. And if you are afraid of a bad result from gambling, don't gamble. (laughs) They can guarantee that they make money on every tournament if they don't have a guarantee. They cannot lose money on a tournament if there's no guarantee. So if they want the guaranteed income from the tournament that don't have a guarantee, as strange as that sounds. So I hate when these sites or card rooms run guaranteed tournaments and then try to find ways to worm out of having to pay them. So even in this spot, if party poker said, well, that's not fair to us. We didn't get a full chance to collect all the buy-ins. Uh, we didn't have a full chance of you know, late registration. There's one other thing I'm wondering. Why not just pause the tournament when they're having this many problems, put up a message, tournament is paused, and then extend late registration? Now, maybe if this went on for hours and hours, it's not fair because you can't leave people sitting on their hands. Maybe, maybe they did try to do that. But... At least if, it, if it's not going on for a very long time, you could do that. But if you don't want to do that, then either give the full guarantee back when you distribute the prizes, or uh, and then you know if you want in the future, state the terms that this won't happen again. But uh, don't do this. This just looks really bad. If I had to guess, did poker did party poker do this intentionally? That's a tough one. That's a really t- I, I've gone over this in my head a few times before doing this show. Part of me says, come on, that's not enough money for them to do that. This could really screw them and their license and the whole way the company is viewed and, uh, and their stock. So many different ways this could screw them just for half a million dollars, which for a company of that size is not very much money. So that would seem insane. But on the other hand... All it takes is one employee whose ass would be in a sling if there's a $500,000 overlay to call up a buddy who's good at DDoSing and send him in to do this. And there it isn't the, the company doing it, but it's one person at the company doing it. So if it was happening, I think that's the way it was. I, I don't think it was done as a conspiracy all the way to the top to save them money. I think that if it was done, it was done by someone who was lower down on the totem pole who would have suffered in some way if a huge guarantee went off. I also think it's very possible that someone simply DDoS the site, uh, possibly even to create this situation and see what happens. Maybe because they don't like party, uh, maybe just just for the laughs and see what happens at that point. You know, Maybe someone got that idea. Hey, you know what would be funny? They, I see they have a $500,000 overlay. What if we DDoS the hell out of them and they can't continue running? What do they do? What do they do? Man, this could be hilarious. Let's see. There's people who will do things like that. So it, it definitely was reported to have been similar to a DDoS, the way the site was behaving. 
But again, that doesn't mean the DDoS was done by outsiders. Maybe, maybe not. But they still didn't handle it well. Let me read some of the Twitter comments here. Uh, a joke. Try to find alter- an alternative to Poker Stars, but your servers are unbearable. Another one. Uh, uh, I had tournament tickets for the KO series, which I now can't use because I couldn't, couldn't log on. What are you going to do about that? Uh, no refund. I was I was ultra deep in the MTT. Prize pools will be distributed depending on the running status of the tournament. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I, three tournaments were open. Too close to the money. I got nothing back. Not even the buy-ins. Are you serious? Really? <laughs> I think that person just didn't get their refund yet, but I can see why they're pissed. Um, uh, this, this is now how you conduct business in this era. After spending hours building the stack in the tournament, you're giving me this bullshit. I want my money back plus an equal amount for buy-in and for this crappy service of yours. Uh, let's see here. What about the the four hours I've just wasted? You paying out on the bounties one as well? That's a good question. I wonder about that. There's a lot of tournaments were canceled. It wasn't just this one. Uh, how will prize pool be distributed equally, or, or, or where was attorney? How, how do I? How do you know I, I wouldn't go on to win it? <laughs> So I, I'm not sure with all the different tournaments that got canceled, you know, what they did for each one. Maybe some of them they actually uh, did distribute it according to chip stacks. But uh, and, and so at the very beginning, I understand why you just refund the buy-ins. But what would be good here is like the, this one, which hadn't closed registration yet, which wasn't that far along. Maybe do something like refund the buy-ins and then use the remainder that was in the overlay to reward the people who had bigger stacks. Something like that, where, where it's clear they made zero from it. In fact, lost money from it. And that uh, it all went back to the players in some way. And, and you know, maybe the most deserving players, the ones who had the bigger stack at that point. That's, I think that's what I would have decided to do. I would have said, okay, everybody gets their buy-in back no matter what. Even if you're busted already, you, you get your buy-in back. And then, in addition, uh, anybody who... Actually, I don't even know if the busted people get it. The busted people is question whether they should get it. Because if they weren't affected by it and busted before this all started, then you could argue they shouldn't get it. So maybe not the people who busted already, but everybody remaining, you know, get their buy-in back. You know, they all get a minimum of their buy-in back, and then uh, some additional money based upon what their chip stack was. That's I'd come up with something like that. Definitely wouldn't do it this way. So... These problems, these are not uh, going to go away with a regulated market. And I don't even know what the law is in the UK regarding guarantees. Or if they could ever be compelled to do any more than this. They probably wouldn't. They can probably hide behind the fact that the registration period was not closed. So, let's move on here. Paul Magriel known as X-22, died at the age of 71. Uh, He was also a well-known backgammon player. There's a lot of crossover from skill games like backgammon into poker, for reasons I'm sure you can figure out. And uh, here's a little clip of him knocking out Phil Helmuth in the 2005 uh, World Series and, and Helmuth freaking out. Listen to this. 
Pittman will not play this hand. But Phil gets right back into the fray with ace-queen. Walked around for a long time to come back to a pretty good hand. And Phil's going to raise it up to 1,600. Over to Paul McGrill. Backgammon was his game of choice for a lot of years. Pocket sevens. When he's at the poker table, McGrill has an odd habit. Sometimes when he raises, he goes quack, quack. Something tells me Phil doesn't like ducks. 66. 6,600 chips is the raise from McGrill. He really likes those sevens. Rest of the table giving it up. Back to Phil Helmuth. Critical juncture for Helmuth now. He's getting low on chips. Just to call this, he'd be committing most of his remaining chip stack with a pretty good hand, but he's beat right now. All right, I'm all in. 67 and a quarter. Bill is going to move everything in the pot. How much more? 67 and a quarter. 67 Call from a grill. You got a screen beat? Yeah. And this could be it for Phil Helmuth. Off to the races. They're off to the races, and Phil doesn't look like a happy jockey. And you could say he almost obsesses on World Series bracelets. Certainly none more than the main event. He's in for a coin flip. Here it is. Nine, Jack, four. McGrill, seventh. Hold up for now. So it's funny in this clip here. This is from 05. I think it's the main event. Um, it, it's hard to tell. In 05, they, they televised so many events. But uh, Phil, looks, <laughs> he was like, pissed from the start. Now, yes, he's the one who short stacked who will go out. If he busts here, if he loses here, whereas uh, Magria would have uh, continued on. But uh, it's a race. Ace, queen against seven. It's not like he's got ace, queen against aces or ace, queen against ace, king. It's ace, queen against sevens. Okay. It's a race. I mean, how often has, he, has Phil run into that? I, I've run into this so many times playing tournaments. Okay. It's a race. Uh, that's not the worst spot to get it in when you're short. When you're uh, 54, 46. And you're the 46. I mean, that's. When you're short. And you get in, in like that, and you're, you're basically almost 50-50 to double up. You need the chips, you got to do it. And Phil knows that. So Magriel looked, yeah, he was jovial through the whole thing, and, and, and Helmuth looks so pissed. Helmuth primes for this tournament more than anything year-round, and now he's behind and running out of cards. Turn card is a nine, and that opens up a small door for Phil. Indeed, with a jack on the river now, they both have jacks up, and Phil would have the better kicker. So Phil would need now an ace, queen, or jack on the river, or his bid for a record-tying 10th bracelet would be over. River card is a five, and that's going to do it. Phil Helmuth is gone. Paul McGrill puts the finishing touches on the nine-time bracelet winner. Helmuth thought he was prepped for a run deep into this main event. There will be no run. That maniac put all that money in with two sevens, honey. Did you see that? He goes to whine about it to his wife. <laughs> he's, he's not even kidding. That maniac put all his money in with two sevens. Phil was short stacked, so he th- he three bets it with two sevens. Maniac put all the money in with two sevens. That that's about the worst. That's about the worst hour of poker I've ever had in my life. I knew McGrill was going to go off like that too. Sevens. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> worst players in the world around here. Yet another classic Phil Helmuth exit. Yeah, it was. And you see, he hasn't changed much in 13 years. So that was... Uh, I don't know why he does the quack-quack thing. He didn't do it in this clip, Paul Magriel. But uh, he also appeared 
and people don't know about this very much, but uh, he appeared on some kind of like special about legalized cat houses in Nevada. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, I see a thread about it on 2 plus 2. Let's see if I can find a uh, YouTube link for this. I watched it once. Um, so this was uh, on the Cat House the series. And Paul Magriel, I think, I don't know if it's Magriel or McGrill. They said McGrill on there. I always thought it was Magriel. It's M A G R I E L. But uh, he definitely was there. And he was there with Steve Bola- Steve Zolotow, of all people. Which actually isn't that surprising if you've met Steve before. So these are two older men. And they were at one of these legalized cat houses in Nevada. For those of you that don't know, Prostitution is legal in Nevada, but it's decided by the counties and the cities individually. So Clark County, it's illegal. You can't have these cat houses. But in other counties, you can. So I'm, I'm not sure which one he was in. I think it may have been the Moonlight Bunny Ranch, someone's saying here. But I remember seeing it, and, and you clearly see Steve Zolotow and Paul Magrill you know, coming in, and they, they consented to be on film. So they, they apparently weren't ashamed of it. Uh, Steve Zolotow He was on that infamous party poker cruise In 2006 that I love to talk about And he was on that cruise And he was asking Others including me In the airport Because most of us from the west From the southwest like uh, LA From uh, Vegas Anyone in the southwestern US A lot of us took that same flight That was going from LA to Fort Lauderdale it was a red eye that got there around 7.30 in the morning And then you'd board the ship at 11 You couldn't board the ship before 11 So we are all sitting around the airport for a while And I remember Steve Zolotow Was asking Anyone if they could find A girl just Somewhere in the airport Who wanted a free cruise The only catch is they had to stay with Steve <laughs> Because each person Who took that cruise Had the right to take a second person on for free so Steve showed up alone. He didn't have anyone to take. So he was asking if anybody could find a girl who wanted a free cruise who had to stay with him. Uh, needless to say, there was no girl found to do that. But <laughs> that's what he was looking for. Anyway, the two of them were at, at this cat house and uh, paying for the legalized hookers. And it's, it's been a long time since I saw it, so I can't tell you exactly what happened in it. I wasn't all that interested at the time. The The most interest I really had was not really in Paul Magrio. It was in uh, Steve Zolotow having that experience with him three years earlier at the party poker cruise. This was in 2009 when they were on this. I tried to search for it again. I, c- I couldn't find it before. Uh, what I do wonder is uh, when Paul Magrio was with one of those hookers there, uh, would he say quack quack before he would uh, enter the hooker? <laughs> Yeah, how far did he take the quack quack routine? Um, Someone's saying in the thread on 2 plus 2 that Steve Zolotow on a full tilt at the time in the chat when asked about it said it was a party thrown there by Larry Flint. I don't know if I believe that. 
you only saw the two of them. You didn't see Larry Flint or anyone else. Uh, at the time, in 2009, if he's 71, now when he died, he was probably around 62. So, he wrote uh, what's known to be a good backgammon book. I don't know the title of it, but uh, some people call it the super system of backgammon in reference to the book Super System about poker. So, he was, someone else wrote on uh, 2 Plus 2 in 2009, sat next to him in a tournament. This is about uh, Magriel, not uh, Steve Zolotow. His nasty case of really bad breath would waft over to me, so I had to hide myself in my hoodie. <laughs> uh, someone said, according to his Wikipedia, he's married. This is back in 2009. I, I wasn't that interested in this whole thing back then. Now I'm much more interested just because he's dead. I've never played with him before. I don't have much of an opinion of him. But uh, I had heard the name. I'd seen the television footage of him before. I saw the cat house footage of him. Let me try one more time to look this up here. See if I can find him. In the chat room, if you can find it. Then, uh... The problem is nine years old, so... Might be gone by now. Yeah, well, I, I, I can't find it. If you guys can find it... Then send me a uh, a link. Bobby Orr messaged me saying he did the quack quack during the uh, professional poker tour series they had way back when. You know what sucked is I would have qualified for that professional poker tour series, but no one told me about it till it was too late, and then they stopped running it because I had won a bracelet in '05. So I actually would have quali- you actually had to qualify for it, but I would have. And I think they paid for like some or all your buy-in. There was some reason that I was disappointed I didn't get to do it. It was some reason, like, I would have gotten something out of it, like a free or discounted buy-in. I remember, Neverwin told me about that and asked why I didn't play. So, it brings me to my next topic, and that is about life expectancy of poker players. Because the truth is, how often do you hear about a poker pro living to 85, 90, 95? How, how often do you see that? Like, hardly ever. I'm not talking about the casual player who happens to be old. I'm talking about someone who plays a lot of poker to where they're associated with the poker world. They don't have to be a pro. Just someone who you really associate closely with poker that plays a lot. How often do they make it to a late age? From what I can see, not very often. And I'm not just talking about whether they keep playing to a late age. You know, maybe once they're... 75, they decide it's too hard or too unpleasant to sit in the card room, and they they retire from the game. In fact, Doyle Brenton has done that to some degree, where he plays a lot less than he used to because it's hard for him to sit still uh, without getting tired, without getting achy, and that's understandable. But uh, the truth is that if you think about people who are closely associated with poker, who play a lot, who are older, they don't tend to make it that long, and yet there's a lot of early deaths. And even if you take out the Deaths that occur from specific circumstances, such as uh, drug overdoses or uh, from violence or from uh, you know drunk driving, anything like that, where you can say, okay, the person made a, a bad decision which led immediately to their death. 
or even people who you know just had a general drug problem that led to an early death. I'm not talking so much about that, though that also applies here. But just people who die without a cause where you can directly trace it back to something they did. So, Saw24 in the chat saying, sitting on yo ass is unhealthy. He's also saying Trader Ruski has all the chips. Is that true, Trader Ruski? Not, uh, not all of them yet. How come when we put a bot, we put a bounty on somebody here? They always do so well. It's like it, it's it, this. This really looks like we rigged it. Every time there's a bounty on someone, they do so well. The trader risk is killing it because uh, I bet yeah, I just got very lucky. I hit an inside straight. Yeah, of course the... you did. Of course you did. Like this, this, I, I can tell you, if if Eric Benzamokin didn't put this bounty on you, I bet you would have gone out like the first hand. And yet here you're. Uh, are you the chip leader? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, of course. Yeah. All right. So, you know, disposition is saying super users. This wouldn't be super users. I I once I think it was on Donk Down and Everyone Poker. I once posted a definition of the various types of cheating. And I, I separated, there's two different types of, of cheating where you have some kind of control over the electronic cards. There's super using and clairvoyance. Super using is where you can see your opponent's whole cards, but you don't you can't see what's coming. So um, you could still lose, such as like, it would be correct to get it all in if you're up against the flush draw, but you could still lose with the flush making it. Uh, it would be correct to get it all in aces against kings, but you know the king kills, could still flop, things like that. Uh, clairvoyance is where it's impossible to beat the person because they can actually see everything. They can see not only the cards that are in your hand, but they can see the cards that are coming. So they will know if they'll take a bad beat and not put the money in. That's that's where, when you have clairvoyance, and you can actually fold aces pre-flop if you know the aces are not going to win. So here, where, where he hit this, uh, where Trader Risky just hit the lucky card, that wouldn't be a super using, that would be a clairvoyance. Eric Bensamokin, who plays as a brutal thinker, he said, I have faith that PLOL will knock him out. Is PLOL doing well, too? Yep, we're going head, we're going heads ahead right now. Okay. Well, uh, so let's talk again about the life expectancy for, for poker players, though. Uh, definitely the sedentary lifestyle that's often associated with poker plays a big part. Uh, I think another thing that plays a big part, even if it's not directly resulting in death, like I'm not talking about an overdose or a drug driving accident, but the uh, a poker player is more likely than the average person to abuse either alcohol or drugs. So even if it does not lead, lead to an immediate death from that abuse, it can be a long-term thing which damages the body and then leads to problems later on. Uh, there have also been some high-profile poker players who've just died under just unlucky circumstances that weren't even their fault. If you think about Chad Brown, who got sarcoma, a very rare type of cancer that's not really related to any kind of behavior. If you think of uh, Chip Reese, who also died of cancer. If you think of Amir Vahedi, who had a heart attack at a fairly young age. I mean, he was overweight, but he wasn't, like, gigantic. I think he was in his 50s when he had a heart attack and died. So, now, yes, with a, a big pool of poker players, you're going to have a certain percentage who just get very unlucky health-wise and die. I mean, look at uh, Steve Jobs. He died in his early 50s through uh, a cancer that wasn't a fault of his own. 
And you know, this was not—he's not a gambler at all. So this—you know, you have a, a group of people that you know of, and a, a certain percentage of them are going to get unlucky and die at an early age. And a certain percentage will live, yeah, an average amount of time. A certain percentage will get very lucky and live very late. What I'm noticing in poker, though, is we're not seeing that certain percentage living very late. How many poker players are we seeing who are 90 years old, even former poker players who are now 90 years old, who played poker a whole lot when they were younger? Now, the newer generation of poker players, even the semi-new generation, like, you know, let's take the poker players who were young in the 90s, like me. Uh, We're not anywhere near the age where we're considered old. So it's not clear, other than the ones who die early, how long they're going to live. The ones that entered post-poker boom, especially when they were young at the time, they're in their 30s now, or 20s. So they have a long time to see whether they live long or short. So those people we can't determine, are they going to live long? But the prior generation of poker players, I'm just not seeing very many of them make it very long. There was also the smoke factor that uh, for a while, until the 90s, poker rooms allowed smoking. And there's controversy whether secondhand smoke is as dangerous as it's claimed, but it's definitely not good for you. That couldn't have helped. And I, I just think it's a lot of the vices that go along with poker. I think it's between the overeating... The lack of exercise, the drinking, doing drugs. I think a lot of this stuff either comes together or one or more of these seems to apply to most poker players to where they don't make it as long. One other factor that you may not be thinking about, most poker players are male. And males do not live as long as females on average. There's a, quite a big difference. That's why there are so many old women who are widows and not that many widowers. So many old, women's who, old women whose husbands died and are alone. So with very few women in poker, then life expectancy will be lower because you're just really dealing with a man. So you're dealing with Men and also probably a fairly unhealthy subgroup of men. And that translates to not only a lower life expectancy, but I think a lower chance of just making it pretty far. They're two different things. You can you can have it where the life expectancy is low because of a lot of people dying very young, like you know, 40s and 50s, 30s, whatever. But, the, but then you, you still have some that make it pretty old and you can have it where you're just not really having many people make it very far it seems to be more of the latter here I'm actually in a subcategory that does not live very long and that is tall men tall men do not typically live very long If you look at the people who make it past 100, most of them are short. 
In fact, a lot of them are very short. So you don't see many tall men make it to a very late age. Now, I'm not so tall to where I'd be expected to die early, like in my 50s, but um, between being male and my height, my chance of making it to 90 is a lot lower than some than a woman or even a man who's of average height, unfortunately. So may, maybe fewer years left on this radio show than you think. Anyway, when you when you see people in your own industry who in many cases live a lifestyle similar to yours, though in my case there's no alcohol or drugs, so I can hang my hat on that one. But, uh, um, you know, I, I don't eat very healthy. And uh, I don't exercise as much as would be recommended. I, I, I don't get no exercise. That, that wouldn't be an accurate statement. I do get some, just not as much as I should probably at this age. So, uh, you know, and that and, and, and just being a tall man. So, yeah, it makes me think, hey, you know, I, I hope I don't become part of that statistic. And just because I don't have the alcohol or drug problem and never will, that doesn't make me feel that much better because there's other factors here that can do that. Then also you can just run really bad. Like uh, <laughs> Willie McFML sent me a message. You're scaring me. How long do I have at six foot three? <laughs> well, Willie, you're, you're fortunate. I think you're 10 years younger than me. So if you think about that, you think about like, I'm sitting here right now, and, and you're 10 years younger than I am. So you've got that. You've got like 10 years before you even get to the point where I am. Uh, the, the ones who are really kind of screwed, the, like the basketball players, like people like, like Shaquille O'Neal, like the really tall, big ones, a lot of them can die very early. Like Will Chamberlain died early. Uh, but, but the human body is not really made to handle that type of size and that type of height. I'm talking about the really tall people, not just the somewhat tall people like me. I'm talking about like the basketball type tall. Uh, they they really could go anytime. They really will have an uphill battle to make it very old. Though somehow Bill Russell's he's he's still around, right? He's he's pretty old now. It's a surprise. Yeah, how, how old Bill Russell is. Talking about the basketball player, not the baseball player. Yeah, Bill. Kareem. Yeah, Kareem. Yeah, he's made it a while too. Yeah, that's true. They're, they're lucky. Yeah, Bill Russell is six foot ten, and he is uh, eighty four. Boy, he's lucky. <laughs> there, Will. You can feel better. Bill Russell is six foot ten, and he's eighty four. That makes me look like an idiot saying all this, but but no, really. Look at it's true that uh, as far as making it very old, the chance of uh, you know making it really old is if you're tall and male, it's much lower. But it shows, you know, like the really tall ones are they're they're really in danger and, and yet Bill Russell, here he is, he's gonna he just turned eighty four. Six for ten. Kareem, as you as you said, he's uh he's not that old, but uh what is he, uh getting near seventy? I think he's around close to seventy, let me see. Kareem was born in nineteen forty seven. Yes, he's seventy, I guess it's right. That'll be seventy one very soon. I think Manute Ball passed away last year, if I recall. Yeah. In the last year or two. Yeah. Manute Ball was, uh, he did die. He was seven foot seven, so he was really giant. 
and he was only 48 or 47. So that that's an example. That's uh but he's really really tall. I mean, 7 foot 7 is uh He was actually the uh the tallest player ever in the NBA though. George Mergeon was about the same height. I think he's still alive. George Mergeon, he was in the that remember that movie My Giant with Billy Crystal? He was actually the giant. He's still alive, but he's only 47. He's only a year older than me. Uh, the tallest man ever, I don't know if you guys know this, the tallest man ever was 8 foot 11. And he only lived to 23. And he had some kind of disease, I think a foot disease, some disease that caused his body to never stop growing. So he grew till the day he died. Usually you're not growing at 23. It'd be very, very rare to be growing at 23, no matter how tall you are. But uh, your, your body can still be developing somewhat, but it, it's uh, height-wise you're never growing at 23. But he was because he had some disease, and that's what, uh, you know, that's what caused him to be this height. Uh, he, but he was 8 foot 11, and I don't even believe he could walk anymore by that point. He had all kinds of problems related to his height. But yeah, he only made it to 23 years old. Almost 9 feet tall, though. And I don't think ever any. I don't think anyone's ever been that cl- even close to that height. I think that's he, he's the tallest man ever by a wide margin. I'm forgetting his name. I hadn't thought of him in a while until Benjamin asked me. This is a typical question for a kid. You know, what's the tallest man ever? And uh, Benjamin was guessing. You know, maybe someone was twelve feet or fifteen feet, and I had to explain to him. There's no chance that would ever happen. But I told him there's one almost nine feet. But why that was not good. Anyway, uh, if, if you play poker and you uh, engage in uh, lifestyles which are unhealthy, just just be aware that of the people who uh, who die early. If you want to try to buck the trend before you get too old and it becomes harder, uh, maybe consider changing some lifestyle elements to perhaps live longer. So. Let's see here. Oh, oh, I think I think uh, Bobby Orr. I think he did it. He may have found the episode with Paul Magriel. I see. I looked and I couldn't find it. What's this doing here? It just hold on. Ah, oh, boy. This is on some shady site that's like not. It's one of these shady sites where you're supposed to. It's, it's not a legal site. It's it's like ShareMovies.net. It's one of these pirated movie sites. So it's it's trying to open up other browsers and trying to tell me I need to download their special movie player, which is in reality a, a malware or a virus, and to keep closing it. Let's see here. I'm going to try to play it. See, I, I think this may be a trick. No, I'm not, I mean, I appreciate it being sent to me, but I'm, oh, here we go. No, it's working. Okay. So I'm going to try to play this and skip around. Again, this is on a shady, illegal site, so... I'll see what I can do. And it keeps popping up with the crap when I try to play it. Ugh, here it goes again. See, if I had found this myself earlier, I could have prepared it. But I, I was having trouble finding it. But, uh, you know, let's see if I can fast forward it all. See, every time I try to mess with the controls, it pops something up. So it shows the customer. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha. 
Men are weird. <laughs> They're, you know what? They're interesting. She's a working girl. Welcome to the McKinney Ridge. Everyone does it. We're just smart enough to get paid for it. <laughs> She's so tall and beautiful. And the pussy gets sick. Hello. Yes, I sell my body. Yes, I enjoy it. Why not? I was always told by my parents, if you got it, flaunt it. Mm. Whatever these girls are now, this is it back in 09. <laughs> uh, but I, I think... Oh, okay. He, see, he found a. I think he. I think he found this on a better site. I kind of want to find the part with Paul Magriel now. I couldn't hear, by the way, Jeff. I couldn't hear it. Okay, you weren't. No, it's his bad request. It's not even working. Well, um, let me see if I can fast forward this at all. Find Paul. I know you think I can satisfy your soul. He had a little bit of a hard time. That happens every once in a while. <laughs> that wasn't about Paul, by the way. That was some other guy. He had a little bit of a hard time. That, that, that would suck if you if you paid for it and then had a hard time. I, I guess it's not a hard time in that case. You hear that part, Trader Risky? I did. <laughs> okay. He said that, you know, he was a little bit nervous since I was, you know, somebody new and everything else. They're in a brothel with, with a complete stranger who's who's sexy and beautiful and turned on and and wants to have sex with them. And sometimes they're not used to that. So what I did was I tried some of that Viagra. Oh, really? It's just like a pump. It moves all your blood down. Awesome. Or at the so did you take some? Yeah, I took yeah. Half hour ago. Viag is just as much mental as it is physical. It said, okay, "Hang on, so wh- why do these guys agree to be on this? Like they were just showing him in in, in a bedroom at one of these cat houses with uh, one of the girls discussing Viagra. Why do the guys agree to be on camera doing this? What are, are they getting paid? Like, I, if I went to one of these things, there's no way I would ever want to be on camera doing it." Even if it wasn't showing me having sex, I wouldn't want to even be on camera being shown as like a a customer of these places. Hmm. Uh, I, I like how the girls say, oh, you know, they're not used to being with a girl who's turned on and wants to be with them. That's such BS. These girls are never turned on by you. But I guarantee, well, not never, but not usually, in, in the vast majority of cases here, the girl you are paying to have sex with you, whether legal or illegal, is not turned on a bit. It's a business transaction. They don't care. Uh, which can go two ways. It's it's. I guess it's good if you're not very attractive. You don't have to worry about the girl being into you, you know, like being attracted to you. Because the truth is, uh, even a good-looking guy, she's probably not going to be into. She's going to be so detached from it that she's as long as you smell okay and are pleasant enough, it's all the same to her. I guess that's the good part. The bad part is she doesn't give a crap that she's there and has no enthusiasm. She may fake enthusiasm, but believe me, she has no, no enthusiasm. So it's so funny how she's saying, oh, they're just not used to the girls being just yeah, so turned on and just wanting to be with them. No, the girls want to – the only thing they're turned on is the size of your wallet. Extra edge. I want to have a turbocharger on my Corvette. It's like the extra energy. That stuff is awesome, man. <laughs> it'll, it'll keep you going. I mean it keeps the, the erection. 
Certainly. But they're medicated, so at that point they don't get to just orgasm when they're feeling it. It gives you confidence. It gives you stamina. Maybe, maybe they don't even need it, but it's just mentally it works for them. That's not true. Uh, actually, it causes a physical reaction. And uh, that's what makes it work. It actually doesn't... Viagra doesn't make you turned on. It just makes it to where you can physically perform. Let's take a call here. Why not? Why not? Are we re- we're not really interrupting anything, so why not? Caller, you're on the air. Caller. Todd? Yes. It's Bobby Orr. Hi. That's that. Thank you for that link. I'm not sure if that's the one with Paul Magrio. Are you going to tell me where he is in there? Uh, Steve Zolotow is at 202. Mm, okay. Well, let me, let me go. Let me try to find If you, you right-click the picture... And then click where it says uh, view video. It'll take you to that link I tried to send you to that wouldn't work. So right-click it. You'll see the the uh, menu come up, and then click view video. And it'll take you to just the video without all the ads and shit. Oh, okay. Well, hold on. Uh, so, well, here I see. So you, you're right about the, you're right about Zolotel. I just rewound it back to 202, and it very clearly sees Zolotel is in my in my face here. Yeah. Okay. So, but yep. if you right-click it, you'll be able to go right through the video without having all those pop-ups and stuff. So you right-click it and then click where it says view video halfway down. You click the video? Yeah, click the picture itself, right-click it, Oh, no, it's already, and then it's, it'll bring up a menu and you'll see the thing that says view video. Click that and it'll just take you to the video without all the other crap. Okay, I'm trying that, but it's, it's the same bad request. It's not working for me. Okay. Well, anyway. Okay. Well, uh, I, I get it with just the video, it's like a nice screen, just a video, no ads, nothing. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, on Chrome, it's failing. But okay. Yeah. Uh, well, if, uh, okay. now have you found uh, Magriel? I found Zolotel for sure at two o two. Yeah, I'll keep looking. I'll uh, post it into the your PM. But yeah, I just found him now. So. Okay. Well, th- thank you for finding this here. <laughs> uh, All right. But by the way, he po- did you post in the chat room the, the link to this? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and by the way, for anybody who uh, who plays this, do if it tells you to install a player, you need to install a player. You don't. Do not install the player. It'll it'll be uh, malware in your computer. Yeah, just well, you have to close a couple of pop-ups. Yeah, yeah you, it, right. It won't give you malware by just playing it, but 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 if it tells you install such and such, do not do, install nothing. Trust me. Okay. And if you look at the bottom, uh, anyone who's interested, uh, go like just go down a little bit. All fourteen episodes or whatever, or you can see them <laughs> on that site that okay. I just sent. Yeah. Well, very good. Thank you for finding this. All right. All right. What's happening, Bobby? Hey, Terry Ruski. Good luck. All right. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Okay, bye. So there's Zolotel. I don't know if I want to keep searching for uh, Paul Magriel, but uh, he was there. He was, he was in that episode. Like I, I saw it like a long time ago. I definitely saw it. This this, this one tall girl in it does look super tall. I don't. The guys kind of look short, too, but she looks like a giant. So she, I think she has like very high heels on, too. Let me see here. There's like the tall one again. Here's a black one. Here's actually a guy having. Oh, this is weird. A guy's actually having sex. Let me get to this. <laughs> Can you hear this? The music's hilarious. Hold on. I'm gonna. You know you can't hear. I'm gonna put it on. I'm gonna, no, I can't. I I'm can. gonna put it on for you. I, I want to hear this music. This is this is like a a black girl having sex with a old fat white guy. Keep on churning till the butter comes. Keep on churning till the butter comes. Keep on 
keep on pumping, make the butter flow. <laughs> keep on churning until the butter comes. That's disturbing. That's hilarious. Wipe off the fowl and churn some more. Jeez, oh, okay. Yeah, is there a lot of oral sex here? This, I don't know. I, I don't find this a turn on at all to watch. It's kind of sad. Alrighty. So apparently, uh, Steve Zolotow and uh, Paul Magrillen were in those rooms uh, as well. Okay. So, uh, did, did you, uh, Trader Whiskey? Did you lose some chips? Yeah, I lost lost some, but I'm still in second. Okay. Uh, Eric just said, no, nothing will make me happier than if Trader Whiskey bubbles now. Why does it got to be all that? That was not hate That was not hate to the service, just the commercial. It's, it's hate by proxy. Okay, so let, let's see what else we got here. As much as I, like to I play- can argue that the conversation that we had before the commercial was more effective than the commercial. Maybe. Okay, let me go to the uh, next question, where actually Eric Benzamokin had a little bit of input. He texted me before the show when he saw the agenda. Someone wanted to know about uh, what happens if they roll America's card room. Can America's card room do anything to them if they live in the U.S.? So I'm going to read you the exact question that someone posted. And uh, then I'll give you the answer. And then I'll also give you some additional information provided to me by Eric Benzamokin, who is an attorney and... uh, from the legal standpoint, even knows better than I do. I, I knew more from kind of the practical standpoint and some of the reasons surrounding that, but I did not know the uh, exact legal language about it, which uh, I will read you as well that Eric sent me. So someone posted, I just deposited on America's card room last night $150. Lost it, no big deal. They contacted me by email today saying that my visa will not approve their transaction and recommending other ways to deposit. I'm going to pay them, but I started thinking, what if I just stiff them? Can they sue me here in the United States? What real legal action could they take against me? I've never had a problem with my deposits, so I've never really thought about it. So this actually comes up more than you think it does. Uh, You have to understand that when you deposit to America's card room, America's card room is not processing your transaction. Uh, They have a third-party payment processor that actually is taking a, a pretty big risk that processes your payment and tricks your bank into thinking that you're buying something on the internet, not rather than online gambling. And these payment processors are very shady. They're usually based in other countries. And they will send a signal over to America's card room, either yes, the deposit worked, or no, it did not. So if they send the, if they send the signal to America's card room saying yes, it worked, then America's card room credits you the money. If they send the signal to them saying, no, it did not work, then you're told deposit failed. Okay. Now, sometimes the deposit will appear to have worked initially, but then the bank will end up declining it later, such as if the bank figures out it's a gambling transaction or so, something. You know, just because it, it gets accepted at the moment, that doesn't mean they instantly get paid. So something happened with this deposit that was no fault of the person who asked this question, no fault of the, of the player or the customer. To where the payment processor initially thought they could process that $150 on his visa, but then could not. So they probably told America's card room, you know what, we couldn't actually collect this $150. We thought we could, but we uh, we gave you a message that was premature. 
uh, please collect the 150 back from the person because they uh, they didn't actually deposit. It was declined. So America's Card Room then went to this person and said, hey, you know, you owe us 150 bucks, so here's some ways you can send it. So as the guy asked at this point, what if he says, F you, I'm not sending you anything? What if uh, he just decides to stiff them? And he lost the money, so it's not even like they could take anything from him. He's, he has zero on the site. So what if uh, he tells America's Card Room that he's going to send them Zero point zero. Could they do anything? Now, we're not going to really focus much on the ethical aspect of this. Uh, Is he ripping off America's card room? He definitely is. Is he cheating them? He definitely is. Do they deserve to be cheated, given all that uh, they've done recently, or shall I say not done, regarding all the bots and colluders and everything else, all all the gripes that have been raised, which seem to have some validity by Chicago joe and others? Uh, is it possible that a company like that, they, they don't really deserve it, and uh, that ripping them off of $150, they, they kind of, uh, kind of what they get? I can understand the argument for that. I personally have never ripped off an online poker site like that. I've When I've deposited and I've lost, even if I'm never planning to play there again, I don't try to charge it back. I don't try to get out of it. I take my lumps. I accept the fact that I lost the money, and that's that. And I've always been that way. Uh, however, I will say... That doesn't apply to this situation, but if uh, if they are trying to screw me in any way, I will rescrew them. For example, if I were to deposit $150 and they charge me $180, and there's no yeah, there's no fee for the deposit. You know, let's say I deposit no fee, $150, and they charge me $180, and it's not from any kind of foreign transaction fee. It's just the the, the processor skimmed another $30 from me, which which happens a lot these days. And let's say they refused to do anything about it. Let's say they say, F you, tough luck. You know, we're not doing anything. You know, it's on you. Um, I might very well consider charging back the whole amount and screwing them. Why? Because if you try to steal from me, I may try to re-steal from you. And I will do so with no guilt. Basically, it's the equivalent of if you punch me, I may punch you back harder. And I'm not going to feel bad if my punch that I threw was harder than the one you threw, and it hurts you more. That's, that's the financial equivalent of that, where uh, I'm not going to go to the credit card company and say, oh, just, just charge back this extra 30 that they ripped me off. No, I may just charge back the whole thing and say, screw you. That's the same reason I like to say I never pay incorrect bills. I'll sometimes get a bill from a company where there's a mistake on it. They're fighting with me about the mistake, but they want me to pay the, the undisputed amount. You know, they, if, 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 the, if they want me to pay uh, – I'm talking about it unrelated to poker. You know, a company, they, they want me to pay $230. I say the bill should be 190 And uh, they say, well, how, since you agree it's 190 send the 190 and then we'll, we'll discuss the other 40 later. I say, absolutely not. I send you nothing until we agree on the amount. So uh, similarly, if, if, if a company actually tries to stiff me – or I get stiffed and they don't care and will not make it right, if I have a way to screw them back, I will do so. Um, I once put out a, an I once put out a hypothetical. Um, if you came into my house and stole $1,000 from me, let's say I left my door open and you just came in and stole $1,000 sitting there. Let's say I have proof. Let's say I saw you... Uh, let's say I saw you do it and run out with it, but I didn't have any... 
like proof in my head, but I, I couldn't prove it to the to the police. I just saw you. I didn't have you on video. Okay. And then you run back to your house, and uh, with my thousand dollars that I saw you steal, I go over to confront you, and you don't realize I saw you. And what you did is you foolishly put out my $1,000 next to $1,000 of your own as well. So you have 2000 sitting out there. And I come to your house, and I, and I barge in and say, give me back my money, and you're gone. You've, you've gone out somewhere. You think I'm going to take just my 1000 back? Uh-uh. I'm going to take your 2000 Why? Because screw you. Because if you stole 1000 from me, and I know it 100%, I will feel totally justified of stealing an additional 1000 from you in the process of getting back my 1000 But... If it's, this had never happened, and I walked into your house when you weren't there, and I saw $1,000 on the table, I would never think of stealing it from you. I wouldn't even think of it. Because that would be very wrong. But if you had just stolen from me, and I had an opportunity to not only get back what you stole, but, but steal something additional from you, you better, you better believe I'd do it. Some people wouldn't. Some people say, oh, two wrongs don't make a right. And I can understand that, but that's, that's not the way I operate. If uh, So similarly here, uh, with America's card room, if, if they did screw you in some way, and I don't mean because you think you're, you know, oh, you know, my aces got cracked on the river to, against pocket deuces. It's rigged. I don't mean like that. That's, that's, that's not proof they screwed you. That's just bad luck. I'm talking, or, or just, you know, so just if you have some kind of abstract belief that they're allowing bots to run there and it's affected you in some way, uh that's that's not a good enough reason. Now, with all the stuff Chicago Joey is presenting and the fact that there probably is a lot of botting and they're not doing anything about it, if you want to say, well, if you want to kind of extend it to say, okay, well, they're kind of screwing all players in general, so if I can screw them, fine. I can understand that. I personally wouldn't do it at this point if it didn't really involve me and it's not super egregious, like super using or not paying people. But, um, yeah, would. uh if you really want to go the, the most moral way here, if, if you're going to screw them, is, is, is take the money you actually legitimately lost, get it back from them if you feel that they've done something wrong to warrant that, and then give it to charity. Then you don't gain. A charity gains, and the company which doesn't deserve the money doesn't gain. But uh, we're, we're digressing here. Let's get back to the legal consequences because that's, that's really what the segment's about. So let's just say it's just someone this, – this guy who's posting is not even saying he has a right to do it. In fact, he's even saying he agrees it's wrong to do. Okay, So he just wants to screw them. He just wants to steal 150 from them maybe, even though he knows it's wrong. So if you did it, what would happen to you? Because he said that they're contacting him. They're not threatening him yet, but they're contacting him, telling him to, to deposit it. So here's the answer. The answer is no, they can't do anything. The answer is they have no legal power. The answer is that they are operating an illegal gambling site in the U.S. This is considered an uncollectible gambling debt, and they cannot legally compel you to pay, even if you agreed online to pay, even if they can try to present signed documents of yours to pay. They cannot legally compel you to pay, nor can they successfully put this on your credit. Uh, furthermore, they have chargebacks all the time. They have these situations all the time. And they just eat it because it's kind of the cost of doing business. Uh, that's not really a reason to do it or not to do it. I'm just telling you for a fact that happens a lot. 
But as far as whether you can do it and get away with it, yes, but you'll never play there again because they will ban you. And if you somehow sneak on there and play again in the future and they catch you, they may take all your money. So if you do that, be aware you're never coming back to that site. And there's even a chance that they will eventually cooperate with one another. So like other sites such as Bovada, they could even ban you if if uh, you know, they create some kind of blacklist together. So is that worth $150? Probably not, unless you're really, really, really done with poker playing forever online. I would suggest not doing it. I would suggest just if you lose, pay it. That's what I've always done. And I've, I've had issues with various companies. But uh, I've never stiffed any of them. But nothing will happen. Now, let me tell you what Eric Benzamokin said about this. Because he, he saw us on the agenda. He didn't even know what I was going to say. But he, he answered the question for me anyway. And he sent me a link. He said it would fall under the doctrine of unclean hands... U.S. courts will not reward bad behavior with a remedy. And then he gave me a link on uh, dictionary.law.com. This is what uh, unclean hands is defined as. A legal doctrine, which is a defense to a complaint, which states that a party who is asking for a judgment cannot have the help of a court if he or she has done something unethical in relation to the subject of the lawsuit. Thus, if a defendant can show the plaintiff had unclean hands, the plaintiff's complaint will be dismissed or the plaintiff will be denied judgment. So, so that's basically saying here that if America's card room is operating illegally and running, offering an illegal gambling service, they have unclean hands. And then they can't go to the court and say, oh, we're running an illegal gambling site, but hey, can you help us uh, collect this judgment from someone who screwed us? The court's response would be, no, you're running illegally, so no, we are not helping enforce a judgment, similar to where... Um, if uh, a drug dealer sells you drugs and then you don't pay him for the drugs, you know, let's say he sells you drugs, he's all, you know, I'll, I'll give you $1,000 of the drugs I just bought, I'll, I'll give it to you tomorrow, and then you don't ever pay him. He can't sue you for that $1,000. It's very similar. So, I, Isn't that what Judge Judy used against uh, Ken Skinner? Yes, actually it I is. I think she said he had dirty hands. Yes, yes, sure. yes, it is. Now, I didn't agree with that one because she was. this was unrelated. This was uh, This was an unrelated situation. In fact, he had already won in court over the thing about the illegal roommate. So that's why I, I didn't understand that because he had already defeated that eviction in court. So his hands actually were clean. It, it wasn't up to her to retry in her mind the eviction situation when he had already won when he was suing a roommate who had not paid him. So that was why I felt that she was very much in the wrong. But yes, that is, you, you are correct that that is exactly what she was trying to use. In fact, Judge Judy loves to talk about unclean hands. Uh, that's one of her favorite things to say when she rules against uh, a plaintiff. And she likes this, you know, if, if, if ever someone goes in her court and claims that they want to get uh, a judgment and along the way they had done something unethical or illegal to lead to being owed that money, she always denies it and talks about unclean hands. So she seems obsessed with it to the point where I think she's wrong sometimes. But but yes, that, that was what she used in the Kent Scaler case. And I, I thought of that as soon as Eric sent it to me too. So, uh, so they can't touch you. And... Uh, 
you have to think if you ever consider doing something like this, do you ever want to play on that site again? And are you okay with the possibility of these sites cooperating one day and putting you on a blacklist to where you can't play on any sites? Now, this would never affect your ability to play on legal sites. Like they're not going to they're not going to go tell WSOP.com not to let you play. But uh, the illegal ones could cooperate with a blacklist. In fact, they could even have payment processors cooperating with a blacklist, where the payment processors simply won't process your payment because they'll see you, you screwed them before on, on a different site. You screwed another processor before on a different site. So uh, that's another reason to be careful about this, even if you're ethically okay with screwing the online poker site, that you better be okay with never playing again. So I wanted to answer that question. So you, you may get sometimes threats that's going to go on your credit or uh, they're going to sue you or, or, or you're going to be responsible for attorney's fees. There's all types of scare tactics they can use. and you, you, As far as that's concerned, you can tell them to go stuff it. That none of that's true. But again, if you legitimately lost the money, you should just pay. That's, that's the truth here. And I always have. Uh, again, the one exception is if they, they really did cheat you in some way. Like what I gave you where they overcharge you for the deposit and won't make it right. If you want to charge the whole thing back at that point, you have my blessing. In fact, I when, when Bodog did this to me or Bovada did this to me, I threatened exactly that. I said either you make it right and charge me what I was told I'm going to be charged or I will charge the whole thing back. It was actually an idle threat. I wasn't going to really do it because I didn't want to ban myself from there since there's very few places to still play Limit Hold'em. But I, I was threatening that because uh, I wanted them to understand that, that that I only pay correct bills. Otherwise, I charge it back. And uh, this isn't a matter where I'm just deciding for myself that uh, you know they owe me a certain amount back because I feel like it. When they say we're charging your credit card $560 and I get charged $580 and they won't make the, the difference right, and I prove to them it was on their end, and they still won't make it right, then they're stealing from me. So that's when I say, you know what? Okay, well, I might charge back the whole thing. And I'll feel perfectly fine with doing so. Perfectly fine. I've, I've told this story before also with, with Donkdown, uh, which is a previous site that I was part of and partially owned prior to Poker Fraud Alert. We had hired some designers from uh, another country to make the site look better, kind of a redesign of the site. But they they were not honest with their abilities, and the whole thing was a fail. The problem was the person who paid them, which wasn't me, uh, paid them for that and another job after that, an SEO job after that, which was a mistake. And I didn't know about this till it was too late. You never pay two jobs in advance because uh, of exactly what happened. When the first job went bad, they didn't want to give back the money for the second job. And being in another country, we really had no power. Uh, so they agreed. We'll, you know, we even said, look, we'll pay for the whole first job, even though the whole thing was a failure. We will pay for it anyway. However, give us back the money for the second one, which you haven't even started yet. And the guy said back, nope, you will get back half the money from the second one. We charge a 50% kill fee, they said. Why? Because they were holding our money. Well, what they did not know was that this was originally charged in American Express, which has a very, very liberal chargeback policy. At least they did back then. I don't know if they still do. And six months after the fact, believe it or not, 
uh, we were able to charge it back on American Express, who then sent the guy our statement of facts and said, okay, what's your rebuttal to this? And this guy tried to send back a rebuttal, and American Express ruled in our favor and gave us the entire amount back. So now remember, we had agreed, even though we couldn't use any of the work they did, so we had to throw it all away, but we agreed that we would pay him for the, for the job that they tried to do in full and just wanted the money back for the job they hadn't started yet. However, we got the whole thing back. So I said he should get nothing. They should get absolutely nothing since they tried to cheat us out of the second job. We didn't have any agreement for that kill fee. The, 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 the second thing was paid in advance just out of good faith. It was not, there was no requirement to pay in advance. We didn't get any discount paying in advance. It, it shouldn't have been done. Okay? They tried to just steal it. They tried to kind of compel us into doing the second job by taking half of it, feeling like we're pot committed. So I said, okay, this is what you get. You tried to steal from us. Now you're getting nothing. And I felt very good about that. Whereas had that not happened and had he just given back the entire money for the second job, it kind of sucked that the first job, you know, we paid for and didn't get to use the work. But, uh, you know, at least they tried. At least I, I felt bad that they did as much work as they did. They tried and they just couldn't get it right. That's why I said, let's just do the, let's do the nice thing here and just pay them for it anyway. Even though they misrepresented their abilities, they tried very hard. They put a lot of hours into it. Fine. Pay them for it. But not for the second thing they hadn't started or even thought of starting. So uh, we took back the whole thing and never gave them a dime. And I said, this is what you get. You treat people fairly, you get treated fairly. You try to steal from people, you're sometimes left holding nothing. One of my favorite stories from a ki- being a kid, and it still sticks with me today, is a story of the dog and the bone. And there's a dog that is holding a bone that he loves. And he goes up to a lake, a very uh, reflective lake. And the dog looks down and sees another dog holding the bone, which is really just his own reflection. So the dog gets greedy and thinks, wow, that second bone looks just as good as my first one. If I had two bones, that would really be great. So I'm going to scare this dog. I'm going to growl at him, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make him drop his bone and take it from him. And the dog growled, and the other dog growled back, because it was, of course, his own reflection. And he tried to make angry-looking gestures and faces, and this dog in the lake did the same thing back to him. So the dog finally said, all right, I'm going to bark at him really loud. And he let out a big bark, and of course, when he barked so loud, he opened his mouth and the bone fell into the water. And he looked down, and the dog in the lake also had no bone. And he realized it was him. And now, in his attempt to get two bones, which he didn't really deserve, now he had zero. And I think of that in these situations. I remember seeing it as like a five-year-old, and I said, wow, that's a cool lesson. I, I like that when I first saw it. I, I, I like when someone attempts to do something unethical and end up getting a kick in the ass for it. Not just they fail. They fail and get a kick in the ass for it. Okay, so... Along those same lines, let's talk about poker stars and whether they should have a right to enter California if the online poker market in California ever comes to be. It's been seven years since Black Friday. Next month, it will be seven years since Black Friday. Can you believe that? Seven years. I remember when that happened, and I said, okay, there's there's some 
silver lining to this in that maybe this will speed up the legalization of online poker. And I said, wouldn't it be great if online poker got legalized, even on a state level? And I said, well, maybe it's going to take some time. Maybe we won't be able to play online poker until something like 2014 in California. But whenever it is, I look forward to it. I I would have never thought when I was talking about that, we'd be sitting here in March 2018, no closer to legalization of online poker in California than we were on Black Friday. And we're really not. It's not because the state doesn't want it. It's because of an ongoing battle between two factions. The pro-Poker Stars Indian Tribes and Card Rooms and the anti-Poker Stars Indian Tribes and Card Rooms. Because Poker Stars wants to be in the California market, which California has, uh, I believe, about one-eighth of the U.S. population, somewhere around there. One-eighth, one-ninth, a lot, more than like 35 million people are in California now. Very, very big market. So Poker Stars wants to enter that market. And those who have contracts with companies which are not Poker Stars don't want Poker Stars in the market because Poker Stars has the best software, they have the best brand recognition, and it is perceived probably correctly that they will have an edge just for being Poker Stars. So, of course, their competitors don't want to see them there. And the casinos and card rooms contracting with poker stars want to see them there. That's obvious. The problem is this has caused an endless battle in California that just never, never gets solved. And once again, 2018's legislative session is going to close without an online poker bill. And the reason I know this already in early March is that these things all have to be submitted early in the year. Okay, So it's it's not going to happen this year. There's going to be, forget no online poker that's legal in California. There won't be even a law passed in 2018 to make online poker legal in California. The entire year of 2018 is going going to go through without such a law being passed. I can tell you this already on March 7, 2018, and it's very sad. So, Doug Polk recently tweeted about the PPA. It was an anti-PPA tweet that he wrote. It started out sounding like it was kind of pro-PPA, and then he did a a turn in the middle of the tweet once he grabbed your attention that it became anti-PPA. This is what Doug Polk tweeted. The PPA definitely... The PPA desperately needs money and might collapse. I'd feel better trying to help if these weren't some of the same people who lobbied against online poker in California two years ago. Why'd they do that? It would have shut out poker stars from the market if passed. So at first it sounds like he was concerned for the PPA running out of money, which they are, because poker stars isn't paying for them anymore. But then he went on to mention that he doesn't want to support them or save them because they rejected a they, they rejected a online poker being legalized in California if it was going to shut out poker stars basically he's saying that the PPA came out against legalizing online poker if poker stars had to be shut out so he also wrote this is the level of monopoly we deal with in the poker community even even they lobby for online poker 
is against online poker if it hurts PokerStars business. Thanks for fighting the good fight there, PPA. Of course, he's saying that sarcastically. So, Doug Polk was saying, basically, any group that would oppose legalizing online poker in any way, shape, or form does not deserve our support. Since the PPA opposed legalizing online poker in California if PokerStars was not to be part of the market, (coughs) sorry about that, then he does not support the PPA and does not feel that they were supporting the players. And in fact, they were just supporting their corporate overlords at PokerStars, which is true. PokerStars and Full Tilt comprised 99% of the PPA's funding for many years. Then Full Tilt fell by the wayside, and PokerStars pretty much became their entire funding. Now PokerStars has cut their funding. In fact, there's no funding anymore. So now the PPA has no money, and they're desperately begging for money and also trying to get in other industries, such as sports betting and daily fantasy sports, to where perhaps they can get money from companies in those industries to fight for them. So let's look at whether poker stars should be part of the market. Because some of those some people who were arguing in defense of the PPA here, not everybody agreed with, with Doug Polk. Some people who were arguing with Doug Polk's view here said that uh, California should not be passing bad law that uh, creates an uneven playing field. Steve Badger said, the PPA's job is to get what is best for players, and that is choice. California has a long history of battles between the card rooms and tracks and some of the rural tribes who want an unfair playing field or monopoly. So he basically feels that uh, the, the PPA should not have supported that law in 2015, because it, was, it would have uh, shut out poker stars, and why should poker stars be shut out? He's saying you know, they, they should be passing good law, not, not laws which are, are, are partially good for players, but are also very unfair and, and, and creating uh, monopolies or, or uh, pseudo-monopolies, which uh, shouldn't really exist. So I guess Steve Badger's point was do it right or don't do it at all, and that it's bad for players if they do it wrong. Well, others argued back with Steve Badger, including Steve Ruddock, known as Steve-O on this site. Uh, and, and basically the response is that players in California overwhelmingly would rather have some online poker rather than no online poker. So while, yes, most players would rather poker stars and everyone else were in the market, that if it's, the choice is between no poker stars but everybody else in California or just no online poker, period, just about every online poker player in California would say, okay, well, let's have everybody else. Now, that does not mean that that's fair, necessarily, and, and I'll, I'll argue shortly whether that's fair or not, but, but at least for poker players, definitely it's beneficial for them to have some online poker at this point. You can't say this is for the players that, that we're stalling online poker year after year after year, so poker stars can eventually come in. That's not fair. You should, it shouldn't stall everything. Even if you want to argue it's unfair to poker stars, it is not good for the players that all online poker is being shut out of California while this is being figured out. 
So that's the first thing. If you're saying, oh, it's for the players, oh, the players want this. No, the players don't. The players want to play online poker. Ideally, with poker stars, but they want to play online poker first and foremost. And the PPA opposing that because their corporate overlords at poker stars wanted them to oppose that because they were going to be shut out of the market. That goes against the interests of the players. And that's the truth. So Doug Polk is right. What I tweeted in response to what Doug Polk wrote, I tweeted in agreement. And uh, let me go back here. I tweeted, poker stars deserve to be blocked or at least delayed to enter the market. They had nearly a decade-long head start in the market through operating illegally. That shouldn't be rewarded in the regulated market as it's not fair to the others. PPA has long represented poker stars. So then someone responded back, someone named uh, Patrick Bergen responded back to me and said, Wait, Todd, deserve to be blocked? Did they not pay poker players money they were owed from full tilt? They also paid hundreds of millions as a plea deal. I'd say they paid them... They paid for their mistake already. Why penalize them again? And I said back, the plea deal was to get out of criminal and further civil penalties for what they did. And what they did was operate illegally in the U.S. That deal did not grant them the ability to crush more legitimate companies going forward because of the marketplace advantage their law-breaking gained them. Now, when I say legitimate companies, I don't mean that PokerStars is an illegitimate company. I mean, what I mean is that they were operating illegally very clearly for four and a half years between October 2006 and April 2011. PokerStars was definitely operating illegally in the United States. No question. And they've admitted this. During that time, plus the time before that, where they were in what's known as gray market status, that means they weren't. Ex- it wasn't expressly illegal, but it, it wasn't really legal either. Uh, they had a huge head start on companies that had to follow the law, companies that were based in the U.S., companies that weren't based in the U.S. but didn't, didn't want to screw around after the UIGEA was passed, like Party Poker. A lot of companies that could have built a much, much bigger market, much, much bigger brand recognition, had much, much more money to develop better software, better promotions, better brand recognition, better loyalty, couldn't do it. Because they bailed out of the U.S. market because they were following the law. So now PokerStars is the world leader in online poker, partially because they had this head start being willing to break the law. Now, there are some people who responded saying, but it's an unjust law. The law was unfair. They had a right to break it. No, they didn't. You don't have a right to break laws that you just decide for yourself are unfair. You can do it. Like If I'm driving down the street and I, and I run into an area with an artificially low speed limit, that they set because they want ticket revenue. So they know it's safe to drive 45 on that road, but they lower it to 25 just knowing that a lot of people are going to speed and a lot of people are going to end up getting tickets there, a lot more than if the speed limit was 45. So they artificially set it to 25. And I see that and I go, screw that. I know the safe speed is not 25 here. I know it's 45. I'm going to drive 45. F them. And I do that. Am I a bad person to do that? No. Do I feel bad about doing that? No. But what if I get pulled over and get a ticket? Do you think I have a legal right to get out of that ticket at that point? No. The city set the, the speed limit at 25, and I can try to fight the ticket. But ultimately, if I lose in court, which I probably would, I would have to pay the ticket. 
So you, you never have a right, even if the law is unjust or, or passed for bad reasons, you never have a right as a citizen to just say, or, or, or even as, as, a, as a corporate citizen, and just say, well, uh, we don't believe in this. We think it's unjust. We're just going to break it. We're not talking morally here. We're, we're actually talking about uh, you know, whether you have a right to do that. You don't have a right to do that. And the problem is that there's consequences for doing that. And some companies care about consequences of breaking laws, and some don't. So if you're a company abroad that doesn't have much to lose at the time uh, and a lot more to gain, then yeah, keep breaking the law because there's so much to gain. PokerStars was not going to bail out at that point because they, they saw the upside of continuing was, was – uh, very much a worthy gamble versus the downside of, of any trouble they're going to have with U.S. authorities. And indeed, they, they continued operating for four and a half more years without any problem. The problem is for the companies that choose not to break the law because they have too much to lose from breaking the law. They have consequences. They have interests in the U.S. They can't do it. So they have to follow the rules. Whether it's a good rule or a bad rule, they have to follow the rules and they fall behind. And I don't like the idea of penalizing anyone because they had to follow the rules. And that's why I don't like the... As much as I like PokerStars' product, I like their software, I just don't like the idea that they will have an edge over other companies providing online poker in California because they broke the law and the others could not. So I think that needs to be equalized in some way if we want to be fair. Would I scream from the mountaintops how awful this is if PokerStars is allowed? No, I don't care about it that much. It doesn't really affect me. So, you know, if, if PokerStars is in the market, fine. I'm not going to boycott it. I'm not going to refuse to play there. I'm not going to bitch about it over and over. But what do I think is fair? What do I think is right? I think it is to give PokerStars a timeout to legalize online poker and give the other companies maybe a year and a half, two years to catch up. Saying, poker stars, you can enter 18 months from the date the others enter. You can enter 24 months after the, the others enter. Give, it gives the others some kind of power now to get a head start on poker stars who had already gotten a head start on them. That is what I think is fair. Poker stars will not accept that. In fact, they get all obstructionist when this is suggested. They will not accept that. They will fight actually to defeat any type of legislation that is passed that would have that type of provision in it. And that is why we're spinning our wheels. Now, that's not to say the other side are a bunch of angels. They, the other side likes to say, oh, poker stars, they're so terrible. They broke, you know, look at all the laws they were breaking. And they, look, uh, you know, they, they try to make poker stars seem like, like horrible, uh, like they're awful. And yet a lot of times these, these tribes themselves... Uh, Engage in a lot of unethical behavior themselves, the ones that are criticizing PokerStar. So uh, it's a joke. Uh, PokerStar shouldn't be shut out because of they're bad, even though the current regime running PokerStars I have some issues with. But they shouldn't be shut out for that. They should be shut out temporarily so the others have a right to catch up. Because they do have that right if you want to go by what is fair. And a lot of poker players hate hearing that. Because they want poker stars back. And what about this $750 million they paid the government? Well, that was, that, they were paying that as a penalty for what they already did. That doesn't mean that going forward they get an unfair competitive advantage. They weren't buying a competitive advantage for the future. They were buying out of trouble that they had gotten into for what they did in the past. 
That is what kept Isai Scheinberg out of jail. That's what kept the government from uh, going after them further. This was a settlement of, okay, we did something bad. We're paying this fine for it. Much like in the speeding example, no matter what happened with my case there, being caught going 45 in the 25, uh, it's not going to gain me any advantage. I can't go speed on other roads and say, no, no, but I just paid a fine the other day for speeding. If anything, it would actually hurt me that I was already convicted for speeding. I couldn't say, hey, look, I, I paid a fine for it. Well, why can't I do it again? Nor, nor could I gain any other kind of advantage. So, uh, anyway, that's how I feel about that. And I, I do think the PPA, which is supposed to represent poker players, it's unconscionable that a, an organization that claimed to represent poker players could have ever opposed any legislation that would have brought online poker to California in 2015. And since they opposed that at the end of 2015, I, I think at that point you can say very safely they were not representing players. Fred Risky, you going to say something? Well, I was going to say that... I got busted second but for, uh, against side side track or side kick or side effect. There you go. So almost got there. Eric was very happy. I don't even know who side effect <laughs> is. I hope he's supposed to be playing here. I don't even know who that is. Uh, oh, wait a minute. If he's not if he's not legal, I win. <laughs> we'll have to look into it. I'm not saying he shouldn't be there. I'm not saying he should. It's kind of like poker stars. Okay, uh, Eric Benzamokin, hello. Sorry, how do you like my ad now, fucker? <laughs> <laughs> See, I was doing that for you. I thought the ad was actually hurting your business. No, come on. <laughs> I, I have to, no offense, I'm Trump. Gonna, next, next week, I'm going to put a bounty on myself. So whenever so so far the two bounties I put the guys finished first and second. Yeah, that's I like that. I don't know how that works. How, how does that keep happening? It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. What I might do at the at the World Series of Poker this year, I might actually put a bounty on myself. Just, just a fictitious bounty. Say whoever busts me gets some money. I, think I bet I'll win a bracelet. That seems to be the trick here. Just, just put a bounty on yourself and just uh, the good cards flow in. Oh, when, when, when I'm watching this go online and I'm seeing these gut shots fall and Trader Risky scooping these pots, I, I, I'm, I'm making myself sick. <laughs> I know. Plus, I had like six, <laughs> I was playing like five or six tournaments on uh, Bovada simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bust out like in six minutes. Like, there was still late reg going on when I bust out. And. <laughs> And Trader Ruski hits the gut shots like a champ. Uh, Tra- <laughs> Trader Ruski, you've been playing a lot of tournaments lately on Bovada. It seems like you always have a lot going. Are you are you like you've become like the big uh, Bovada tournament player? Are you playing them like all day and all night now? No, not all day. I work, but at night, you know, when I play, yeah, I usually play a few different tournaments. Uh, now, were you always into tournaments like this, or is this like a recent thing? The online tournaments? No, just online. No, online. I usually just play tournaments. Really? Okay. And sit and goes. I wasn't even aware of this until semi-recently when you were uh, uh, you know, doing well in some, and I, I just uh, – I, I didn't even know he did that. I didn't know he played online tournaments. I knew he played some World Series tournaments, but I didn't know he played uh, Bovada tournaments. Yep. Yeah, I've been doing pretty well lately. Okay. I, 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 I just – You know, it's great having six at a time. You know, you play live, you're one, you're out. Yeah. Well, I can understand That's that. It. I just I just couldn't get into online tournaments. It just – 
they, they always just were not appealing to me. And, and when I'd get like a free roll in one, I'd kind of, I'd kind of dread it. I'd kind of go, oh, crap, I have a $215 free roll today. That's really how I'd approach it because I just go, oh, that's a kind of a burden. I've got to sit here for hours. I'm probably just going to like make it fairly deep but not cash and I've wasted all this time. That, that's what I, always, I fear. I, I don't get excited like, oh, what if I win the first prize? I, I, I feel like I, I bet I'm going to waste six hours on this and nothing's going to come of it. That's, that's what I always think. So. Anyway, I'm glad you're doing well on that. And, uh, and Eric, thank you for the, the money here for, uh, for these various free rolls. Uh, the users all enjoyed the ability to win this money and to collude to win this money, all that. Everybody loves it. <laughs> thank you, Eric. And roll my second place in the next week's. Yeah, and and I, I've still got to meet Eric sometime. He's not even that far from me, but uh, I've got. Uh, he's got to give me some more notice. Like he'll, he'll go to a card room or something until he's going there, and like see if I want to come down there. And, like, but it's always like with no notice. If he just gave me some notice. I could probably do it. I I could have used you last time. Maybe <laughs> the last the last. Yeah, I, last time I, yeah, last time with the bike, I, I just got punished. Yeah, but at least it, you you usually play like forty eighty, isn't twenty forty uh, sh- smaller than you usually play? Yeah, uh, actually, when I go to, and when I play commas, I almost always play stud, 2040 stud. They used to have 3060, but they don't have it anymore. Oh, okay. Um, but then they changed stud to a, uh, you pay every half hour now. Yeah. So that yeah. kind of bothered me. Well, actually, the, I, the, I find that's better at commerce because the rake is uh, so high that if you don't pay every half hour, it, uh, unless it's a really slow game, if it's like a, a super slow game where they barely get any hands and then it's better to have the rake. But the rakes have gotten so high there, it's gotten obscene. And the, but the time charges aren't as bad from what I've seen. I, I can't speak for the stud game. I don't play that. But speaking of commerce, you know what surprises me about their game offerings is that I cannot find, I don't believe exists, a mid-stakes or even upper-stakes uh, Omaha game. There's PLO, but, I mean, there's no limit Omaha game or a PLO 8 or Big O. They're the only thing, they, they have regular PLO, but that's it, which really surprises me that they can't get like a, a 2040 or 3060 08 going there. It's interesting. I know the uh, the bike had a fifteen thirty mix going um, Saturday night, and then uh, you know, and, and then again back at Commerce, you know, the average the average age of a stud player is like sixty eight. So it's a very slow game, and then they're taking ten bucks ahead uh, every half hour, eight handed. So they're, they're basically charging one hundred sixty dollars an hour to play the twenty forty game. Uh, you just can't beat the game that way. Yeah, no, I understand. I understand what you're saying here. With if if they. Uh... Uh, if, if it's very slow and you're barely getting any hands, then definitely the rake is better. Uh, and, and you know, some of the the forty eighty game where the rake's pretty high and they have that obnoxious jackpot too. Uh, yeah, that's sometimes that's also a very slow game. So there, I kind of have mixed feelings whether I wish it was a time charge because sometimes it uh, it really drags. There's a lot of limping nowadays at these forty, a lot of limping and cold calling at the forty eighty at Commerce, and uh, there didn't used to be, but there's a lot of that now. So a lot of times these pots take a long time, and you don't get that many hands in per hour, uh, which is a little annoying to me to play in games like that. I don't actually don't prefer that. I actually prefer where there's not as many people to every flop. Because I'm finding a commerce that uh, I, I can't run anybody off any hands. <laughs> it was six people seeing the flop. Someone's going to hit something every time. So, so yeah, it was like that at the twenty forty at the bike. It was five to six players to a flop every hand. Yeah, and and people, this is not me being the the idiot fish saying I, I hate bad players. They always chase me down to bad beat me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that uh, it it does change the correct strategy 
when there's a lot of people seeing every flop in limit hold'em because you can't bet everybody off. There's no way everybody missed the flop usually, and that really changes things. Then rather than a situation where there's like two or three people seeing a flop, and then you really can do certain things to win pots where you've totally missed it. Where, where if there's six people, seven people in the flop, you're, you're not going to do that. Yeah, and, you know, and based on that and taking your advice, I think this year at the World Series, I'm going to play just in that six-handed 3K buy-in limit tournament, the, the one that's like right at the end or right in the middle of the main event. Yeah, you can. That's I will tell you there there are there's a lot of tough players in that tournament though. There, there's there are some fish in there, but there are a lot of tough players. He will deal with a lot of uh, very good limit hold'em players that. Uh, um, You'll have to contend with it's, it's kind of a different situation. You're going to have fewer of the, of the chasing you down, bad beats, seven people seeing every flop to uh, uh, versus like tough pros who are aggressive. So, uh, so the, the the fifteen hundred limit hold'em at the World Series. I like that one because that one uh, that one is not like the the twenty forty game you just played where, where, where you're seeing six or seven on the flop. But there's also a lot of amateurs in it who just aren't good at all limit hold'em. So there's like a there's kind of like the um, the right amount of amateurs in the game where you can still kind of control it if you if you play the right way, but at the same time, uh, you know, there's, there's there's not as high of a concentration of pros, and uh, and there's not so many seeing every flop that you just have to just hit hands to win. You, you do have to hit hands yeah, to win, but not one. but not not to that extreme. Yeah, that's the one I ran deep in that one year, the 2014. So maybe, yeah, I, nah, maybe I'll play that. Long as it depends on the schedule and the days of the week that it falls. Stuff like that. Yeah, that was that was how I knew your name. I was like, where do I know this guy's name from when I heard your name? And then I, I realized it when I Googled it. I go, oh, I remember this guy was doing really well, and I didn't know who he was like a few years ago in Limit Hold'em. And uh, I think I even cashed in that event. I think I was like 66th or something and barely cashed. So I think that's why I was paying so much attention to who was doing well in there because I, I, anytime I cash in a tournament, I really want to see who ends up winning it. Uh, hmm. So so that I think I, I believe I cashed in that one. And I had been paying attention, and I had seen that name. And I'm like, oh, who is this Eric Benzamoking? Like, who is this person? And uh, I, I think that's, uh, yeah, that's. I think that's where I'd heard of you before, even though I didn't know what you look like. Or uh, I, I know now. Cause I actually, the only way I know what you look like is from that tournament. I saw pictures of you. <laughs> oh, you, you mean the Fred Flintstone look alike? Uh, I guess you want to describe yourself that way. <laughs> but, actually, actually. She had a, I had a judge refer to me as that once. Said, yeah, you know, counsel, you look like Fred Flintstone. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, why would they say that? In, why would they even mention that in court? Why, why would the judge uh, even point and, that out? And, well, I, this one particular judge, she just she already know me. I'd been in her courtroom so many times, you know. So it was just uh, she was just being jovial. Um, typically, that yeah, judges wouldn't converse with you like that. <laughs> So I guess you can't hold the the judge in contempt. So you, I guess they can say things like that, and there's nothing you can do. But uh, it doesn't matter how offensive it is. You just have to smile and kind of give her a little bit of a laugh out loud. A very that's very funny, Your Honor. Thank you. And then just try to move on. And, no, wait, you know, wait, wait, matter. What you should have said back was. That's what you should have said back. That would have that would have been appropriate. Okay. Well, uh, th- yeah. Th- so thanks a lot for the for all the different uh, free roll donations you've given here. It's made it uh, a lot more fun for the listeners here and the and Trader Ruski uh, and, and Calwatt. They've just they've run huge ever since you started this. They just they can't lose. I know. I'm telling you. I, I, I'll think of something good for next week. 
One of these weeks, the person with the bounty is going to go like out first somehow. Somehow it's going to happen. I, I hope. Otherwise, it's going to make me look really bad. Uh, we'll figure something out. I'll come up with something creative for next week. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Have a good night, guys. All right. Thanks, Eric. Bye. Bye you, Eric. That's uh, attorney Eric Benzamokin. Eric at uh, eblawfirm.us if you have any uh, legal questions, especially about online poker or any poker room screwing you, whether you live in California or not. If you live in California, there's more you can do for you. But even if you don't live in California, there's things you can do. So, uh, very nice guy. I've been uh, talking to him uh, since we got to know each other through him listening to the show. I only know him because he uh, found the show through Adam Schwartz, who mentioned it on the 2 Plus 2 PokerCast. So, and I appreciate Adam doing this. Adam will mention it every so often. And he'll usually bring it up if he is talking about a subject that we talked about here first, or if he feels I brought up a point that's good or whatever about the subject that they're talking about. But I appreciate that. Like He doesn't have to do that. Even if he listens, he doesn't have to mention this here. And, and he does. And then it, it does bring some people over here. And, and you know, a lot of times they continue listening to, to his show too. But uh, I, I think that's... Nice of him to do, and uh, and I, I think they do a good show over there, and I've said that before. Even when I had my problems with Mason Malmuth, I said that uh, I think they do a good job on the 2 plus 2 poker cast. So let's go to the next uh, topic here. Um, here's a weird story from uh, a former poker fraud alert user who became former today. I almost, I almost just put poker fraud alert user, but I thought, you know what, I've got to be accurate here. I, I don't want to call him a poker fraud alert user and almost like take credit that he's a member here when he's not anymore because I kicked him off. It's a, it's a guy who posts his deal, or should I say posted his deal. He's been around the community for a long time. He's from uh, the Toronto area. And, uh, you know, he used to make good posts. He used to be someone who, who contributed uh, useful information to the forum. Uh, apparently he even bought a, a, a small piece of me in the World Series in 2012, and I guess I owed him $40, which he never came to collect or something, so I, I was surprised I ever even owed it to him. Like, he told me fairly recently, he started trolling me on the forum that I cheated him out of $40, and I had no idea what he was talking about. And then I kept offering to pay him, and he wasn't accepting it. But, uh, for the last few years, he's just been doing nothing but trolling me on here. And, let me give you my feeling on that with the forum and trolling me. I'm one of the few forum owners who lets people troll me and lets people insult me and lets people just say a lot of bad things about me, and I don't ban them or delete them or restrict them. It's an unusual forum in that way because most people who run forums act like little kings, and they will not allow anything bad to be said about themselves on their own turf. In fact, they will delete your message and ban you. And you basically have to kiss their ass if you want to remain on their forum. That's usually the way it is. And at best, they'll let you criticize them but not really insult them. Well, I allow everything. But at some point, I have to say, I can't allow it anymore. If, if all someone's going to do if, if the vast majority of their posts are trolling me and they're not bringing any other content to the site, and it's not just like respectful disagreement of things I, I say, if they're looking at anything I say so they can jump on it and, and throw an insult at me, uh, then I don't want them here. 
That I, I'm not running the forum for that purpose, especially when they're anonymous. The, the anonymous ones are the worst. I, I could probably figure out who this guy is since he bought a piece of me six years ago. I could probably track down who he is, but there's no reason to. He, he hasn't done anything to harm me in real life, so I don't even need to know who he is. But um, on the other hand, I don't need him on my forum if he's doing that. So um, it, it, this was going on for years, years of just nothing but trolling me. And I allowed it. I just, I, I, I wasn't happy. I told him I, I, I didn't appreciate it, but I, I never stopped him. And he kept doing it and doing it. But then over the past few weeks, he's, he's upped his game. He's, he started accusing me of stealing free roll money, that the site really runs at a profit, all which is completely untrue. I've explained the free roll thing before, that uh, you have indefinite time to claim your prize. But that I'm not going to chase down every prize winner, the free roll, to, to give them their money. Uh, because it's a pain in the ass. That's the only reason I don't. It's a pain in the ass to do. And I don't want that burden. That's, that's the entire reason. But on the other hand, I'm never going to say it's expired. So if you if you forgot to collect something from 2013, come to me and I'll pay you. It never expires. As long as the site's up, it never expires. In fact, even if the site's not up, it won't expire. As long as I can verify it, it does not expire. So uh, so he started posting that I'm lying about the, the, the site doesn't really run at a loss. I'm really just stealing free roll money. It's actually making money. Totally untrue. It does run at a loss. Uh, I'm not stealing anything. But um, I finally banned him today. I, got, I just got tired of it. Just, I, I, all he does is troll me on the site and uh, contributes little else. So he's a former user now, but he did actually bring up an interesting story for once. And that's about UB. About the blackjack game they had there. And I can't verify this claim. He he says he sent me a message about it years ago when it was occurring. I don't know if he did or not. I don't remember. I don't even know if it was on Poker Fraud Alert or if it was on uh, Dockdown. But uh, he claims he, he sent me the message about this. So uh, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what he said. And then we'll discuss it. Because it's it's interesting if true. And... I think it probably is. The guy lies about me or will take, like... Something said about me and repeat it even though he knows it's not true or exaggerate something, you know, take something that's true or half true and then exaggerate it to where it sounds much worse or, or manipulate some details to uh, say it's not true, you know, to say things that aren't true. But um, as far as about himself, I've never seen that he's lied. He'll lie when trolling me or stretch the truth very much when trolling me, but he won't lie about himself I haven't really seen. So I think he's probably telling the truth about this story, if I had to guess. No no proof, but I think he is. Here's the story. He says, I have proof from Absolute Poker Ultimate Bet that they generated an array of decks, randomized, and then used them in order from deck one to whatever the last deck is and then repeat it. They did it that way to save computing resources. Now let me stop here because he's, he's, he's using some technical terms here. So let me explain for those that aren't technical. He's saying that what they did was they made... They pre-made a whole lot of decks that they shuffled you know, by computer. They did a randomized shuffle of a lot of decks. Let's just say 1,000. I don't know if it really is 1,000, but let's say it's 1,000. And then just kept a record of all of them. And uh, you know, so, the, so the first randomized deck is deck one. Second randomized deck is deck two. All the way up to, let's say, deck 1,000. He didn't say 1,000, but I'm just, I'm just making that number up. Okay? So they have them all saved to their system. And then they just deal the cards out uh, in order. So from deck one, they, they deal deck one, then they go to deck two. 
Then you go to deck three. And they deal every deck that they pre-shuffled. But then the problem comes. That part's okay. But then the problem comes when they run out of decks because they've only done it with a certain number, let's say 1,000. After they finish deck 1,000, they go right back to deck one. And they do everything in order again. So anyone who noticed that these seem to be repeating know exactly what's coming once they watch all the cards that have come out. So anyone who anyone who observes this whole thing and records every single card that comes out then will have perfect knowledge of every card dealt once it rolls over. That, that's what he's saying here. When he's talking about saving computing resources, he's saying that uh, it, it does take some computing power to randomly shuffle a deck. So he's saying that rather than constantly random, randomly shuffling decks for their blackjack game... They just pre-shuffled a certain number of deck and then just keep repeating them over and over in the same order. So he said, the way I found out was when they introduced Blackjack and they set X to 100 and a friend's grandma noticed some repeating hands while playing the fun money games. We then played for a couple of days tracking and recording decks and took them for tens of thousands. So what he's talking about here is that he had some friend's grandma playing free money blackjack and somehow she remembered that she's seen the cards come out in the exact same order as she had you know sometime recently so they wondered if maybe this is really what was happening so they just started playing the free money blackjack themselves to see if the grandma was right and indeed she was so once they do that and they had a whole list of the decks then all they had to do is is go to the real money game look at the pattern of cards being dealt and, and match the pattern to what they already had recorded because they were the same for the real money and the play money games. And then he, they know exactly what's coming and then, of course, they can bet huge when their hand's going to win and, and they can bet very small when the hand's going to lose. And that's... Uh, so he said, we would sit at a new table, therefore getting a new deck, play a hand for a minimum bet. If it matched one of the decks we recorded, we wound up the bet to the maximum and pounded the house. This went undetected for about three weeks. After it was fixed, I talked to the operations manager about it, and he told me the details. The hilarious part was that his fix was to change X to 100,000. To, to 100, so, so what he's saying here is that uh, the first time that grandmother caught it, they were only using 100 decks. They were only using deck 1 to 100. So he said that the way they fixed it was just by now using uh, 100,000 pre-ordered decks instead of uh, 100. He said he confirmed that the poker routine was the same. I, ex- I suspect there were people playing heads-up poker there that figured it out. I don't know for sure. I withdrew the maximum every week from Absolute Poker for three months, but couldn't get it all off before the shutdown. The shutdown he's referring to is the Black Friday bust on April 15, 2011. So obviously he did this in 2011 or late 2010. Uh, however, as you know, the DOJ arranged for players to finally get paid. I just cashed my AP check a week ago. It was well worth the wait. So he doesn't say how much he won or, or that he's, his AP check was that he just got the other day. Though he claims he took them for tens of thousands. I would think you could win more than that uh, if you perfectly saw what was coming. But maybe they did this in moderation, not wanting it to be super obvious. So that's, that's believable. He didn't say that's what they did, but maybe that's what they did. Uh, but he said the operations manager 
confirmed to him that this was happening. The, the one thing I'm not sure about here, I guess I should have asked him before he uh, banned him, but uh, the one thing I should have asked him was, why did they pay him at all if he if he talked to the operations manager and they figured out what he did? Wouldn't they ban him and not pay him? Now, it, it would make sense if uh, you know, the government paid him at this point when, when they got shut down. But wouldn't you think they would just confiscate his balance at that point once they saw he pulled it? So I talked to the operations manager and he told me that he, that's, that's part's really strange. That's, that's the one suspicious part to me. Why, why would he ever be allowed to cash out anything if he had discovered this and exploited it and the operations manager knew he had? So, but he claimed that the uh, the operations manager told him that the poker shuffled the same way, which isn't hard to believe. They did the blackjack one that way. Why not do the poker one that way? So, indeed, if this was the case, and if they were only using a hundred decks, then yes, maybe some people could have figured it out. And if they noticed the pattern of cards coming out of the poker deck, that uh, they could have won. Now, however. Uh, I never saw evidence of anyone just destroying it heads up except for the super users. So that would speak against it. I can't even think of any kind of like good heads up pro that was just sitting there and killing everybody who played him where you'd believe it because the guy has a known good heads up pro but uh, but was still really killing people. I, I can't even think of one person that on that site would just sit and wait and everybody who sat with him got destroyed except for the super users. So I don't know. Same with UB. You know, both AP and UB, nobody has been detected to have killed the game that wasn't a super user. So I'm not sure what to say. I guess it's possible that some of the super users on, on UB that were identified that were never verified by the company could have been this. But I don't know. It's possible nobody realized this, or it's possible they even changed things later on. It's possible it wasn't always this way. There's a programmer of UB uh, named uh, Jack Bates, who sometimes listens to this show, a former UB programmer. I can ask him about this. Maybe he can shed some light on the situation. Um, It's it's possible that uh, it wasn't always like this. It's also possible Deal's making the whole thing up. Who knows? I've never known him to just make up lies like that, but we don't know much about him. Like he, This is not someone who tells much about himself. So while he doesn't come out with these sensational stories, typically, uh, this is not someone that we know for sure has also told the truth about himself. This guy, you know, the few things he said about himself could be a lie. I know when the guy talks about me out there, he's lying, but he's doing that like in the trolling way. He'll take something that uh, he has to twist to be different than it is to troll me more effectively. Uh, for example, he he tried to post that uh, I wasn't playing poker anymore by this point. That he tried to tell me, but that I wasn't t- playing poker, that I was uh, too busy taking credit for uh, other people's work investigating the UB and AP scandals, and that by that point, I wasn't playing poker at all. That's not true in in any way, shape, or form. I wasn't taking credit for anybody else's work, and I was playing poker at that time. In fact, while this was all going on, I was actually the biggest Limit Hold'em winner on Bodog. I was. And uh, poker table ratings back then verified that, which is a cash game tracking site. So 
So he'll just say things like that, like they're facts. Like I had stopped playing poker by then and uh, we're just trying to grandstand that I had cracked the AP and UB scandal when I've actually done nothing and leached off everybody's work and wasn't even bothered to play poker anymore. He just says this like it's fact, but it wasn't true. Yeah, that's what trolls do. So anyway, um, some people are interested in this because they think, wow, you know, maybe this really does show that even if poker is not directly rigged by online by these online poker operators, maybe just incompetence like this allows observant players to catch on and take advantage of situations like these. Well, I say with UB, we can't really use them as an example. They really did everything wrong. They had the combination of extreme incompetence and lack of ethics, also to an extreme. So they were super shady and incompetent. So they're not typical. We can't say just because this was happening there that this is happening on other sites. Now, is it possible that there is no random shuffle on other sites? I think it's possible, but the, it's not really that resource-intensive to do these shuffles. If your site is huge, you can say it is, but then you'll have the resources to, you know, the financial resources to have the computing power to do it. So for a site like, even like UB size, they they didn't need to save computing resources that way. Like, it boggles my mind that they would have done this. They, they weren't gaining much from it. I, I even wonder if these idiots perhaps thought that this was the way to prevent their random number generator from being cracked to simply have a pre-shuffled deck thinking that people won't figure it out. I, 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 don't, I don't even know what they were thinking when they did this, but uh, you can't say that this is industry standard, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. But it's always possible. It's always possible that someone has cracked the random number generator. It happened on Planet Poker back in the 90s, except the person who did it just did it for fun and told Planet Poker about it as soon as they were successful. They didn't steal any money. They could have. So... Yes, especially with smaller sites and even medium sites, you never know how competent or incompetent they really are with these technical matters. So you should be aware of that. Uh, So getting to uh, the next topic... Let's talk about his accusation, which I've heard before from a few other trolls. It's, it's not a widely accused thing. It's, it's only a few idiots like to say this, usually just to try to get a rise out of me. I think a lot of them don't even believe it when they say it. But I, I, I think it's worth discussing just because a lot of people don't really know what was my role in the AP and UB scandals. Like, what was my role in, in cracking them? Not in, not in creating the scandal, but in, in fighting the scandal. What was my real role? What did I really do? And I think a lot of people don't know that. In fact, Trader Ruski, you've known me a, a while. Uh, how, how much do you know about what I really did involving AP and UB? Uh-oh. Did he fall asleep already or is he just playing six tournaments? I think he's just playing six tournaments. 
Maybe he's walking the dog. My bad. I couldn't get off of uh, mute. No, I mean, I know you did some of the research behind things. I know you were on 60 Minutes. Um, Other than that, I'd like to hear the whole story. Right, right. And I don't blame you for not knowing because I I purposely don't talk about this. Number one, because it's old. And, And number two... I don't want to make it seem like I'm bragging about it. I think I, I I don't like going around just bragging about things, and I don't like trying to walk around like puffing out my chest like I was a hero in the whole thing. And and I especially don't want anyone getting the impression that I did more than I did or think I was more important to the situation than I was. So um, I, I just you know if asked about it, I'll, I'll I'll tell people, but I usually don't go around bragging about it. But it is. I was thinking about it today when he brought this up, and then I banned him. He didn't bring it up. He was trying to troll me and make these false accusations about that and other things. And I banned him. I said, well, you know what? I think part of the reason it bothered me that he said that was because most people don't really know what the truth is. They they don't know what I did. Or they knew once and they forgot because it's been 10 years. And a lot of you are newer. A lot of you just didn't know me back then. A lot of you were not even following poker or online poker in 2007, 2008. So you may not know the story. So... I'm going to tell the story here. This is kind of a slow news week in poker. So the year was 2007, and I know I've told this part before, this very beginning here. I got out to a horrible start in the online poker games in 2007. The poker boom was still going. The games were still good. I just was running horrible, and I was playing very high-limit games online, and I was getting smacked down hard. So I got myself by the month, by, by like... Mid-March or so, right around this time, kind of right around this time of year, 11 years ago, I was down for the year, meaning just those few months, the year of 2007, I was down $300,000. And that was a kick in the balls. That was a very, very unpleasant. Was I close to broke? No, not even close, because I, w- I did very well the previous years. But uh, was that a healthy sum of money to lose? Yes. Was it very disturbing to lose that much in that short of time? Yes. Uh, I, I had I, I so I put a stop to it. I said, okay, I've got to stop and see, see what's happening here. Am I playing games that uh, I just can't beat? Am I running bad? Is, is, are my old strategies not working presently? Presently being in 2007. What's the problem here? So I said, okay, I've got to figure this out, and I, and I don't want to put any more money in these high-stakes games Figuring it out. So, as much as I hate to do this, I'm going to step down. Not because my bankroll can't handle still being at these games, but I need to step down to play games that are still meaningful money, but not as high limit. Kind of a slow and steady wins the race sort of thing, where if I'm doing well, then over a period of time, I will win this money back. But I won't have any spectacular days where I win you know, $50,000. So, what I chose to do at the time was to play on Absolute Poker, which a site I had played on in 2005, but then mostly neglected in 2006. Played a little bit there, but I, I hadn't played that much since 2005 on Absolute Poker, and I, I decided to be active there, probably you know, more active than I'd ever been before, and I even used a new account. Now, I wasn't multi-accounting. There were actually uh, various legal ways on the site, legal meaning according to their own rules, to where you could have more than one account. They had certain skins into it. It was it was all, it was different than today. It was totally allowed, and everyone did it. So uh, I, I came up with a new account, not to trick anyone, but just to have a different, you know, a different table image. And I made this Electro account, which I came into chat with a very brash 
character, typed in all caps. Uh, Trying to make it like a fun-loving gambler who liked to talk trash. That's what Electro was. And uh, the fish loved him. The railbirds who could chat there loved him. Uh, Electro was a very beloved character. Some people hated him because they, you know, I, I, I tried to kind of be annoying with him at the same time, too. But uh, it was very effective in getting action. Electro was very good at getting fish to give action. And I started doing very well in these games. And I was almost like a prop there. They weren't paying me to be a prop, but I would sit down in 4080 alone, gate games going. I'd even play with good players sometimes for a little bit to get, you know, hoping the fish would sit, and they would. And then I would I would rile up the fish with, with the Electro account and get them, you know, talking trash back and forth with me. Nothing too serious. Like a, it was kind of fun-loving trash talking. And and they loved it. And they would stay for a long time. The fish and they, you know they they would get a big kick out of beating me in hands. And none of them, nobody knew it was me. I didn't say I, people know now, but at the time nobody knew Electro was me. So I was doing very well in those games, better than anybody on the site. So I was crushing there, and I kept crushing. And after a few months, by the summer of two thousand seven, I had erased the entire three hundred thousand dollar hole. I got myself out. I won. $300,000 on there, playing 4080. And um, I was very happy with myself. I said, this was a great decision. I, I, the, the typical poker player would have kept flailing at the higher limits and, and, and just kept chunking it off with no confidence and just, you know, you know how it goes. Instead, I said, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to go to the 4080 on Absolute Poker. I'm going to come to it with a new approach. And... Uh, and by the way, I wasn't playing people heads up who, you know, other pros who didn't know my style. I didn't do any of that crap. I was, and it was totally allowed then to, to have more than one account there uh, through the different skins. So everybody did it then. It was a different environment. I was totally within the rules and with when, within what everybody did at the time. So, uh, and I was under my own name, by the way. Electro was under my own name, Todd would tell us. So no, nothing, nothing at all shady about that. So uh, anyway... I was loving it there. I looked forward to it every day. I even enjoyed the interaction with the Railbirds and chat. Then, one day, there was a player at the higher games, which didn't go very often, but they had a 75-150, they had a 150-300, those would go occasionally. Uh, this guy named Gray Cat was terrible. Terrible. He played, he'd cap pre-flop with six deuce offsuit. He almost never folded pre-flop. The guy played with seemingly no rhyme or reason, but he won every time. And he'd mock you in chat, too. He'd go, yes, all right, I knew I'd win this one. Like he, It was very obnoxious. He would like celebrate every, after every hand he'd win. Well, at first, it just seemed to be like a lucky fish. But he was playing a style and full ring. He was playing like full ring against me and several other pros in 150-300. Never losing. But for a short time, we all thought it's still just a lucky fish. Then I played him heads up. Uh, they didn't have heads up tables, but I got him heads up somehow when nobody else was around. And I said, okay, here's my chance. I'm going to destroy him here. Well, I didn't. I lost $6,000 to him in a short time. I kept begging him to play me more. I had a lot more money. I had like 60 k still in my account. He could have taken it all, but fortunately... He was happy with the 6000 at that point. They weren't quite as greedy yet as they became later. 
So he, I used to say, I kept saying, come on, fish, sit back in with me. He's like, nope, I'm happy. I'm satisfied. Thank you. You know, I, I'm afraid I'm going to lose it back to you. Well, thanks for the game there, buddy. Enjoy the money. I enjoyed the money. Goodbye. Like he left. So uh, I thought about it after this. After that 6K, I lost to him. We just lost Trader Ruski, by the way. And I brought up AOL Instant Messenger, which is now gone. No longer, just recently closed for good. But I brought it up and I, I, I opened a chat session with two different high limit pros that I won't bother to name here. But uh, I brought up a chat session with them and I, I, I asked about this gray cat, which you know, we all knew gray cat by the, this in a short period of time. He was usually don't have a person like that who shows up and plays such a style. It's such high limits there. Uh, we discussed gray cat and I asked what do you think? Do you, do you think there's something weird about this? And they said, yes. They said, I've been thinking the same thing. And we talked about it together, and we discussed how uh, we had never observed that on the river that he ever makes a wrong move. That you bet the river he either folds or raises you. And when he raises you, he's correct. Uh, and that, furthermore... Uh, when he's a maniac pre-flop, he will suddenly shut down on the flop if you've hit something. So if you have ace-king, and he's hit bottom pair, he'll endlessly raise you. If you uh, have flopped top set, uh, he'll either, he'll either uh, check-call, check-call, fold, or uh, he'll just fold the flop right away. So we observed this. We we all discussed this. We all observed this, and we said, "What the hell's going on here? Could th- could this really be a cheater? Could this be a hacker? Could it be someone who cracked the random number generator?" We didn't know what it was. We, of course, we you know that wasn't known yet. But uh, we were discussing it, and then we said, "What do we do?" And, you know, the problem there's so many people online still to this day complaining that online poker is rigged. We don't want to sound like one of the rigtards. We don't want to sound like one of the people who just you know, saying that there's this. Something, someone who hacked it or someone who uh, has access to the whole cards will sound like the same conspiracy theorists of online poker uh, who, who lose and can't accept that they're losing. So it wasn't so easy to say, oh, we're going to go on 2 plus 2 and other sites and post about this. We didn't have enough proof yet. So I was not using Poker Tracker at that time because uh, I didn't feel I needed it. I felt like I knew the high stakes community well enough to where I didn't need to it, it, it was important to have that if you're playing like six tables of no limit and you don't know most of the players and you know it's, it's hard to keep track of here I, I i didn't play as many games and i i knew who i was playing against typically it was either like a fish or a regular who's styling pretty well so I, I didn't feel i needed it so i didn't use poker tracker but a lot of the other high limit limit hold'em pros did and uh Actually, in hindsight, I was thinking about it recently. I probably should have used it anyway just because I think it was a disadvantage I was at against these other pros who had exact stats on me and I didn't have it on them. But but never mind. It's one of these things like you're doing well, you don't feel like changing anything. So they had hand histories saved that I didn't. Now, they only had hand histories of games they were in. But, uh, you know, they uh, we discussed it and I said, okay, well, you know, ch- check your hand histories. <laughs> See what you could find. So they looked at it and they came to me and said, yeah, you know, that's... I'm seeing what we were suspecting that it just seems like uh, it's called river aggression that they he he had uh, as high river aggression as possible that he always raised or folded on the river he never called and that is very very indicative of a super user someone who can see 
your whole cards because he always knows whether he's ahead or behind you. So if he's ahead, it's always correct to raise you. If he's behind, it's always correct to fold. And if he's tied, it's even correct to raise you because there's nothing, nothing bad comes of that. So ahead or tied, he raises you. Behind, he folds. No point to call. If you think about it, you call the river because you're not sure if you're ahead or behind, but you want to see. That's what calling is. Folding means you know you're behind or you think there's a high chance you're behind. You, you, don't want to, you don't think it's worth putting in another bet. And raising, of course, means you think you're ahead or know you're ahead. So if you know whether you're ahead or behind, of course you never call. So that, that was the real big thing sticking out here. But uh, there wasn't, again, there weren't that many hands with him yet from enough people to where we could come to a exact conclusion. But I thought I had seen enough to where I could take a stab at it, even with incomplete information. Uh, so I decided to play a uh, little social engineering game with Absolute Poker and claim to know more than I really did. And that's when I made my super user post. Now, a super user, you guys all know what that is probably. In poker, that means someone who can see your whole cards. But what does that term really mean? A super user actually is a computer science term. It's actually a term in reference to an account on some kind of system that has administrative powers that can basically do and see everything. So, you know, there are, there are some systems that, you know, where, where people can have user-level access, meaning they can use it, but they don't have uh, access to a lot of things, and their super user can basically do everything. So that's, that's what a super user is in the, in the computer sense. But it's not a term known that well by people who, uh, who, don't, who are not that technical or who, are, who, who don't know much about computer science or at least uh, system administration. Unlike uh, on, on Linux systems or Unix systems, uh, root is a super user. But what does super user have to do with poker? Well, I, I just made up the correspondence because uh, a super user can see everything, like the root account on a Unix system or Linux system. They can uh, they can go into any directory. They can see anything. There's there's nothing where their access is denied. Uh, I called it a super user, one who could see the whole cards. That that's I, I just off the top of my head made up that term. So I made a post on two plus two. And I made up this term as I was making the post. I did I didn't even like say, oh I came up with this cool new term. Nothing like that. I was just making the post and I was trying to bluff absolute poker that I had inside information that I knew for sure this was going on. Not that we figured it out from hand histories, but that I knew from insiders that it was going on. But I didn't yet. I did not yet. At this point, I was only going by what we had figured out from you know, me and two other high-limit players who were discussing this that had actually played with Grey Cat and gotten their asses beat by him in strange fashion. So I made a post. I think, I think the date was September 16, 2007. I think I, and I say that because I think... I, I've talked about that date before. It's just the date's into my head. It's very close to September 16, 2007, if it wasn't exactly that. But I posted in, in about this cheating thing. I think one other person... Had, I'm not sure if I was the first to bring it up, or I think maybe one other person brought it up before me on 2 Plus 2. 
But I posted that I have information that there is a super user currently playing on Absolute Poker that can see everybody's hold cards. And I put super user in quotes. And, and I went on about that. And I was hoping Absolute Poker would see it and kind of panic and feel they had to come clean thinking that I know. I didn't want to come out and say, oh, what's this here? Let's, you know, let's take some guesses as to what's going on. I wanted to make it seem like I knew already so they'd feel more pressured to say something. So that term caught on. I didn't expect it to. I, d- I just made it the part of the post. That was just the subject of the post. And I was either the first or, or one of the very first few to ever post about this matter. So, and, 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 you know, the, the people whose names you've known who investigated this and did some great work, none of them were involved at that point. They, they all came later in, in various stages. At this point, it was just me and, and, and like, two other high-limit players in Limit Hold'em that had figured this out. We were the very first. So, this is about absolute poker, not UB. It was going on in UB, but nobody caught it yet. So uh, that started the whole discussion. And then, of course, others who were using Poker Tracker looked into their results and they found the same thing. And then people started looking up other suspicious users that had played, including ones that had played in tournaments and found the same thing. The problem was Absolute Poker, who I called many times, spoke to many managers. Uh, Not surprisingly, they were not forthcoming about this and were denying that this was occurring. Or said that they would just look into it, but then would never get back to anybody. I sat on their ass. I called constantly and kept asking for updates and demanding updates and you know, kept trying to bluff them more. I even tried at one point to convince one of the managers there that all the players want is that they acknowledge something was going on. That they don't have to admit the full truth, but as long as they agree, uh, admit some breach has occurred and they fixed it and they will refund people, then the whole poker community is probably willing to look past it. I didn't believe that, and I wasn't going to look past it. I didn't know if it was an insider yet or a hacker. I, 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 was, I, I was on the fence on that one. I didn't know yet you know, that, that it really was Scott Tom, who was the CEO there. Like I, I didn't know that yet. Nobody did. But uh, I knew it was either an insider or a hacker that they didn't want to admit had, had breached it. I knew something had happened, though. So I even tried floating that to them and tried to make that case to them to get them to own up to it. And then my plan was that we get our money back and they'd admit to it, and then we turn up the heat. <laughs> so, uh, you know, priority one, get the money back and get them to admit it, and, and then turn around from what I claimed that we were going to just accept it and move on. Uh, that it, They never ended up going that direction, but they were considering it. They also did float some other stories out there to see what the public would accept, but nobody was buying anything. Anyway, uh, I was very active in the whole thing. Even when they were floating out these BS stories about what had happened, you know, I was out. I was very active in, in the investigation phase. And another thing I was doing behind the scenes that people did not know was that uh, in the poker industry, it was very far-reaching. There were a lot of people who weren't even poker players that got involved in it. Uh, working for the various sites, working in the media. Uh, There's a big peripheral group of people who didn't even play poker that made their living from the poker industry during that time in 2007. 
So I started asking around if anybody knew anyone who worked for Absolute Poker. Because what would happen is people would get to know each other, like like media people and people who worked for poker sites. They would get to know and befriend people who were poker players. So it was kind of a crossover. So I was actively searching. I wasn't posting this out on forums. They didn't want this out there. But I was actively searching through people I knew if they could put me in contact with anybody they knew who worked for Absolute Poker. And I wanted to see if I could get anyone there to start feeding me information who might know things, even if they didn't know fully what was going on, if they could give me enough clues to where I could figure out the rest myself. And I did this, and I actually hit a little bit of pay I actually got a few people who were giving me information, who were telling me what was going on there behind the scenes. And I was using that to my advantage in the way that I was interacting with Absolute Poker and the way I was asking others to act with Absolute Poker. And that was the approach. That was the approach for a while. That was all we could do. We didn't have any smoking gun proof beyond the strange play of these accounts that had won. But unfortunately, this was only over a period of a few weeks. I think it was a six-week period or something. We, uh, we didn't have enough time worth to where... I mean, yes, it was obvious what had happened, but to someone who doesn't understand math or statistics very well or even the way these poker tracker programs work and what river aggression is and stuff like that. Like, unfortunately, it was not uh, enough to get AP to admit anything. Uh, during the whole investigation here, I also came up with a, a side story called Popcorn Gate. Popcorn Gate was in reference to the fact that in the 2007 World Series of Poker, they had been selling popcorn in the hallways. Absolute Poker was doing it. And when asked why we were paying for popcorn with an Absolute Poker brand on the bag, why not? Why are they not just giving it away? They said that this is all for charity, that they're raising money for charity. So buy as much popcorn as you can because they're giving it to charity. And I was told by one of the insiders who I had found through the people I knew in poker, they had searched out, that... They not only stole the money, the popcorn money that was supposedly for charity, but that they never intended to give it to charity. In fact, they laughed every day at how stupid the poker players were that they would buy popcorn for charity. And they laughed that we were all dumb enough to believe that could actually be happening. It wasn't just like they appropriated and forgot to donate. They actually were laughing about this in the office, about how dumb all of us were. I bought a popcorn, by the way. A A little of that was my money. So I broke that story, and then they sheepishly went and donated to charity after the fact, and it was even to like a really shady one that looked like it was probably just someone they knew in Vegas and just gave the money right back to them. That wasn't by any means a major story, but it was just an interesting aside, and it, that, that just shows you, like, I was, I knew someone from the inside, obviously. Because I, I wasn't just guessing at this. I had I had no idea that popcorn was, was had anything to do with this, but they, yes, totally true. They stole the charity money that they had raised for the popcorn and never intended to donate to charity. So I had people on the inside feeding me information that I worked hard to find and to get them to trust me and to understand that what they're doing is right. A lot of them were fearful. A lot of them knew there was a lot of money in absolute poker, and they were afraid that if it got back that they were handing information to me that maybe one day you know, something might happen to them. 
And you may think, oh, that's far-fetched, that's only in the movies. No, you know, there's a lot of money involved here. And you're seen as someone who, who uh, on the inside, who dumps information to those who ruin the whole thing for you. Yeah, there can be retaliation. There wasn't, but there, there could have been. So I, I had to make these people sure that I was never going to reveal their, who they were, that I would reveal it, you know, Slowly, that I would do it in a way which didn't point to them. I, I, to, I promised I would run it by them exactly what I was going to say before I would say it, so this way I wouldn't accidentally say something which would incriminate them to, you know, incriminate meaning to the their fellow absolute poker employees. This all took a lot of time and effort. It really did. The reason you don't hear much about this is number one, I don't talk about it much, and number two, something big then occurred. A guy named Marco Johnson, who now has a bracelet, didn't then. Marco Johnson was playing a tournament on Absolute Poker, and he got down heads up against a player named Pot Ripper, who had him outchipped. With a nine-high flush draw on the turn, Crazy Marco went all in. And Pot Ripper, with ten-high no draw, called him. He called with 10 high, no draw. Which, if you know anything about poker, is about as big of a mistake as you can make. Unless you know your opponent only has 9 high. 9 high with the draw, but still 9 high. It was actually the correct call if you knew the opponent only had 9 high. And the flush draw didn't hit, and Pot Ripper won the tournament. And... and <laughs> Crazy Marco sat there with his mouth wide open going, what the hell just happened here? How was I called for this large all-in by 10 high? That can beat almost nothing. How could he possibly, possibly, possibly have made that call unless he knew I had 9 high somehow? And the only way he could know that that is if he could see my whole cards. So Pot Ripper actually called Absolute Poker and complained to support about this and said that he believes that he's being cheated. Which makes sense. I mean, that's that's the conclusion anyone would come to there. Well, somehow, we don't know why, we still don't know why, some insider at Absolute Poker, who must have felt bad for Marco and suspected what was going on, emailed him, without any explanation, just sent it to him, an attachment, an Excel file, with a whole bunch of information, IP addresses, and... Uh, what looked like whole cards, but it was very hard to read, very hard to understand. So Crazy Marco, who wasn't that technical, I'm talking about Marco Johnson, contacted a, a smart guy he knew who was good at this stuff, and that was Nat Aram. And Nat Aram took the, the spreadsheet and analyzed it and figured out that this was actually a spreadsheet with every little detail of what was occurring in that tournament. Every single player's whole cards on every single hand, every single player's IP, uh, every single player that even opened the table that even wasn't playing. So he wrote a little program to extract all that information and make it much more readable by humans. And from that, they could see that Pot Ripper clearly saw everybody's whole cards. He played in a manner to where he saw everybody's whole cards in every street. And there was it was there was no way to doubt that after observing that. In fact, someone even converted it into a YouTube video where you get to watch the tournament playing out at every 
Table Pot Ripper was at. And you got to see everybody's whole cards. And you get to see what he did, where he'll fold super strong hands like Pocket Queens when, when uh, you know, pre-flop when he's beat, uh, when it wouldn't make sense to do so, even before someone raises behind him with Kings or Aces. Uh, but other times he'll uh, pound it with super weak hands when he knows they have weak hands. Was, there was no way that Pot Ripper was doing anything other than watching everyone's whole cards and, and playing accordingly. So, at this point, that blew it wide open. In addition, there were IP addresses attached to everything, and it was figured out that Pot Ripper was operating out of, uh, that it was Scott Tom, the CEO of Absolute Poker, there in Costa Rica. So, uh, that's that was a smoking gun. That not only proved that this was going on, but that it was being done by the ownership there. And then everything blew up. And at that point, and we, we still don't know why that spreadsheet was sent. <laughs> That's still a mystery to this day. But at that point, everything else that had been done before was secondary and irrelevant. Because this, this was the proof we were waiting for. It fell into our lap. And I say R, it wasn't really me. It fell into the lap of Marco Johnson, who, who then gave it to Nat Aram, who, who did a great job analyzing it. And, uh, and, and there it was. But the raw data just fell into Marco's lap. Marco didn't hack it. He didn't finagle it or social engineer it. It just fell into his lap. Good on him for calling and complaining and noticing this was not right. But that, that was really his role in that. Uh, Nat Aram did a whole lot in that, starting from that whole thing. So, anyway, from that point... Uh, while I was still very much an activist for making the whole thing right with Absolute Poker, which then they eventually admitted after many other BS stories they tried to float, they eventually paid everyone back. I think correctly, I got about $12,000. And they claimed there were six weeks of cheating, which seemed to be about true. I know this because I played on the site so much. and I didn't play tournaments, but the cash games, it was only Grey Cat uh, and a few other accounts that were acting suspicious. And it was all during that same six-week period. On UB, it turned out this was going on for years, dating back to 03. They were the same ownership by that point, but they had not been for most of that time. It does appear these were two completely separate cheating scandals where two completely separate groups of individuals decided to cheat the same way, even though it was the same ownership at that point. So uh, so once all that got going, then, uh, you know, yes, I was, at that point, I was putting out what Nat had found. I was never taking credit for it. I was making it clear that Nat found it and Nat analyzed it and Marco, you know, Marco received it. I was upfront and honest the whole way that that wasn't my stuff. I was obviously shouting it from the mountaintops so everybody would, would hear it and uh, be outraged at Absolute Poker and what they had done. But by that point, obviously, the things I had done beforehand when we didn't have that information, we're, we're all secondary. Kind of fell in the background. And that's fine. I, I wasn't looking for glory there. I just wanted the whole thing solved. Now, uh, what about my appearance on 60 Minutes? Did I run to 60 Minutes and say, hey, you know, I, I've got, uh, I got a story for you. Feature me in the story and I'll give it. No, I, I didn't go to 60 Minutes at all. 60 Minutes came to me. 60 Minutes came to me, said they were doing this story. Someone else had brought it to them. I didn't even know it was brought to them. And they wanted to interview me for it. So I did. That's it. I did not get paid for it. 
I did it because I felt the message should get out. I said something very unpopular at the end there, which they also cut, so it got taken out of context a little bit, but I, I was trying to say that this was done really blatantly without any fear of getting caught, it seemed. They were very obvious, very blatant, but if people did it in a smart manner, that they could get away for a lot longer, and that who knows if there's still cheating going on. And I said, this, the current sites that are running, you don't know... I forgot my exact words. I was basically saying, even the bigger sites, you don't know if they're operating fairly. And at the time, people got so mad. I'm scaring away fish from poker stars in full tilt, and how could I question them? Well, look what happened to full tilt. This aired in November 2008. Look what happened to full tilt just uh, two and a half years later. Hmm. Maybe they stole all the money from us? How dare I have maligned such a site? And that's their impeccable management team. Their salt-of-the-earth representatives and boards. So I was right. That really, without regulation... Now, what they cut off in the 60 Minutes part was I was I was talking about how we need regulation because otherwise we are never sure. That's what I was saying. And then they only cut it and put the part where I was... You know, the one sentence conclusion that you don't know what's going on on these other sites and that even the big ones you have to worry so that i was pissed that they had cut that and when i had appeared on cnbc who also came to me about this by the way in the next year they came cnbc came to me and wanted to interview me and did i insisted to them that they don't i said you i know you have to edit but if you're going to put anything about my conclusion about existing sites and how i still don't trust them completely Please promise me that you're going to put in my statement about how we need regulation so we can be sure. So to CNBC's credit, they did. And if you watch, if you go back and watch that special, I don't know if it's still on YouTube. I think it's gone. I can. I, I should probably upload it at this point. I bet they won't even care. It's been so many years. But uh, if you watch that special, you can see that they did include that because I insisted. Anyway, but getting back to this here. So after the thing with Nat Aram analyzing that pot ripper hand. Um, aside from debating with Mark, Mark Safe back and forth, who was pissing me off in some ways, he was representing absolute poker. Um, you know, I, I at that point, I stepped a little bit into the background. I was still very vocal about it, but I wasn't actively investigating anymore as much. Because the investigation was done. I mean, we uh, we knew it. Now it's just a matter of getting the money back. Getting them to admit it. Then the UB thing happened, and I I was cheated there too, though over a longer period of time. I had quit playing UB by that point when the UB scandal broke, but uh, I had quit because I just couldn't win there, and I didn't know why. (laughs) Then I realized why, because I was playing super users. But uh, um. It was the No Limit community who really caught on to the thing on UB, and of course they already knew this was possible because it happened on AP, which is also the same company. So something people don't know, but is very true, and if you know Dustin Neverwin Wolf, you can ask him, and hopefully he remembers, and even Micon would probably remember this. I got a tip that the person behind the cheating was Russ Hamilton. Russ Hamilton had never been named before. 
There is no information out there that Russ Hamilton had anything to do with this. We all know it now, but back then, nobody knew. That was really out of the dark. That was something... When I heard, even though Russ Hamilton didn't have a very good reputation, it was you know, kind of out of left field. I said, wow, I can't believe that. And then uh, the person gave me information which sounded like it was very reasonable and probably true. I was, in fact, convinced that it was Russ Hamilton. Uh, I decided not to completely run with the whole story and directly accuse him of cheating, but I did put up an article about Russ Hamilton and his relationship with UB and how there's uh, I forgot what the way I phrased it but it was definitely a pretty accusatory article without directly saying he was cheating but uh, it wasn't just an article mentioning his association with UB let me just put it that way I tried to write it carefully because again I'm making a very serious accusation against someone who could sue me if I was wrong for harming his reputation. So since I was just given information by someone who I trusted, but people are sometimes wrong, I didn't want to completely hang my head on it and make a major news story out of it without actual proof, which for Russ Hamilton, I didn't have yet. But again, this is one of the contacts that I had cultivated over time. This was not a close friend of mine. This was not even a friend at all. It was an insider who got to trust me and told me about Russ Hamilton. Russ Hamilton did not confide in this person, hey, I'm cheating. This person put some things together. They were an insider there, and they told me. And I posted it as the front page story on Never Win Poker. Not not just the forum. I posted it on the front page of Never Win Poker. Well, it did not take long for one of Russ Hamilton's buddies. Neverwin Poker was a very well-read site back then. One of his buddies saw it and called him, and he was obviously very scared. So he called up. He tried to find me. He didn't have my number, couldn't find my number. So he called up the only number of someone he had that was associated with all this, and that was Dustin Neverwin Wolf. And he called up Neverwin and screamed in his voicemail. I wish we saved it. That the DOJ is going to be on his fucking ass, and uh, um, you know that shit that's up there is all untrue, and it's got to fucking come down. And he had nothing to do with this, and you know, so anyway, he demanded to talk to me, and said that his lawyers are going to have they're coming after us. So I thought, crap, you know, what if what if I'm wrong? What if I was give, given information which this person you know believed they came to? Uh, through their their own little investigation and uh, the conclusions they drew as, as insiders. But uh, what if uh, when it all came down to it, they were wrong? What if Russ Hamilton was really innocent of all this? Even if even if he actually did own part of UB, even if uh, uh, so some of the other accusations about his involvement there were true, even if... Uh, his involvement with this uh, Ultimate Blackjack Tour and, and, and t- t- attempt to raise money, all of which ended up being true. Uh, that, that was the main reason he was cheating, by the way, is to raise money for this Ultimate Blackjack Tour he was running uh, associated with UB. 
But what if this was all not true? Now I know it's true. Now I don't mind saying it. But what what if back then it was all untrue? Um, what could have happened? And I thought, crap, he could sue me. And did you work? Did you use words like allegedly in the post or anything, or I, you basically I, just outed him? I wish I had saved the post. I just I I. I've, I tried to phrase it all in a way to where I felt it was more difficult to sue me, but I knew at the same time I was still putting enough out there to where uh, I could get in tr- I, I, I could successfully get sued, maybe. from like I wasn't that confident with it. So when I saw how pissed he was, and I called him up, and I talked to him, and he's shouting at me, and he seemed very, very serious about getting this down, and he's telling me all the, you know, the consequences it's going to have for him and how untrue this is. He doesn't know where I'm getting this information. and uh, I mean, I'm not saying I believed him, but 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 he said this with conviction, like like most scammers can. You know, he he was very very emphatic that uh, that this was all so false and that's it's killing his reputation here and he's going to get in trouble with the DOJ for things he didn't even do and that it's, it's going to no one's going to trust him ever again in poker. I mean, he was screaming at me about this and said that you know that I'm going to pay for this if I if I if, if if I'm the one who causes this based on bullshit rumors and. Uh, that aren't true. So anyway, I sat, I told them all thinking about it. And I, you know, I said, I'm going to look into it, but this is a very important matter. I'm going to look into it very shortly after that. I said, I can't do, it. I can't go forward with it because I, I just, I'm not sure enough. And it wasn't even my information. It was information that was given to me by someone who was on the inside that I had gotten to trust me. So I removed the post. It wasn't, I don't know how long it was up, but I removed it, and I removed the thread on, on everyone poker. And for some reason, people stopped talking about it. Like, I, I expected people were going to go, whoa, why is that gone? But for some reason, uh, I think there may have been one or two people asking, like, what happened? And I said, oh, there's just some confusion, something like that. Like, I, I didn't want to discuss it. I said, oh, you know, I, the, I, there, there were some conclusions up there which turned out to be incorrect. I just took the whole thing down. That's what I said. Uh, I didn't write a retraction. I just uh, removed it and tried to cover up that I'd ever written it. Cover up meaning like didn't deny it, but but like I tried to avoid discussion of it and gave like quick one liners of uh things like uh there were some inaccuracies it just wasn't worth leaving up here. And people kind of just let it go. So when not too long later it came out what Russ Hamilton's part actually was and that he was the main person cheating on those accounts, directly cheating people on UB viewing their whole cards and directly stealing money from them to mainly fund his Ultimate Blackjack Tour, but also even to fund like the Aruba tournament they had there, where they weren't getting good numbers and they uh, wanted to give away more seats. So they just keep holding satellites, and Russ would just keep uh, winning them and handing the seats off to whoever he wanted, or, or, or he'd give them to UB to hand off to people who they wanted to just fill seats there at the player's expense. And wasn't he saying during that meeting, he he put all the money out to send people to the, wasn't there a tape that came out where he was saying, like he had put all this money out of his pocket to send people to the tournament Yeah, that's kind of what he was referring to, that he, that he was he was doing this for the good of the company. He was trying to say that he he was doing this for the good of the company, and, uh, um, and that, so, so, I mean, there was a story then, this is after it all came out later about Russ that they were complaining to him about you know the UB the the Aruba tournament numbers this year aren't very good we're just not getting many people it's a uh, it's it's going it's looking pretty bad and he says don't worry I'll get you people 
That's what he said back, and, and and he did. He just kept winning satellite after satellite with his uh, yeah his, with his uh, super using, and uh, you know the 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 others in the satellites were paying for all these seats to be given away. So, Russ so was amazing not- how Phil Helmuth and El- Annie Duke knew nothing about it. Yeah, and then and so then as far as like the the CEO or founder of Iovation that Greg Pearson, did, so. At what wife? At what point was his wife banging the fifteen-year-old? Was oh, yeah. that when he was trying to raise money for the tournament simultaneously? Do you think? Yeah, well, that's that's a theory that's being thrown around that uh, um, that that was also being done. Um, that was earlier, actually. I think that was an '04 or something. Uh, Allegedly. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was a, a legal case about it. So it was it was a, a the and I. I I think she settled with the boy or something, but yeah, a 15 or 16 year old boy that Greg Pearson's wife was accused of having sex with. And then, uh, uh, supposedly Greg Pearson needed money at the time for her legal defense. And, uh, there's a theory that that, that's when the cheating started uh, initially to pay for that. And Russ Hamilton, uh, took it over and, 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 you know, to, to fund the, Ultimate Blackjack Tour, and also to get Aruba seats, and also just to enrich himself. You know, just just basically, it was like a a, a free source of money for whatever's needed, whether for himself or for for the company. Uh, when he said he did stuff for the company, some of that was true, but uh, um, basically, it was just a, an ATM for the company and for himself when they when when money's needed. There, there it was. So. Anyway, I was the first one to post that up there, and I removed it. And of course, I wished I hadn't removed it once the truth came out about Russ Hamilton. But I, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know at the time. Had I known it was certain that he really had done it, then I would have left it up there. Uh, but unfortunately, I, I didn't have that complete certainty, and I, I got a little bit spooked, and I took it down. But here, so anyway, uh, I wasn't as involved in all the UB stuff. That was the, mostly the extent of my involvement in the UB side. Was that that was the Big piece I was given, then took it down, then wished I had left it up and I could have been the one to have first outed Russ Hamilton, which I was, but I took it down after, I think, less than a day. So I, I, I even have a hard time taking credit for it because I took it down is the point. But I didn't take it down like after two minutes. I mean, it was up long enough to where Russ Hamilton found out about it, left a message for, for Neverwin. Then it took some time to get a hold of me. Then I had to get a hold of Russ Hamilton, and then then I took it down shortly after that phone call. Like it was, a, it wasn't like I, I posted it in three minutes later; it was gone. It, it was up there probably like for almost a full day. So, uh, the the rest was was uh, you know played out, and and a lot of information was subsequently found out. A lot of it investigated by other people who did a great job. Uh, Scott Bell, who, who produced it, uh, produced that uh, Ultimate Beat documentary, which I appeared in. Uh, Haley Hintz, who really did an excellent job uh, after the fact investigating everything about Absolute Poker. I mean, she really became... She knows more about Scott Tom and all everything going on with Absolute Poker through this, this scandal than anybody. Except perhaps the play, the per, the perpetrators themselves. So, uh, so she did a, a great job, and uh, you know, Nat Aram did did a whole lot. Uh, there's a guy not really referred to very much, but Serge Radinsky. He was involved in the earlier days, like I was. A lot of people were involved here. Uh, David Paredes with the UB side, uh, Michael Josem. So, I, I don't want to take away from others. And say that like I was the hero who did everything. I wasn't. 
there were large portions where I was not involved or barely involved. Where I was involved was, number one, I was a victim on both sites. Number two, I was one of the very initial few to have figured it out on UB. I'm sorry, wrong, on AP, not UB. To figure it out on AP and brought it out, came up with a super user term in reference to what was going on there, or kind of translated it over from, or shouldn't say translated, brought it over from the computer science realm to poker to describe what was happening, and it caught on. So really, when you hear that term used, about, oh, super users of that, that came from me. I, and I'm not being like Al Gore, like, oh, I invented the internet. This really came from me. Haley Hintz wrote a book, which never got released for whatever reason. She wrote a book about the whole absolute poker scandal, and my part was described in there at least to some degree, and she even told me, she wrote in there, that she researched it, and sure enough, I was the first one to have mentioned super user in reference to this, like I was the one who came up with that term in reference to poker. Uh, so I was really involved in that. I mean, you, you don't know how many, I, I was calling absolute poker every day, leaning on them, trying to, you know, re-manipulate them into, into, Revealing more and, and, and making more and more contacts and uh, trying to get from these insiders as much as I could and assure them everything will be okay. I was very, very active in investigating this here. Only when the crazy Marco pot ripper hand came and all that wasn't necessary anymore did I kind of start to fade and let uh, others kind of uh, complete it while I was more just uh, shouting, hey, everybody keep paying attention to this. And and with UB, I I, I I was the first one to post about Russ Hamilton and hear about him, that he was the one. And you can ask everyone about this. You can even ask Mike on if he'll tell the truth, provided they remember it. We're talking more than 10 years. But uh, So the, the reason I'm telling you guys all this is that uh, that, that was just, just so you understand what my part was and wasn't. So what wasn't my part? Uh, I didn't analyze hand histories. Uh, I, I discussed these. Again, I wasn't doing poker trackers, so I discussed the anal- analysis of others that they did with, with, with them in the early stages. But I wasn't analyzing hand histories myself. I wasn't analyzing probabilities myself. I, uh, I wasn't the one who decoded the thing that Crazy Marco got. Um, I wasn't the one who discovered the UB cheating. Um. So all those things I didn't do, but I was very involved in the early and middle stages of the AP scandal, and also with the Russ Hamilton uh, outing on, on UB, the initial route outing, which I then retracted. But uh, and I, I definitely had much more part in the outing of the UB, of the AP scandal and the UB part, and I've always been clear about that too. And I don't want to take anybody else's credit, but I was very part of, much part of that whole thing, and that's why. I don't. I'm not ashamed to say I was, and I'm not, I'm not. I don't feel like a fraud saying that I was. I'm not someone that the trolls like to say that I just let others do all the work, and then I would come out and basically repost the conclusions they came to. Sometimes in a you know in a more eloquent or or readable or digestible fashion, and people would say, "Oh, you know, Todd's the one who did everything." That's not what. That's not the way it went down. That's not the way it went down. Did I sometimes you know? 
post updates of what others had found? Yes, because it was an important story. But I never said, "Oh, look what I found." I posted, the, you know, Net Aram found this. You know, I, I I would I would always attribute it to exactly who came up with it. I would never try to take others' glory in this. I mean, it's, it wasn't even really glory. It was just others' work. I, nobody was in this for glory. Everybody just wanted the truth to come out. And that's why when these TV shows approached me, I never asked for money. And I never tried to parlay these into any other kind of you know, TV or media appearances. You know, what was it going to really do me? You know, like I wasn't going to get... I definitely wasn't going to get signed to poker sites because I'm on TV bashing poker sites. So there wasn't some kind of some kind of end game I was going for there. I I just wanted the word to get out. So that, just in case you're curious, that's the story. Definitely not topical to today. It's over ten years ago now, but just in case you're wondering what my part in that whole thing was. Now you know. If you have any questions, you can always text me at 775-4855-775-372-8355. There may be, uh, you know, it's been over 10 years. There could be you know, things I slightly misremember, but that's that's very close to what all went down. Side effect texts me. This is side effect. This is my fourth cash. Thank you, Eric. Uh, since uh, five thirty-one seventeen. Okay, I guess uh, I think he's legit. Damn! Still had hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, congratulations. Side effect. Good game. All right, so let's see what else we got here. Speaking of cheaters online, I want to talk about uh, more present and current cheating. We'll be back in 2018 now. Get out of uh, 2008 and 2007. So in uh, 2018, we're seeing controversy about America's card room, started mostly by uh, Chicago Joey. He's uh, been accusing them of multi-accounting, botting, collusion... Or at the very least, that they're turning a blind eye to all of that, even if they're not doing it. So, somebody else, it's actually A. Hoosier A. brought this to my attention, showed that there was a very clever but uh, cheating and collusion, <laughs> collusion way to uh, really take advantage of guaranteed tournaments there where they get a pretty poor sign-up. Very poor sign-up. So, some uh, players in America's card room were focusing on kind of lower, not micro, but lower buy-in tournaments with four-figure guarantees. So, I I see a screenshot here of a $6,000 guaranteed tournament where the buy-in was $66. So, you may say, well, where's the money in that? You know, even if you could cheat this, how much are you going to really make? Well... Here's what they were doing. They actually made pretty good money for very little work. Uh, how does a guaranteed tournament work? Well, it's pretty simple. They, they guarantee that's the prize pool. And what the site hopes is that they'll get enough registrations to meet that guarantee in the regular registration time and in the late registration time. And the players really have no control other than DDoSing and things like that. They really don't have any control of how many people register. Well... 
What would happen, though, if enough people bust from a tournament to where the money gets hit before the late registration period is over? How do they handle the guarantee at that point if they're already having to pay people? How can they deal with it? So the way they deal with it is they they don't. What they do is if they're in late registration and the bubble bursts, the money bubble bursts, then that's it. And the late registration period is over. So some clever people started stalking the America's Card Room lobby and looked for tournaments with an especially low registration number when the tournament actually started. And what they would do is then they would send a lot of their own accounts, bots or whatever, or just their own accounts that they'd log in with multi-accounts. They'd log them in to where there's enough of them there to where they can all intentionally bust and force the money to occur. And the reason that's good is because they would be dumping their chip in the process of busting, they would be jumping their chips to one of their other players who would then have the biggest stack and then would, then would only be a, a competing with a few remaining people to win the guaranteed prize pool. So in this case, there is a tournament. It's, it's amazing this even happened, but yes, there was actually a tournament with eight people registered <laughs> when, when registration had started, when, when the tournament started a 60 plus six with 6,000 guaranteed, meaning they needed uh, um. A hundred to meet the no the overlay. There was no overlay uh, if if you ignore the rake, and I think like ninety something if there's uh, if you consider the rake as part of it. But they only got eight. Now usually when there's these tournaments, people notice. Oh look, a tournament's going with only eight people. That's six thousand guaranteed. Okay, let's get in there, and then they, that encourages people to register, and that ends up getting closer to the guarantee. So people will register when they see that. So what they did here is that um, I guess that what they saw was uh, there were only two people registered at the tournament. So a guy whose main account was named Bad Quality, which is very fitting. Bad Quality then registered himself and five other junk accounts of his or his friends or whatever, but five other accounts that were colluding with him. Also registered. Now there were eight. It went from two people to eight people. Before that, it was just uh, Rundom and Gutter Slut, who were legitimate players. And then Bad Quality, who was the colluder. And then five who were colluding with him, who all registered at the same moment. That was uh, Bobby's Dynasty, uh, Easy OMG 10, Paso Give Up, Scratch and Sniff, and White Quality. So. Those five, and bad quality, all sat at the same time. Since there were only eight people total, they were all put at the same table. And those five, on this very second, on the second hand of the tournament, all went all in. As did bad quality. So six of the eight people went all in. Who were all basically the same person. And knowing one of them is going to win, barring a chop, one of those six is going to win. The other five are going to lose, right? So that's what happened. Bad quality was the winner. Bad quality's other five accounts busted, and that triggered the money. To where now the prize pool became established. That would be three thousand for first, eighteen hundred for second, twelve hundred for third. 
So by sitting now with six names at $66 each, which uh, works out to uh, a little less than $400 for him, he has now guaranteed himself $1,200. Pretty good, huh? 1200 and as much as, as 3000 And that forced the registration to close. Whereas had they not done that, there would have been enough time for people to sit there and uh, start to fill the thing up. It would have still been an overlay, but not like to this degree. So bad quality, of course, starting immediately with a six-time stack, crushed everybody and finished first and got $3,000. So that's the type of stuff that's going on over there in America's card room. Now, the, the truth is there were only two other people there. The truth is that the two other people, uh, Gutter Slut and uh, Run Dom, also made money, even though they weren't part of this whole collusion thing. But uh, still, bad quality got uh, money that was undeserved. He got chips dumped to him by collusion. He won the tournament when he shouldn't have. America's card room was the one who mainly took it up the ass in this one. But if they're not catching obvious things like this, this was brought to their attention. I don't know what they did about it, but this was brought to their attention by uh, someone who had observed this. But if people are getting away with blatant things like this, uh, can you imagine? Like, could you imagine them clamping down on botting or, or regular colluders in cash games? There's no way. This shows you really how out to lunch security there really is. If this type of stuff is going on and apparently working enough to where people are doing it. This happened in, uh, in uh, last month, a few weeks ago. So watch out for America's card room. Definitely, uh, it really does seem like there's a lot of colluders and, and uh, possible bots on there. Sands Gaming, which is Sheldon Adelson's company. They own the Venetian. They own the Palazzo. They own Sands Macau. They own uh, Sands Bethlehem, which is a casino in Pennsylvania. Basically, Sands uh, is Sheldon Adelson's uh, gaming corporation. By the way, the Sands was once a hotel in uh, Las Vegas. It no longer exists. It's where the Venetian is now. There is still a Sands Convention Center, which was once part of the Sands Hotel, which is now owned by the Venetian. But they, do, they kept the name only for the Convention Center. The Sands closed in 1996. And... Uh, the uh, but they, but they were owned at that point by the same company, the Las Vegas Sands Corporation, and uh, Las Vegas Sands Corporation was actually actually founded in 1988. Even though the Sands goes back way way before that, the Las Vegas Sands Corporation was founded in 1988 by Sheldon Adelson, and they bought the Sands from MGM Grand Incorporated. In 1989. So anyway, they own uh, the Sands Macau, as at the Sands Bethlehem, and they made a pretty 
boneheaded mistake in Pennsylvania. Not one that's going to sink the company by any means, but they had an opportunity that uh, they pretty much blew (laughs) in a stupid, stupid way where you just wonder, what are they thinking? I wonder if Sheldon... He must have heard about this. I wonder if he fired anyone over this. This is a pretty boneheaded mistake. So if you don't like Sheldon Adelson and his anti-online poker antics, then you'll enjoy this story. So Pennsylvania, they've been making all these moves recently regarding legalized gambling. And uh, one of the things that they have authorized, this is in October 2017, involves mini-casinos. That is that they've decided that they're willing to have as many as 10 total small casinos in the state. And uh, they they set up some rules about how close they can be to each other and what kind of games they can have and how many games they can have. The idea is that rather than allowing the proliferation of giant casinos there to just take over areas and just become a major destination, which they, they don't want it to become too dominant. That they'd like some smaller casinos to pop, you know, to pop up around the state that locals can go to that aren't going to really be a destination for people out of the area. That's, that was the point of these mini casinos, why they were approved. So there became a process in determining who gets the licenses to operate these ten mini casinos around the state, and these were auctions, and uh, they also had uh, eligibility requirements, a lot of different requirements to win the licenses to, to do this. So Sands uh, decided they're going to try to get one of these. And uh, what, the, what they're, tr- so they wanted to have one in uh, Hempfield Township in uh, Mercer County, Pennsylvania. And that's actually in western Pennsylvania. And believe it or not, the target market there was not even Pennsylvania. It was actually Youngstown, Ohio, which is very close to uh, to Hempfield Township. So that was the, the goal there. Sands decided that you know they'd like one there, and they're going to get a number of people coming over from Youngstown across the state line. And uh, they thought that would be a uh, good place to have it. So what's wrong with that? Well, they they made a little mistake. See, there was a requirement that uh, a mini casino has to be a certain distance away from other casinos in the state, or otherwise uh, it's considered it'll be kind of encroaching on their territory. They don't want to hurt existing casinos, including these new mini casinos. They want everything spread out well enough to where it really is just aimed at locals. So uh, there, there's four different categories of casinos, uh, c- considered one, two, three, and four. Uh, the mini casinos are considered category five, sorry, category four establishments, and a category four license will allow you to have between three hundred and seven hundred fifty slot, slot machines. And that license costs $7.5 million. If you want to pay $10 million for the license instead of $7.5 million, meaning another $2.5 million, then you can also have up to 30 table games. So the Category 1, 2, and 3 casinos are bigger. And uh, 
So the rules as far as these Category 4 casinos, these mini casinos, is that uh, your new casino has to be 25 or more miles away from any Category 1, 2, or 3 casino. Also, it can't be within 15 miles of another Category 4 mini casino. So wherever you propose your casino to be, it better be 25 or more miles away from one of the bigger casinos or 15 or more miles and 15 more miles away, 15 or more miles away from one of these mini casinos. So basically there can be no casino in Pennsylvania anywhere within a 15 mile radius of where you're proposing your casino to be. If you propose it closer than that, you will be rejected. If you propose it between 15 and 25 miles of a casino that's a bigger one, category one, two or three, you'll also be rejected. Also, you cannot propose your casino to be in a city that has opted out of casino. So if it's in a city that says, we don't want a casino, and you propose it there, you'll also be rejected, obviously. So those are the requirements. So, this is what happened. Would you believe that the Sands, that they didn't bother to look, that Hempfield uh, Township which, again, is in western Pennsylvania, was less than 15 miles away than Mount Airy Casino, which had recently been granted a license. <laughs> somehow they didn't look. Somehow, somehow they proposed this casino in Hempfield without bothering to look at the new licensees that had been granted. So Mount Airy Casino had just won that auction on February 8th to be in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And somehow Sands missed that. (laughs) Somehow Sands did not see that Mount Airy was there, that they had just won that. So they put in their bid to exist less than 15 miles away and got rejected. So, uh, there was only one other bid for this particular mini casino license because there was a, uh, this is the fourth one that they're giving away. And uh, for the fourth license, it was only them and Parks Casino who wanted to build their own mini casino in South Newton. So, Parks basically bid the minimum. A tiny bit over. They bid the minimum of $8.111 million. Sands bid almost $10 million. So they easily would have won. Parks was like, eh, we'll take her to leave. We'll do, we'll do a minimum bid, see if, it, see if it takes. So they put in like a, a, a pseudo-minimum bid. Sands bid substantially ha- higher and would have easily won. And Parks would not have gotten it. And because Parks stupidly put down... Or not Parks. Because Sands stupidly put down that location that was invalid, they lost even with a higher bid. And they couldn't... They were not allowed to modify it, which is kind of funny. You think they'd go back... That just shows you how stupid the state is. You think the state would say, "Hey guys, you made a mistake. Here's one more chance. You know, find a different location." Instead, it's nope, you lose. So the state lost out. Parks bid 8.111 million. Sands bid uh, 9.885 million. So the state lost out right there on 1.8 million. But uh, Parks is the winner. So no Sands Casino in Hempfield. That's funny. 
How do you make that mistake? Now you might wonder, uh, how much will these make? Well, uh, it depends where they are located. Uh, the very first license actually went to uh, Hollywood Casino for $50.1 million. Uh, so it's because it's uh, 20 miles north of Maryland, and it's considered a good location. Uh, Philly Live, they won the second one for $40.1 million, and that's because it's not too far from Pittsburgh. And then Mount Airy got for uh, almost $22 million their location. So uh, this would have been a pretty good deal still for uh, for Sands to get this for less than $10 million. I don't know what they're going to make, but it's obviously you know it, it's obviously worth something to just just to get the license to to be bidding uh, eight figures. And if you think about it, yeah, three hundred to seven hundred fifty slot machines in a casino that. We'll get some decent local traffic. That that will be worth money if it's run properly. There are ten licenses to be given away. They've only uh, given away four so far, so presumably they can still reapply. But the problem is, uh, with with every new location that one's given out, then that's another place they can't get a casino. That's why the very first one went for the most because it was in the best location. The second one was the second best location, and so on and so forth. So the fifth, the fifth one to be given away is probably going to be in some crap area that's not going to get much traffic. So I'm not sure if the Sands will even want it. It's a pretty big mistake. How do you not pay attention to this? <laughs> the three licenses that have been granted where they were, especially since they tell you the new ones that are being granted, you can't be within 15 miles of them, and somehow they were anyway. How do you make that mistake? But there really is a lot of incompetence in the casino industry. We've mentioned that many times before on this show. It's just mind-boggling how much incompetence there really is. So it's, it's interesting because the average person doesn't really consider all this stuff, all this regulatory stuff, all the, uh, the whole process of, of getting one of these casinos approved and getting the licensing and bidding for the license and paying money for the license like a... People kind of know what happens, but they don't really think about all this. They, I, I guarantee the average person going to these casinos in, in Pennsylvania are just going to think, hey, I want to gamble. Hey, there's a casino uh, you know, fairly close to me now. Cool. Like, uh, that's all they're going to think. They're not going to think about all this stuff. So it's kind of interesting when you pull back the curtain and you read about this, especially when boneheaded mistakes are, meant, are made. reminds me a little bit of how Caesars blew the opportunity to have a casino in the Boston area, the one and only license that was going to the Boston area ended up going to the win, partially because Caesars had to bail out because they were unwittingly in business with a Russian mobster when they were renovating the Barbary Coast to become the Cromwell. <laughs> Caesars, actually, Caesars actually hired a Russian mobster to do it without realizing it. I mean, that's how stupid they were. So then when this got back to Boston, Boston said, nope, <laughs> we don't like that. So Caesars actually voluntarily withdrew, knowing that that would actually kill their ability to get the license. Because Boston's saying, we have one license to give away. It's, it's going to be 
to the very best with not even the slightest issue. So they knew once that issue was, was found that Caesars, even if it was an accident, since Caesars was in business at the moment with the Russian mobster, they knew they would not win it. So they just bailed out at that point. So funny, you have Caesars that is unaware they're in business with a Russian mobster, and then you have the Sands Corporation, which is supposed to pick a spot that's 15 or more miles away from other licensees that were just granted, and they don't bother to look at a map. Not very smart. You know, I think I could give Benjamin, Benjamin is 70 years old, and he knows how to use these map programs, and he, you know, he understands miles and distance and all that. So I, I bet if, if I gave this project to him and said, okay, Benjamin, here's where the three casinos have been granted. Find a place that is at least 15 miles away from these other three to put your casino. I bet he could find a spot that would be approved. But somehow Sands couldn't do it. I'm not even kidding. I bet I bet if I gave Benjamin that project, he could do it. I bet he would come up with a spot on the map that it could be. He, he probably wouldn't be good enough at figuring out the, the right market and you know what town to put it next to and where there's going to be the most people. That I guarantee he wouldn't get right. But uh, he would at least get it to where it was the proper number of miles away. So it's sad that a seven-year-old probably could have picked a better spot than what Sands did. But I've seen this before. I've seen mistakes, big mistakes that these casino corporations make that I think a little child could have done better. Not even with hyperbole, not even like saying that but not really mean it, but actually thinking if I put a child in charge of doing it, they would have done a better job. It's very sad and funny at the same time. Okay, so Trader Risky still with us? I'm here, but uh, second cup of herbal tea has just been poured. Well, for once, there's good timing on that because we're we're to the last topic here. I I knew this week was not going to be a long show. I we I just didn't have many topics, even with the filler topics about UB and all that. I just I looked and I go, there just aren't many stories this week. It's just it's just one of those weeks. We just don't have any stories. And uh. <laughs> disposition he was going off I'm looking at the chat he was going off in chat he was just I think the UB thing just pissed him off again it says Joe Seabach Perlod can't forget their contribution the UB was more of a guess that turned out correctly uh, passed on by someone that said so uh, he says yeah, you really just opened up old wounds well and remember when Joe and Barry went to his house where was that and all that it, whose house didn't they go to meet with Russ? Oh, Hamilton with Russ Hamilton. Yes, yes, yes. That was so stupid. Uh, Barry, he he did and said some stupid things over the years. This is one of them. Where, for whatever reason, Barry thought he was such a genius that he would go meet with Russ Hamilton. I don't know who's. I don't know if it was Russ's idea or his idea, but that he'd go meet with Russ Hamilton, talk to him, and then come back and tell the poker community whether he believed him. And and. Uh, Russ completely snowed Barry, and Barry uh, came away believing that Russ was likely telling the truth and, and reported that back, and then he looked like a fool later. I mean, uh, I don't know what he was thinking. It, it, what Barry should, If Barry really wanted to insert himself into that process, uh, he, he should have required Russ to show him proof he wasn't involved, which is tough because it's hard to prove you didn't do something. You know, it, 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 so that's... 
that's where it already gets tough. It, it's it's much easier to prove someone did do something than didn't do something. So, and, and that's why in the courts it's it's guilty, innocent until proven guilty, not the other way around, because it's a lot it's a lot easier to prove guilt than prove innocence. It's very hard to prove innocence sometimes. Say, hey, I didn't do this. Well, how do you know I didn't do this? Like, nobody here listening to this show knows for sure that I, I didn't kill, uh, that I'm a, not a serial killer who's murdered 10 people. I could be. Maybe I've gotten away with it. You don't know. If you ask me to prove I've never murdered 10 people, I can't. Okay, so the, you, you can come to me and say, prove you're not a serial killer. I cannot prove that. Why? Because I cannot account to you for every moment of every day that I've lived. Uh, I can't give an alibi for every single day. And there are unsolved murders out there. So how do you know I didn't commit them? You don't. So that's why it was already a losing proposition for him to go down there and possibly conclude Russ didn't do it. Because how's Russ going to prove he didn't? So And Russ is never going to say he did. So either Barry's going to think he did and say he did, but then maybe be afraid to say that, kind of like how I didn't want to say it until I was sure, uh, or, or somehow be convinced that he didn't do it, but really not have any evidence that he didn't do it. So there, there was a stupid thing for Barry to do in the first place, and that was uh, <laughs> that was just one of dumb the dumb things Barry did around those days. Also, Barry uh, bankrolled, I think, I don't know this for sure, but I heard that Barry was the one bankrolling Poker Road, which lost a lot of money. I heard at one point Poker Road had 20 full-time employees. I don't know if that's true, but someone told me. But Poker Road was a, media, a poker media company, which actually wasn't bad. They had some decent content. But the problem was Poker Road, uh, it, it came too late. It came too late, and it just was not uh, viable. It was before Black Friday, but it, it still it wasn't viable. It, the money was already starting to dry up in poker. It should have been there several years before, like 2004, 2005. That's what, that, was, that would have been the time for Poker Road, not not when it came, like 08 or something. 07, 08, something like that. So um, Poker Road, they, they it was just too expensive in an oper- of an operation. And Joe Seabach was managing it. He was he's Barry's stepson. So it lost a lot of money. And Barry's financial problems, which have been known for quite some time, some of that is blamed on Poker Road. Now, nobody knows for sure, but that's what the assumption is. And uh, they they really did spend a lot of money there, kind of at the wrong time. So it just was a business model that, on the surface, you, know, you could think maybe it could have worked. But sometimes things that seem cool and seem fun and seem interesting and even get a decent audience, if you can't monetize them, they're not worth very much as a business. And that's basically what was the story with Poker Road. So I, I'm not, I think this was part of, yeah, I think this was part of Poker Road that Barry did this. Let's see if you can, I, I wonder if the Poker Road URL even still exists. Let me see. It'd be funny if I could just buy it. Let's see. No, it's not here. Let me see. Let me see if I can buy Poker Road. I'm serious. I'm going to do it if I can. If I can do it right now, let me see. No, it's taken. That's too bad. Otherwise, I would I would have bought it right now on the air. Same way I bought PokerFraud.com recently. 
Wouldn't that be cool if Poker Road is, was was Poker Fraud Alert? Like we just we just sucked it in. Great. We've just sucked it in. I that's my my fantasy is to watch all these other poker companies crash and burn and just fold them into Poker Fraud Alert. But I guess I can't do it to Poker Road. But but yet you can't reach it if you it, like someone owns the domain currently, but you cannot reach it. Let's see if I can look up who owns it. Let's see if they even still own it, or if this maybe a squatter just grabbed it. Let me see. Like it's not that expensive to keep a domain, obviously, but let's let's see if there's any. Uh, uh, no, it's it's it's. This is weird. Hold on. It, it showed it, and then it quickly removed it. it. It showed me that it's owned by Alex Wong. This is so weird. Okay, this is weird. Okay, so there's a yeah, su- and in, Ran- in Rancho Palos Verdes, right? Isn't that where- right, I, but that, I, see, I'm using a site called Who dot Is, which used to be very good for showing this, but um, for whatever reason, now they've been asterisking out the asterisking out the, inf- the registrar information. But then it showed me this Alex Wong, and then I quickly refreshed and removed it and put asterisk instead, which is really weird. Like, oops, shouldn't have shown you that. Interesting. But w- yeah, and I think she's. Uh, I think it's a woman. I'm pretty sure she's like just one of the Asian women, Vietnamese. I guess used to be hanging around with Barry during that time. Well, and it's Rancho Palos Verdes, which is where Barry. I don't know if he still has that house, but that's where he lived for a long time. Yeah. So, so it looks like yeah, it looks like uh, Barry kept it, or at least that woman associated with him kept it. So, all right. Well, I don't know what they're going to do with it. It's been dead for a long time. Okay, but Draft, I want you to mark your calendar. Six twenty nine eighteen. Up. Oh. You know. Okay. Keep an eye out. That's you know they renewed it last in two thousand thirteen, so they certainly could be. Oh, I see. Yeah, maybe Alex. Knows. Maybe with, you know. Maybe Alex Wong's Yeah. Maybe With the not, earlier pro- story about poker players not, not even living not living long, you, you might have no resistance. <laughs> well, or, or Alex Wong may not be checking your email anymore, or that particular email, yeah. or or she may not be associated that, with Barry you never, anymore. You never know. Yeah, know. Somebody they could somebody could get buried in grapes and die. You don't know what could happen. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> I, this is six twenty nine. That's during the World Series. So wouldn't that be cool if I, I could? I can come to you all and say, I've been so successful in the World Series, I have now bought Poker Road. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get the press release ready for the 30th. <laughs> Todd Dandruff would tell us, who has min-cashed in one event this year, has invested his winnings in Poker Road, but said that he is not going to spend it all in one spot. Wittellis spent only 0.1% of his, his min-cash on Poker Road on a 199 GoDaddy special. <laughs> we we laugh, but that's really what would happen. <laughs> no, I know you do. You do with a th- I'm sure you would do with a thousand bucks. What Barry paid one point five million to do. Yeah, I do. No, I do with a dollar. Literally, I would do with a dollar ninety nine. What do you do it to pay? To, well, right, but I'm just as far as all the whole infrastructure and everything else. They never had a call to listen line. You know, there'd be all these upgrades. Well, that would be uh, that, that would be funny though, just to have that be poker fraud alert. Well, I, I will. I'll, I'll try to get it. You know, if they let it expire, I'll try to get it. So, if anybody wants to remind me when this comes, uh, definitely remind me. I, I may have my mind on the World Series. Okay, so let's let's see here. Uh, last topic is about the UK and their. 
concern over large sites that are trying to avoid paying their customers? See, this is this type of thing pisses me off because you think when these large operations exist in a place like the UK that the last thing they're going to try to do is cheat their customers. But yet it's happening in kind of a soft way. And when I say soft, I don't mean like it's not a big deal. I mean that they're doing it in a way that they think they can get away with it and the UK is getting tired of it. So the United Kingdom's Competition and Markets Authority, uh, the CMA, is, is uh, continuing its investigation into uh, the UK-facing online operators who uh, placed the roadblocks in the path of the... Uh-oh, uh-oh. Is that a big yawn? Oh, sorry. I thought I was on mute. You forgot it was. Mute. Okay. Uh, investigation into the UK-facing online operators who place roadblocks in the path of customers seeking to the withdrawal of, of all or part of their online bankrolls. In recent days, the CMA has announced that they've sent notifications to several unnamed operators regarding the continuation of such practices. Now, uh, you may be wondering, um, what, what, what is all that tripe? What, what does all that mean? Um, what it's trying to say is that um, some of these larger online gambling operators in the UK, which, again, are, they're, they're licensed, they, they're regulated, they, um, they're rather large companies, uh, they are finding ways to avoid paying the, uh, the players their money when they want to withdraw it. Now, uh, the CMA, uh, about a month ago, actually reached agreements with three very large online, po- uh, online sites, online gambling sites. William Hill, Ladbrokes, and Titanbet. All right, now um, here's here's what um, here's what was accused. It says the CMA has launched enforcement action against a number of online gambling firms in respect to practices that may place unfair obstacles in the way of people withdrawing their money. Issues of particular concern that we have raised include. Daily, weekly, monthly limits on withdrawing funds that appear unreasonably low. Uh, potentially arbitrarily, sh- arbitrarily short deadlines on time customers have to verify their identity as a condition of withdrawing funds. Sometimes providing for forfeiture of a customer's funds if missed. And dormancy terms that allow firms to confiscate funds or impose apparently excessive charges after a certain period of inactivity. Now, um, to put this in more simple terms for the slower listeners of this show who don't quite understand. You know, we, we have some people who are quite swift to listen to this show, and, and we have others who are rather daft, okay? So I'm trying to explain to those of you who, who may not quite get what that all meant. Uh, and if you do know what it meant, then um, go make yourself a spot of tea and come back when I'm done explaining this, this portion. Um, so these sites are guilty of either putting some kind of limit where they say, oh, you may want to withdraw $5,000 this month, but we're putting a limit of um, $200 per month withdrawing. That's the most you can withdraw, $200. And you may say, well, but, but I, I just won 5000 this month. And you say, well, um, that's not our problem. Um, you can withdraw $200 and we'll send it to you lickety split and you have to wait the next month to withdraw the other 200 and so on and so forth. And um, so that, that sort of thing was going on. Um, then they were also sending identification requirements, which is just fine. It's known as a know your customer. However, um, they would put deadlines on it and say, well, if you do not identify yourself in the way we demand in this period of time, then your time will have expired 
and um, either your withdrawal will not be processed and you'll have to start all over, or even worse, um, we will actually take your funds because you did not identify yourself in time. So, you know, we give you 10 days to show, send us a utility bill and, and, and government identification and other uh, identifying documents. And if we don't receive those in, in this short period of time we give you to do, and if you say, well, but I don't have a utility bill in my name, it's in my, it's in my boyfriend's name. And then I say, well, not my problem. We're taking your funds. Tell you how pip pip and get on with it. Now that's that's what's been happening. And then also, um, if someone does not use their account for some time, uh, they end up just taking the funds away, saying, "Well, you have not been active here, so we're closing your account and keeping the funds." Thank you very much. So these three things have been, three things have been occurring, and not just on these smaller sites, but has been taking place as well on William Hill, on Ladbrokes, and Titanbet. And the only reason this stopped was because um, these three rather large companies agreed to voluntarily come up with standards to prevent this sort of thing. So it's not like the big ones were not guilty of it and, uh, and they, passed, they, 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 you know, they, they passed muster. It wasn't that. What happened here is that um, they came to the big ones and the big ones said, oh, bollocks, yeah, we, we better do something about this because um, the hammer's about to fall on us. So, um, you know, so they said, you know, the, fighting the, the, the UK CMA on this one is as, as useful as carrying coals to Newcastle. So what they did is they said, well, we, our only choice at this point is to uh, voluntarily come up with terms that uh, uh, we'll agree to. So this way we look the most cooperative. So that's what they did. That's what the three big ones went and did. And uh, that was done on February 1st of 2018. But the fact that this even had to be agreed to by these three uh, large sites is, is quite disturbing. Because if you think about it, if you think about it, why should this have been happening in the first place? Like, like why should it be so difficult to get your bloody money? If you have money on the site, it should be yours. If you want to withdraw your funds, it sh- there shouldn't be a limit. It shouldn't matter how much you want to withdraw. You know, if you if you want to withdraw $5, you should be able to do so. Oh, sorry, sorry, not dollars, £5. I don't know what I'm saying. I've been in the U.S. too long. If you want to withdraw £5, you should be able to. If you want to withdraw... $1 million. You should be able to. And if you somehow get incredibly lucky, you should be able to withdraw... $100 billion. It shouldn't matter. Why should there be any kind of withdrawal limits? Now, let me tell you why there ever were withdrawal limits on these online sites. And this is because back in the days when everything was not regulated and they had to use shady payment processes, these shady payment processes can only move so much money at one time, especially to one individual. So they had to put limits on what they could do so one person was not hogging off all the payouts. All right, So that's why that was in place. Uh, there was a second reason. That's because they had actually stolen all the money, and this way this allowed them to uh, keep up the airs that they really had all the money and just was not allowing you to withdraw it all at once. But uh, uh, in, in the case of these companies here, there's no reason for a licensed, regulated company to have limits on withdrawing funds. Now, think of a brick-and-mortar casino. Let's say you go to Caesars Palace or the Bellagio in Las Vegas. All right? Now, let, let's say you you you. you bet high limits at Baccarat, win you know, quite some large sum of money, and you go to cash out there at the cashier, and they're going to say, oh, no, 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 no. So you may have won $3 million in Baccarat, but we're only going to let you withdraw 2000 of it. The, the rest you have to come back um, you know, every month and withdraw 2000 there's, there's no way that would fly. You, you can always withdraw, by law, every penny that you've won at a casino in Las Vegas. Okay. So there's no reason in these online casinos for them to have any kind of withdrawal limits. Now, yes, there should be deposit limits to prevent uh, fraud or um, 
maybe compulsive gambling. There, there I can understand the arguments to have deposit limits, but withdrawal limits, there should never be any, provided that the proper checks are made to, to see that the person withdrawing is really the one who is requesting the with, you know, really the one authorized to make the withdrawal. Okay? That should be the only reason, the security reason, to make sure that the withdrawal is going to the right person. But provided that is identified, which should not be too hard, especially for large amounts, they can put them through extra hoops to identify themselves, um, there should be no limits, not, not one. So the fact that that's there is, is, is quite uh, disturbing to begin with. And then, then there's the matter of the, uh, the deadlines to identify yourself. I, I can see them refusing to process it until you identify yourself. Obviously, that's uh, something that should be required. But um, to take away funds to, for, for those that cannot identify themselves in an incredibly short time is obviously just an attempt to steal. Furthermore, what is with these um, confiscations of funds when you just don't play for a while? This should never happen. In fact, there should never be the right in a regulated site to just take anyone's money, even if they have gone dormant. If, if someone has left money on a site, and for whatever reason has stopped gambling, maybe, they, they've, uh, maybe they're in a coma, maybe they've just uh, lost the taste for gambling, uh, maybe they've forgotten the password and don't feel like putting out the effort to... to recover it, maybe they've been very busy with work or with family, maybe they've had uh, some sort of traumatic event, maybe they've, uh, their mother's gotten sick and you know, she's fallen ill and they've, they've come to take care of her and serve her tea every night. It, it doesn't matter, if you don't log into your account for some period of time, they should not be able to steal your money from you. Now if you think about it, if you, if you leave your money in a bank and never touch the account and never just forget it's there, okay, eventually the money will be taken out of that bank account. However, the bank will not keep it. They're not allowed to do that by law. What they have to do at that point is return the money to... actually put the money in the government, who then holds it, and then you claim the money at some point if you ever realize that you have it. So I would be fine if there were dormancy terms that allowed these sites to wash their hands of accounts that um, don't seem to be active anymore after some reasonable amount of time. You know, say, two years, someone doesn't touch their account, that the, uh, the site has a right to take them off the books and move the money over to the, uh, the UK CMA or whoever is going to manage this. And then if the person comes looking for it, they tell, oh, go to the government, they've got your money, and then you, you go get it from the government, and that's that. But to take the money for themselves is nothing but thievery. So... Um, this is what um, UK Gaming Commission uh, his name is uh, he's the program director his name is uh, Ian Angus he said this we support the CMA's investigation gambling firms should not be placing unreasonable restrictions on when and how consumers can withdraw money from their online gambling accounts while the CMA continues its inquiry and remember it's inquiry E-N-Q-U-I-R-Y. Now, I want you Yanks to remember this, okay? It is not inquiry. It's not I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y. I don't understand how you Americans across the pond have bastardized the English language. Remember, it's called English. It's not called American, okay? It's called English. You've bastardized the language and you've changed the spelling of words. There's no apparent rhyme or reason, okay? So we've got inquiry, which is a perfectly respectable fine word, and it becomes inquiry. Why? What could possibly be the bloody reason to change inquiry to inquiry? But that's, that's what's been done. But, but here, because this is a UK matter, we're going to call it an inquiry. So, while the CMA continues its inquiry, we expect all online operators to look closely at all terms and practices they have in place 
and consider if they are unfair if they are fair on with their customers. I couldn't agree more, but I don't think they're going far enough. I think that these these should have been requirements in the first place. No withdrawal limits, no ability to confiscate funds under any circumstances, other than perhaps cheating, at which point they should be redistributed to those who are cheated. But never over account issues, never over lack of verification or, 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 or excessive time not used. That's bollocks. The fact that these have existed for quite a few years in, in, in regulated form, and this is still occurring in the year 2018, is dreadful. Now, they did start this investigation quite some time ago. They started on October 21st, 2016. They opened the enforcement cases in June 2017. And uh, last month, on February 1st, that's when the uh, agreements were made with these with William Hill, Ladbrokes, and uh, Titanbet to cease these practices. Now, I do want to say that um, the biggest issue, apparently, that was going on with, with these three largest sites was uh, more about bonuses. Uh, they, they were very, very sneaky with bonuses, these large, larger sites. Um, what they would do is they would not mention or hide very uh, deftly the playthrough requirements, where you'd, you'd deposit, you'd get a bonus, but then um, you would not be able to withdraw at all until uh, the bonus is either expired or you've completed it with enough play. So um, what you couldn't do, for example, was uh, deposit $1,000, get a $1,000 bonus, and then say, all right, I'll take my $1,000 off that I just deposited and play with the bonus money. You know, so the problem here is that um, they cannot freeze your deposit under any circumstances. You, you, now, if you want to withdraw it, they can say you have to give up the bonus. If you want to withdraw, that is completely legal. But what they cannot say is because you have a bonus, we're not letting you withdraw. You, you always need to ha- – under UK law, you need to either have the ability to forfeit the bonus and withdraw or, um, you know, or, or just leave it there and continue – with the bonus, but if you want to withdraw, you always should be able to. They cannot hold your withdrawal back because of a bonus. They have to, at the very least, give you the chance to forfeit the bonus if you want to withdraw. And they were not doing that, and um, they were also not making it clear about the playthrough requirements to uh, to get the bonuses. So um, that's what's going on at the, at the big three for sure. And uh, these other issues, uh, I'm not sure which is going on at which site, but um, they they voluntarily came with uh, what they sh- what, what they would do regarding um, deposits and withdrawals at these sites. And uh, let's see if I can find this list here. Well, here, here's a list from um, February 1st. I, I suppose this might be... Um, yeah, this is what they agreed to on February 1st, these, these big three. Now, you know, this is why the UK can often be superior to the United States. Now, the UK just lays it out there, which it's rather clear. And in fact, um, we don't get bogged down with, with a bunch of um, 
legalese mumbo jumbo in, in matters where the, the consumer needs to understand. So there's this very simple web page. It's on gov.uk. I'm not going to read the whole URL because it's quite long. It'll take me all day. But uh, this is called Do's and Don'ts for the Online Gambling Industry. That's it. Do's and don'ts for the online gambling. I mean, who, who couldn't understand that? You can, be, you can be quite daft. You'd still understand what they're trying to say here. Okay? So do. Regularly, regularly review your terms and practices to ensure they are fair to, and comply with consumer law. And this is aimed, by the way, not at the consumer, at the, at the casinos. Uh, clearly and promptly communicate terms and conditions so customers know what to expect. Give customers the information they need to decide if a promo- promotion is right for them. Allow customers to exit promotions at any time, I was just mentioning that, with a remaining deposit plus any winnings from play with the deposit and make this opportunity clear to them. This is not about winnings they win with the bonus money, but any winnings they made with the deposit. And uh, ensure customers can clearly distinguish between playing with bonus funds and playing with their own money. It's another trick that's used right by the way. With a, uh, let's say you deposit $1,000 and you get a 1000 bonus. Some sites which are not very scrupulous, and by the way, this includes Ignition and Bovada, these sites will actually have you play with your own money first and the bonus money second. So let's say you think it's the other way around and you're playing with the bonus money first and you shoot off your $1,000 very fast, which you think is the bonus, and you still your balance still shows 1000 you say, okay, well... Um, I'm willing to forfeit the, the bonus here and um, be done. So you, uh, you try to withdraw, and they say, no, 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 you don't understand. You've, you've just uh, actually you've just lost your, um, your deposit to not your bonus money. And you say, oh, bollocks. So he says, well, what do I do to get the other 1,000? They say, oh, you have to play it through 40 times to get your, um, your money. So then you try to play 40 times, and you lose it, and it's all gone, and you feel like a chump. So they say, again, ensure customers can clearly distinguish between playing with bonus funds and playing with their own money. So they understand when they're betting a bonus money and betting their own money. Don't. These are the don'ts. If you offer customers a free bet, don't change the deal once they've started playing. No, no, no. Deny, don't deny customers access to their own money, including the deposits and winnings from the deposits. Don't attach complicated or unfair play restrictions to customer deposits, and don't require customers to take part in publicity. You know, that's one other thing where they say, all right, well, in order to get these funds, you must um, allow us to use um, a quote from you about how wonderful uh, our casino is. You, you can't do that. You can't force them to to be unpaid promoters of your, your product. In fact, uh, if the customer wishes to remain private, they have a right to do so. So... <clears throat> It's good that they've uh, decided to, to publish this list of do's and don'ts fe- dated February 1st, 2018. But I, I do wonder why, with such a long time of regulating gambling in the UK online, how could they just be getting to this in 2018? I mean, have they gone mad? What, what have they been doing all this time? Have they, have they just been spending their days in, in the office you know, with, with tea and crumpets? Um, you know, what, what have they been doing? Watching Manchester United uh, slaughter the competition day in, day out? Maybe occasionally losing into Arsenal? I don't understand what they've been doing with their time if they're just coming up with these requirements, these do's and don'ts, at the beginning of the year 2018. That is something which I cannot figure out. All right, so um, that's all for tonight. I'm going to hand this back to... um. Todd Dandruff would tell us for his segment uh, to close down the show. Tally ho, pip pip. Let's go on with it.
All right. Thank you, Colonel Fabergé. Thank you for explaining that. Not quite as good as a Colonel Nigel Fabersham uh, prank call. But speaking of prank calls, I got a a call today. Woke me up, too. I was taking a nap. I got woken up by a prank call. It wasn't a prank call. It was a scam call. Prank calls are okay. Scam calls are not. So I got a a scam call from an Indian-sounding woman saying she's from AT&T and that they're going to credit my bill $99 for being such a good customer. Now, if you know AT&T, you know that's a lie. <laughs> but oddly enough, I actually did have a call to AT&T about a month ago about a billing issue where they did have to issue me a credit, $999. It was like $20, but I thought, okay, there's like an 0.01% chance that, you know, yes, there's an Indian accent, but they, maybe they've tasked some foreign call center to call and inform me about the credit I'm being given. I wasn't fooled by any means. I thought it was almost surely a scam call, but number one, I was curious where, what direction they're going with this, with a scam, and number two, you know, what, what, like a tiny chance it's real. Let's see where this goes. But clearly I wasn't going to give them any information. If they just want to tell me I'm getting a credit, great. So I let her go on, and then came the pitch. She told me that just to verify they're talking to the account holder, they need my AT&T PIN number. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, no problem. My AT&T PIN number is 1234567. And she said without skipping a beat, just... I'm sorry, sir, that's not a valid PIN number. Can you please try again? So I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's not it. It's actually 7654321. She says, okay, that's not a valid PIN number. Please try again. The funny thing is she acted like she was really checking. <laughs> she said, I don't know what criteria they're checking this with. Maybe it's too many digits. It's, it's not really seven digits. Then she says, um, okay, like, uh, why didn't I make it the number of digits? I, mean, I made it like... Ridiculously long for that reason. So it just sounds even... I didn't want them to believe I'm really falling for it. I wanted to see how ridiculous I could be before they would uh, catch on. That, that was my goal there. So then she asked... You know, she says, well, that's that's still wrong. It's still not a valid PIN number. So I said, okay, hang on. Oh, oh I know what it is. It's 9876543. And again, she says, sir, no, that's still an invalid PIN number. Uh, can you check your PIN number? I said, oh, you know, hold on. Hold on. I know what it is now. For sure I know what it is, but I've got a little bit of a problem. I just talked to my mommy, and my mommy told me that I'm not supposed to give out my PIN number to scammers. So what am I supposed to do? So I was sure she's going to hang up at that point, but no. She says, actually, sir, uh, we are not scammers. We are, you know, we're going to give you our employee ID, a confirmation of your transaction, some other number supposedly like she she list rattle off all the stuff they're going to give me and i said oh okay well if you're going to give me a confirmation number well that that means it has to be real i'm sorry for doubting you well okay uh so so i'm going to give you my pin and but hold on i'm a little bit skeptical just a little bit skeptical can you just verify that you have my name right that you i want to make sure you're really from at&t you should have my name so what is my name 
And interestingly, she said that the name on my account, this is for my cell phone. She said the name on my account was Dan Druff. Wow. Didn't expect that one. Um, I think what she must have done is she must have gotten an email list with one of my email addresses that's dandruff at something. So that must be where she came up with dandruff. So she says, dandruff. I said, really? My name is dandruff? And she says, oh, no, 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 no. It's a, it's a, it, the account's under Linda whatever, which I don't know where that came from, like some, some name I've never heard of before. I said, oh, really? But that, that Linda, that, that's a, my account's under that? She says, yes, that's what we show. So I got tired of it at that point and said, you know, I'm just wondering how long is it going to take? Like, how many ridiculous things do I have to say to you before you realize that I know you're a scammer and this is not AT&T? And then she just hung up on me. So I called back the number that was on my caller ID, and it turned out it was really an AT&T number. So what all that meant is they spoofed the caller ID. It wasn't really AT&T calling me, but I, I was hoping I'd be able to reach them back, and then I could call them during radio, but no such luck. It was... Uh, they called from a uh, number actually associated with AT&T, that you'd reach AT&T if you called. And that, that's a trick they like to use. So this way, um, this is what happens. After the person gets off the phone, they may say, wait a minute, what if this really wasn't AT&T? And then they call back AT&T, and they hear, thank you for calling AT&T, and then they make sure they've really reached AT&T, and then they, you know, they're, they're okay with it. That's why they don't use a BS number. So, uh, anyway, I'm disappointed when I get that because I want to be able to call them back for radio. That's all I was thinking during this whole thing. I was hoping, I, I didn't recognize that number they were calling from. I thought maybe I could call them back and uh, I just wanted to see how much BS they would take, see how good it would be for radio. Benjamin's mom got a scam call from the fake IRS the other day. I really want a scam IRS call. I haven't gotten one in my life, and I want one because I, I love the legal threats. That's, that's my favorite part, and I've never gotten it. I've gotten, the, I've gotten lots of fake Dell computer calling me, fake Microsoft calling me. Now I just had fake AT&T calling me. I've had fake other companies calling me, but I've never had fake IRS or fake law enforcement calling me. I, I want that. That would be fun. To actually have them making legal threats to me and telling me I'm going to be arrested and then me getting in a whole standoff with them and telling them to come arrest me. Like, I, I want that. That, that. That'll be fun. I want to get that on the radio, too. That'll be fun. That's a lot more fun than, this is Dell computer. There's a virus on your computer. We, we are working to fix your virus, my friend. We have, we have detected many, many virus and malware on your computer. You need to give a control of us to your computer and pay us. $299 and we clean your computer. Like, that's not fun. You can screw with them too, but it's not as fun. Much more fun when the fake IRS calls you. But I've never gotten one. She got one today when she was at work. She just hung up on it. Um, I've never gotten that one, but I know so many people who have. Why can't fake IRS call me? Why? Why must I get the boring scam calls? All right, let's uh, check the chat room once, and then I think we'll be done. Nothing. Slow night. Slow night everywhere. Let me, let me see the ratings tonight. I'm almost afraid to look because every, everything's kind of been slow. The, the topics were not numerous tonight. The show was not long. 
No, the ratings were okay. In fact, right now they're still okay. The, the, the ratings are still surprisingly good right now for the time it is. It's, it's 1.46 a.m. And the ratings are surprisingly good for right now. I'll say that. But the truth is that we didn't have that many topics. I had to throw some filler topics in there. We did not have Brandon. We did not have Calwatt. Thankfully, we had Trader Ruski, who did yawn on the air because he didn't use mute properly. But other than that, I was happy to have him. Um, we didn't have many callers. The chat room didn't chat very much. People didn't text me very much. I have to say, if every week was like this, I probably wouldn't do the show. This has been a uh, discouraging week. But it happens. I mean, it's not super discouraging. It's just, you know, I, I like more interaction. I like when, when, I mean, I like that we've got good listeners right now. It's the only good thing I can say is that right now for one forty-seven a.m., we have a lot more listeners than I'd expect. But uh, aside from that, you know, when we lacked, kind of lacked topics, we kind of lacked uh, callers, we lacked uh, chatters and texters and I don't know. Not every week can be ideal. I understand that much. In case you're following the whole Firefest fiasco that happened almost a year ago now, that was the attempt to have this life-changing music festival, new music festival that was supposed to be in the Caribbean and be something great and exclusive and life-changing and the whole thing was a giant scam, a very fascinating story. If you go read about it, the mastermind of the whole thing, Billy McFarland, who was pretty young. He was 25 last year. He's 26 now. Uh, pretty much a career scammer, this guy, though he's, again, pretty young. But I guess even going back to his high school days, he was kind of scamming that too. But uh, he pled guilty today, or at least it was announced today. And I see some news outlets incorrectly reporting he's going to get forty up to 40 years. That's not true. He actually pled guilty, and they're reducing the possible sentence to at most 10 years. So that's the most he's going to get, and I don't think he's going to get 10 years. So I think between that and the good behavior time, I think he'll be out fairly soon. So that's kind of sad. He. He was really a big-time scammer. I mean, he, he did so much scamming in association with that Firefest. It, it was disgusting. Like, he, he really should spend a lot of time in jail for this. He didn't just scam one or two people. He, the scamming just was never-ending. And even at the end, out of desperation, he, he scammed the ticket holders further by telling them to load up a wristband that they could use to spend while on the island when, in reality, the wristband was useless and couldn't do anything. He didn't, nothing was loaded on there. And uh, people spend uh, spent thousands of dollars each in some cases on these wristbands that were useless. So this I mean, he did so many things to uh, defraud people. And uh, I I don't know why they, they did the plea bargain. They did everything, but whatever. Hello? Caller in the air. Hey, what's up, Druff? Who's this? It's the Spartan. So I, I, uh, I hear you calling. You know, you're a little lonely. You know what I'm saying? So I figured I'd call in and just, you know... Keep you keep you company a little bit for a minute. Yeah, uh, well, thank you for keeping me company. The show's about to be over, though. You know, it's it's about to be done here now. Now, Spartan, I have a question for you, though, because you on the forum sure. you you post things sometimes that that uh, that are uh, 
disturbing to me. You seem to have a problem with Jews. There's always seem to be anti-Jewish stuff there on the forum. I wonder why are you posting all this anti-Jewish stuff on the forum? But actually, 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 Joe, I, I am overdoing it a little bit. And actually, I like Jewish people. You know, so I interacted with them all my life here in New York. They're actually decent people. And, uh, you know, a lot of them have helped me out over the years. So it, it really isn't as bad. I'm just playing devil's advocate. You know what I'm saying? Trying to rile up the, uh, you know, the, the aboriginals over there. But sometimes Jews can be a little, a little overbearing when it comes to money and giving people a hard time for not sensible things. And let's be honest about that. That, that is a little bit on the rough side that they do, and, and they really have to stop that. Well, but it really is as intense as I might imply. Okay, no, that's what's. Now I can't speak for all Jews, but a lot of times, what's perceived as, as Jews being greedy or whatever—it's just Jews trying to not get screwed themselves, or assert their right, or make sure they get what they paid for, or things like that. And when they're aggressive about it, some people get mad because they they thought they're going to get away with something. Now, there are some Jews who who are not good, who actually you know try to cheat or scam themselves, or or, or try to. Uh, press for things that uh, they don't really deserve or that they're really not entitled to, and they just think by being... Okay, uh, pers- I said that, that, that's, that's kind of like the middle-of-the-road answer, but I, I would think that most people, I mean, probably not as extreme as me, as I, but, but and I would do it a little bit, it wasn't tech, but uh, I think that Jews culturally, they just really, 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 when they walk in, like working in Manhattan all those years, man, they just really, really just overdo it, brother. Or working in Riverdale or Fieldstins, which I had in my life. They're, they're, most, most people of cultures, black, white, brown, Christian, Buddhist, whatever, would agree that Jewish people culturally just really overdo it. Oh, I mean, overdo what? Have, well, what are they overdoing? They have education, and instead of just being a little more grateful with what they have in life, like they'll walk into a restaurant, that's pretty much basically my experience or, or, or even just like uh, doing work in, the, in their condos or co-ops, they really overdo it to try to squeeze every last blood out of a working class guy. And, and they find any rationale, you know, say the smallest thing, well, you got to do this over again. You got to do this. And, and they just really don't appreciate their status and, and, and what they have in life. Well, okay. I, I see. I don't, I, I can't speak for all these, these individual Jews that it, things may have happened to you over the years, but I, I can tell you as a Jew myself, I, I know, you know, I, what, you know, I wish I speak, I don't even throw you, but are you any, do you have any familiar familiarity of which I speak? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to explain here. What? What? Okay, sorry. If if you're if if someone has paid for something, and they feel that they are not getting what they paid for, and they're not getting value to the person who is providing the service, they can sometimes feel annoyed. Oh, why do why do I have to go uh, uh, do this? They feel like the the person asking for something to be changed or or some kind of money back there that they're just being perfectionist that they're just trying to find an angle to, to, no, to get money back no, I have to, I have to, i'm sorry i have to disagree with you on that i think you're sugarcoating it i think it's their shtick i think it's that that's what they do just to squeeze blood out of a rock no Where that's not that's, that's what i'm saying that's what yeah. i'm saying here that's not true yeah. that's not there there are there there are there is a small percentage of of the jewish community that that will actually try to get far more than they should really deserve in these type of situations. And they'll actually look for an excuse to where they'll complain about something to get something back or, or, or to get more out of something than, than they really paid for. Okay. That's, and, and that's not what I've ever advocated. And, and most Jews I know are not like that. What, what Jews are more known for is that they, they have a very high value for money. So even small amounts, even small amounts of money where they get ripped off or, or they don't feel they're getting value, it upsets them, and they're more driven to make it right 
and to complain about it than a lot of other groups of people, and and that's uh, and that's where that comes from. So 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 what what can be like like for example, uh, in a restaurant when you order something, and and it, it comes completely wrong, and 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 the person complains, you know you uh, or even completely, forget even completely wrong, somewhat wrong. Uh, and the person complains. On on one hand, because they all look at this Jew trying to find you know, stupid things to complain about. But the reality is, the business owner should look and say, "Well, did I get this wrong? Yes. Okay. Well, that's my fault. I've got I've got to fix it. I've got to." And let's let's say there were the whole order was screwed up. Let's say there were four different things that came wrong during the meal. And then the Jew says, "Well, you know, this meal's been a disaster. You know, can can you give me some money off the bill just in general because the service is you know, the, the whole experience has been bad." The the person who is managing or owning the restaurant could say, oh, look at this greedy Jew trying to get money out of me again here. But the truth is, why doesn't he look at himself and say, why are we not giving good service? Why are we making so many mistakes? Why are, why are we not giving them what they're paying for? And that's the problem is a lot of times the people making the mistakes don't want to look in the mirror and see a problem with their own process. I remember um, this wasn't so much about money, but I remember this is back from the 90s. I, there was a breakfast place that was down the street that I'd never tried, but I always saw advertised on local TV. So I went down there, and uh, the place got every aspect of the order wrong. I mean, they just flubbed everything. So I said, so I... Was, I, it busy, was the place busy on a side note? Was, was the place, like, very busy since it just opened? Used to be places no, it, no, it wasn't it's just open. We, we had seen the commercials, like, for, like, two years and just never went there. So it wasn't just open. Oh, okay, okay. So it was established. They should, they, should have, they should have had the bugs out of it. Right, right. So, on, totally, totally. So, so, so they just got so many things wrong. The owner happened to be there, and at the end, he said, "I'm really sorry. I saw this whole thing was a disaster. We made so many mistakes. Uh, I want to take the whole meal off your bill, and uh, you know, please try try us again a second time." So we were very happy about that. I didn't even ask for that, but that that was what they offered. I said, "Okay, good." So I, I said, "I respect that. I'm going to come back here," and, and we did. So the next week, we come back. They screw up everything again. The owner was the owner was there, and this wasn't us being nitpicky. I mean, they were really getting everything majorly wrong. So the so the the owner comes back over, and I called him over, and I said, "Yeah, I, I hate to tell you this, but uh, you remember us last week? Look at all the things that." And I pointed out each one that was messed up, and and he looked into it and agreed that every single one of these things really was messed up. Now, the right thing to do at that point is to say, wow, I can't believe we screwed this a second time. Well, what I'm going to do here is give you a second comp meal, and I'm going to really make sure our kitchen doesn't screw this up a third time. You come back here. I promise we're going to get it right. In fact, you know, personally, tell me you're here. I'm going to make sure that everything goes right. Instead, the guy says to me, well, we've tried it twice now. It just looks like it's not working out between us and you. Okay. So, uh, so, 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 okay, uh, let me to check. Now, uh, can you tell me, I mean, it's a while ago, I understand. Like, what were you complaining about the second time that happened? Oh, is it, yeah. So no, it wasn't no. very long ago. I don't remember the specific. But, like, you know, you you order an omelet and all the wrong things are in there and, 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 oh, and, okay, and okay. things okay, like okay. that. Okay. Like, major mistakes. Not not like this doesn't taste good or this wasn't cooked exactly how I want. Like, you, you want the eggs a little a little bit softer or this or the toast a little bit. No. You weren't know, Nick picking Okay. It was like, told you what, you wanted a Western omelet and they gave you a, you know, a scallion omelet. Yes. And, and then there were also some, and then there were some minor mistakes on top of that where, where it wasn't, you know, where kind of like the stuff you're describing, but it was still mistakes. But, but the thing was that the owner wasn't, okay. he wasn't disputing that these were all mistakes. He admitted that they made a bunch of mistakes again, but instead of saying, well, I feel so bad, 
you know, here, here's a comp meal the second time, come back. He actually made it like our problem. He said, this is a, he, he was polite. He didn't yell at us. He didn't say, get out of my place. He was polite, but I said, you know, we've tried it twice. It's just not working out here. It's probably better you don't come back or something like that. So I was very surprised. I was very, because he, he was acknowledging that, 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 that they made a bunch of mistakes. So I, I thought, what an idiot. As an owner, I would have said, what is my own problem? Why is my kitchen so bad? Why, why is my ordering process so bad? Um, this is driving away potential new customers. I would have said was this lady, is my the problem. Place fix consistently it. busy. Let me just ask this, just to say this is pertinent. Actually, is the place consistent, consistently busy? I don't know. I, I, it wasn't close enough to where I could see in there. Like it was, it was kind of like a few miles. Every down time the you went there, was it busy? Every time you went there, was it packed? Well, it was only two times, and it was it was kind of uh, medium. It wasn't packed, but it wasn't uh, empty. Okay, yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. He's fucked off. Okay, go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so. Anyway, that's just one. That was like twenty years ago. But, but uh, it's that type of thing. Now, it's not always to that extreme. That one was very clear. That. Uh, um, you know, but but the, the, I'm being blamed because they can't get it right. But I, unfortunately, I see sure. somewhat of this attitude sometimes from business owners, especially small business owners, where they don't understand that the the customer is there spending his money, they're voluntarily spending their own money, and that they don't have to come there and they have to earn their business, and that 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 uh, um, that when they're making mistakes, no. they've got to do things oh. to bring the customer back. That, that's what they've got to do. Okay, now, I understand what you're saying, and I'm going to give you this one. Uh, let's just say a customer, you know, mostly Manhattan, mostly Jewish, 90% of my clientele is always Jewish. Uh, they order a Belgian waffle, they want the soft butter on the side, right? The way that brings them butter chips, you know, the hard ones. I hate those two myself. So, uh, and, they, and they're waiting for the, for the waiter to bring soft butter. The waiter takes his time, gets lost doing something else, and then the, 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 the customer comes up, brings up, brings me the plate, because I'm in charge over there, and says, listen, my ass was soft butter, my waffle is cold again. So I'll just take the waffle, and I, I don't blame them, even though it's only been three, four minutes, they're not being unreasonable. I'll just take that fucking waffle and just throw it right in the garbage and tell the chef to make another one. Yeah. And then the customer's happy, sits down, and then I'll personally run in the kitchen, get the waffle, and bring out the, bring out the waffle with the soft butter together and apologize. So I, I am customer-centric. But I just think perhaps we'll just leave it like that. Perhaps maybe I'm overly sensitive, <laughs> maybe damaged from working in the service industry so long. And perhaps Jewish people do use their leverage, their, their leverage, their education and their wealth too stringently over the working class. Uh, but see, it's not, it's not about using wealth. Like in those situations, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. You can do the same, same thing if, you, if you're if you're almost broke. You could you could treat you can act the exact same way. Uh, the, the, I I I don't think the Jews are taking advantage of the working poor. I don't see examples of this. In fact, I see. Um, I I think I, I see. See, I know you're. Uh, I know you're a Republican. I know you're uh, you're, you're always going off on liberals, and I, I I'm actually a Republican, as you know. Uh, which is unusual. Well, we can argue that later. But just for sake argument, we'll agree. <laughs> which, which, which is which is uh, unusual for Jews, I will say. But I will say uh, the uh, yes, I, the yes, reason the, the right. reason a lot of Jews are are liberal is that a lot of them really believe that the liberals are for the uh, the, the lower classes, the working people, the, the 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 people who are downtrodden and need help. That they're working to help the underdog and they think the republicans are the ones who are in line with big business and they don't give a crap the the little guy and so that that's why a lot of them are liberal is that that's a lot of them kind of have that belief in the image of republicans which i don't believe to be true and, and in fact right, I, exactly I, the opposite now in fact in fact in california you wouldn't believe some of these propositions that just uh were, were on the ballot and uh um which were actually it was complete reverse where there was there was propositions on the ballot these were you know, where you vote for uh, changes in the law where the right was supporting 
the position that would actually help the little guy, and then the left was and the left was supporting the left was 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 supporting the position that was helping the big corporations. And I was trying to explain yeah. like like and it was of course being spun, so it wasn't like that. But I'm like, no, look at it seriously. You'll see that the, you know, if this passes, this such and such corporation is going to make a lot of money, and the average person their bill is going to go up in such and such way. Like I was trying to show people that this is it's actually the reverse here. That the it, it, look at these propositions where the left is backing these. Uh, Ones that are benefiting big corporations and the rights actually saying no, we don't we don't like these. So, uh, so I don't agree with that. But I'm saying this is actually where the heart is, where the heart is for a lot of the Jews here that they really believe that voting this way and being left wing liberal actually is about helping the downtrodden and helping the little guy. And this dates back to when Jews came in the early 20th century when they had nothing and they were the poor people, they were the downtrodden people, they didn't have wealth, and and they work themselves up from that. And, and a lot of them over the ge- generations said, even though we're not like this, even though our family's rich now, we're remembering back in previous generations when they weren't and when they needed help from those who, who cared about those who were, uh, who were in need of assistance. And now we're going to be that way for those that uh, are not doing as well themselves. And we're going to advocate for them. So, so their heart's in the right place, the Jews who are liberal, I feel. I don't feel they're, the Jews who are liberal are there because they're evil or they want to do bad things. I, I just feel that they don't have the, the correct view of, of, the, of conservatives and, and of uh, the, the current uh, left-wing so, okay, establishment I, in the U.S. Okay. That's how I feel. Going with the Jews. Okay, now, now with the Jews being liberal, right? Okay, okay all right. Now, I understand what you're saying, and, and, and the way you explain things is always so rational in the middle of the road, and that's one of the things I appreciate about you, actually. So I actually, I actually have changed my positions based on what you said on, on, on the show. But, uh, and I understand perhaps I take it too far. I really do. Because if you've been in the service industry in Manhattan, you're traumatized sometimes by the Jews, man. I can bring you an army of waiters that really prefer dealing with the Irish or dealing with the Italians or dealing with Romanians or dealing with any other culture than dealing with a, with a, with a, with a, with a, with a dining room full of Jewish people. Well, okay, no, no, I'll say this. I'll say this. Army waiters, of, of all the, even, even Jewish waiters. I said, oh, fuck, I don't want to serve these Well, people. no, no, let's, let's, I'll tell you this. If I was a, if I was a waiter um, and right. I, I knew there's a customer, forget even the Jewish thing, non-Jewish thing. If I, had a cust- if I knew I was going to be right. serving someone who was going to, if I got things wrong or the kitchen's got things wrong, was, was going to make sure all of it was correct. Yeah, but you could always find something wrong if you look hard enough. You well, it's not about looking hard enough. It's a, it's a, if, you know, if you know there's a customer who's more likely to point out mistakes and ask for it to be corrected, even if politely, uh, it's, it's going to be right. a tougher customer for you as a waiter. Not that the customer's wrong, but it's going to be a tougher one than someone who just sucks it up and says, you know what, this is wrong, but F it, I'm just going to pay for it anyway and not say anything. That's the easy customer for the waiter. That's the one, if I were a waiter, right. I'd, I'd want to have, but that doesn't mean the customer should be that way. It's just, it's just an easier thing to deal no, with. No, I, I'm not saying for the customer to be a fool, but there is a, there is, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know the right terminology. Some customers have a little more class about themselves. If I go to a restaurant, and, 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 and believe me, I could just look, I could just look around for, for, for three seconds and tell you everything about that fucking restaurant, right? And what everybody's doing, how the kitchen is, everything. So, uh, I can find things wrong all day long. But if I don't like the place, and, I just, and I'm trying to tell the waiter, and he's just going back and forth, banging his head all over the kitchen, he don't know what the fuck he's doing. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just pay for the meal. I even leave like a little bit of a tip, and let's get out of here. I must never go there again. I'm not going to sit there and argue, dude. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to sit there and fucking argue. I just drop down. I pay fucking t- I mean, and now if it's horrendous, that's different. If I get embarrassed in front of my girl or something or with family members, I'm like, that's different. 
But, I mean, I'll just pay the check. I'll, I'll throw the guy two dollars, whatever, a little bit of a tip, and I'll just get the fuck out of here. And, well, there and, there, and there's, there's, a, there's a spectrum of where everybody – finds it at some point, you know, is it worth the trouble? Is it worth the potential embarrassment? Is it worth, uh, you know, is it a place you, you, you're just going to say, hey, I'll pay and not go back? You know, how expensive was the meal is another question. Uh, so there's a lot of things okay. that like, like go into my mind. It's each person's personal decision of when they want to say something and when they don't. Believe it or not, there have been times when I go to a place when there's some problems and I think, you know what? These weren't major. I wasn't that happy. I'm probably not coming back here. But I'm just going to pay the bill and leave, and, and, and pay the bill, leave, and tip and leave. Or if it's the, the takeout, just pay the bill and leave, and not you know not complain again. There have been times where I just think I'm not very happy with it, and I'm not coming back. But I'm not going to complain and not ask for anything, and, and and they won't even know that I was unhappy. There have been those times, especially in meals that are cheaper, where the expectation is lower, uh, and sometimes it has to do with the mood I'm in that day. There's a lot of factors that go okay. into it. Do, do I feel like doing okay. it or not? Just about me, we're just saying, I'll be honest with you, about a week ago, I ordered Chinese. <laughs> and they forgot my egg roll. And I was looking for the egg roll, and I got pissed. So, and, and the guy was gone. So, you know, I called up, and I said, I want my egg roll. Send the guy right back. So I got a little pissed. And there have been times when I got something, or, you know, actually it was, it was Domino's, and it, and it was just disgusting. Then don't laugh at each other. <laughs> so, and, and I, I just actually drove right back to the spot, and just like, I was like really agitated. And I just threw the box on the counter and make me another one. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it was the box and I didn't get really pissed. But you, you could always find something wrong with everyone, with everything, especially in the service industry. Oh, yes, because you can. it's such a labor-intensive business. You could always, I could walk anywhere and I could find 10 things wrong with everybody. That's why, that's why you, ha- you have to have a, a, a reasonable, and you have to come up with in your own mind, a reasonable expectation of, 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 of where you're going to complain, where you're going to complain and ask for something, where you're going to say nothing. There's a lot of different things. Like, like I, I, okay, I, and I, on, that note, on that note, sometimes perhaps culturally there are tendencies. All, 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 all Irish have their tendencies, Italians have their tendencies, Greeks have their tendencies. doesn't mean it's absolute, but all cultures have their tendencies. And perhaps the Jewish people just, just a tendency a tad too much they grab you around the throat like a fucking pit bull. I wouldn't say that. Over, over, I would say I, I, yeah, no, I, I disagree with that. I, I say that that Jewish people are probably more likely to raise an issue if there's something wrong uh, than, than uh, a, a non-Jew. But I would go back that you could always find something wrong. No, I, mean something, I don't mean searching for it. But, uh, but I don't mean... It doesn't come in 30 seconds. They said, they said 34 seconds. So you know what I mean? No, but I don't mean that. I mean... I mean, I don't... I don't mean searching... I don't mean searching for something wrong, which I'm not saying none do. I'm just saying that I don't mean that. I'm, okay. saying, that, I'm saying that they're more likely that if something actually is wrong, that, that is at least on the at least semi-reasonable to complain about, that a, a Jewish person is probably more likely than a non-Jew to say something. And I say the reason this is, is because... Yes, because they're, no, they're professional and they, they want what they pay for and they spend their money. It, it's the cultural part... They spend their money. But the, for them to spend their money, a lot of places will close down. The, 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 the cultural part is, is that, I believe, is the value for money that is instilled in, in, uh, in Jewish families. That It's just kids are... are they learn from watching their parents, and they're also told. But I think it's more from just watching their parents that they just learn to have a value for money, and uh, and to where they're less likely to say, "Oh, I paid for it. I I I didn't get what I paid for. Oh well, who cares? I'll just I'll just eat it." They're, I think Jews are less likely to have that attitude, and and that's where 
that can not, I'm the one being rational, though. I, I think you're not. I'm, I'm saying I agree with you. I'm saying I agree with you. But culturally, and I understand they want what they pay for, and they want a, a certain standard, uh, the true definition of standard, a certain level of, of professionalism, quality, so forth, so forth. I understand that, and I'm happy to give that to them. They, they're actually good people. You can play around with them. They're very. I, play I, I, around with them. I mean, they can be billionaires, and they're talking to you like an equal. I respect them in that in that aspect. I, I'm not going to get into names like lawyers. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not going to get into a radio station, but in, in, in a restaurant in Manhattan, you could be talking to somebody who's worth a hundred million dollars, whose grandfather was a PhD from Russia, you know, 50 years ago. I mean, very educated, very generationally wealthy people, and they'll talk to the waiter like he's an equal. They'll talk to the busboy like he's an equal. I respect them on that on, the, on, the, on, the, on those terms because other people don't do that. And they'll respect you like you just like your best friends, and 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 they allow you that access to them, but but just sometimes they overdo it, and 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 sometimes they look for something more. Culturally, more happens with the Jewish people, like I mentioned with the butter and the waffle, and no problem fixing it, but they'll look for every little sometimes, and it's almost like your stomach turns when they walk in. It's like oh my god, if 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 the bread isn't at exact temperature, they're going to send it back sixteen times. If it's not like this, if it's not like that. I mean, they just overdo it sometimes. Where it's like, really, dude? Did you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yes, there, there are there are some there are some who overdo it. I've known some actually, you know, who who have. I've okay. actually, but I, I've also known people who are not Jewish who, who act that way as well. Uh, and and then uh, and I try in my own uh, situations in my own stories where I post on the forum. I try. I love your stories, brother. Don't stop them. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I love your stories. Brother. But but, but I, 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 I try in all these situations to look at the other side, to look if they're being reasonable, and to sometimes see if I can just fix it with a minimal problem for everyone. Like I posted a Caesars story. This isn't about restaurants, but uh, when I last got into Caesars, and just it, it seemed like a small irritant, and it kind of was, but it, I, I like getting ice at the hotel, and, and I get it was very late at night. It was 3 a.m. when I got in, and I, and I was with Benjamin and, and with his mom, and and they forgot to put the little plastic thing to put on the, the ice on the ice bucket. They just forgot it in the oh, room. Oh, that's like bag roll. Yeah. Like, so, so, so I, I so so I didn't want them coming and knocking. I knew if I called for it, they'd take twenty five minutes and come and bang on the door while everybody's sleeping. And you know, so I didn't want that. So I said, "Where can I come down to get it?" I didn't say I want twenty five dollars food credit for that. I, I didn't want anything. All I wanted was to tell me we're on property. I could go walk down. And have them hand me that plastic bag. That's all I wanted. Okay, I, that's what I'm talking and, about. And, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, 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 so I didn't. I wasn't looking to gain from this in any way. And they were being difficult with me. They said they're not allowed to go down to the front desk and leave it there, and they're not allowed to meet me anywhere. And they can't. And this is all BS. They just didn't feel like okay, dealing with it. And and they and they told me I have I have two choices. They can, I can either wait in my room and let them knock and wake someone up, or if I'm that concerned, I can sit in front of my door and wait until they come. And I said. <laughs> I said you've got to be no, freaking kidding me. So 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 I, I I said to them I said wait so my 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 options either to let you wake up my family or have to sit in front of the door like a dope and wait until you show up and Ben started laughing at that he thought that was so funny about sitting in front of the door like a dope but uh, right. but but that was really what they wanted and when I came down to the front so I just hung up on them eventually went down to the front desk myself told them the story they said this is ridiculous and they 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 commanded the the they they said they're they're lying of course they can come down here they just didn't feel like doing it and they 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 forced the the housekeeping department to bring the uh the, the damn bag down there and I, I and i got it so like that but i like the thing is here i was i saw a problem they forgot the bag it was annoying but i said i'm not going to try to gain from this i just i i actually tried to solve the problem myself i even said to them 
I don't care where it is on property. And Caesars is a big property. I don't care where it is. It can be all the way on the other side. I will walk there right now. And I'm not going to ask for anything in return. I just want to walk and get it. Tell me where I can go walk and get it. I can walk to you. Tell me where I need to go. And they were refusing. At that point, when they put me through all the freaking hassle like that, I would have freaked. Yeah, that, that's, freak, that, yeah. that's when I start to say, okay, this is, this is ridiculous. This took this long and this much aggravation. Now can you give me a $30 food credit? That's when I'll ask for that, when that sort of thing, when they escalate it this far. Instead of solving the problem that I'm actually offering to do my part to solve, which which I was trying. I was trying so hard to solve it. By the way, I didn't even ask for anything there. I just had them give me the bag. But I'm just saying, like, I, um, <laughs> you know, but, but but the thing is here, like, that's that's where I start getting mad and start, you know, uh, reporting now, people to managers or whatever. I don't blame you. Like, like, when I see nonsense like that or, or, or anything else where someone isn't taking responsibility for the mistakes, uh, and, and I have so many stories like this, and I don't think I think I might run a little bit bad on this. That I probably have more that more of these bad things. Like I, I think about you know sometimes people really just do have bad luck with things. Like like Brandon, for example, he has very bad luck with meeting people from the, from Poker Fraud Alert. So often he meets people from Poker Fraud Alert, and through no through no through no fault of his own. It ends up a disaster, like really no fault of his own. Like I keep thinking, well, he keeps having these problems. Maybe it's Brandon. But then like he tells me the whole story and then I check with the other side and his story is accurate. And like every time it turns out that like he didn't do anything wrong or like 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 every time it's really not his fault. And, and, And yet with me, I meet people from the forum every time it goes well. And I've just been luckier than him that the my meetups with people from the forum have always gone well and there's never been a problem and he keeps meeting them and, and issues develop that are beyond his control. And and if you look and, at it and, and just your class are going sorry to be talking. If you look at it on the surface, you'd you'd think, oh wow, you know, Brandon he must have some problem. Every person he meets is some some kind of issue comes up. Uh, uh, but but the truth was no, he's just been unlucky and, and I've been fortunate that the people I've met uh, everything's gone fine and they've all been good experiences. So 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 the the, the thing is here that uh, I think with these customer service things, I've I've actually probably run worse than average. But but at the same time, I think a lot of people deal with these and just kind of just eat them, just just let themselves you know, get you know, ripped off. And it's also to a different degree, like 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 with cell phone bills or cable bills. I, I, I'm a bitch with cable bills, right? I hate when they overcharge me or cell phone bills. You know, when I had AT and T, Verizon, whatever, whatever. I'd always look at it because I know they're always trying to get over. And even if it was like you know. FC, whatever, whatever surcharge on the surcharge, I would call up and just and spend 20 minutes on the phone to take off the 86 cents. You know what I'm saying? Because that would just piss me off. Because I know they were just straight up robbing me because it had nothing to do with my, with my service. So I understand when it comes to cable and things like this, it's a matter of degree. I understand what you're saying. It's a matter of degree. And perhaps, you know, uh, and, and you do have a lot of leisure time. So you have time to go out. You probably eat out every night. You, you know, you, you always, you're not cooking at home and things like this. And, and it, so you, you lose your time. So you're a big consumer. So you have a lot more interaction with, 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 with you know, I guess hiring people and in the service industry than the average individual. So you would come across, I guess, I guess, uh, 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 more of this dysfunction in the service industry or whatever it happened, it may be. So I, I, you know, I accept that. So not just you, and I love your stories. You know, I'm not just picking on you. But I'm also being a little bit of an antagonist on the forum. So it's not really, really personal. And, and I accept that perhaps I'm a little sensitive from all the years in the service industry. But, you know, I don't know. So I, I guess if we can agree somewhat. I'll move my position a, a few inches towards you. Okay, well, that's good. Because you do recognize. Okay, well, that's good. And, and uh, you know, uh, by the way, something else I do that I've, I, I, I don't talk about much on the show, but I, I've mentioned it on the forum, that there will be people. In fact, I just dealt with one of these calls today. There will be people that I know 
that have very little money that are getting screwed by some kind of you know a large company with a cable company, oh, a, yeah, phone, a phone company, or whatever. And I see this, and I see they tell me about it, and they show me their bill, and I think about wow, you know, this person they're getting screwed by fifty dollars here, and I think about how many hours they have to work to make that fifty dollars back, and I think this is disgusting. This is so frustrating. These people, this fifty dollars is so big to them. And and why should this be happening? You know, like all actually, but they're not good at fighting these things. They're just not. They just don't have that skill set to, to to fight it as well. And and I'll actually volunteer and say, hey, you know, uh, let me. I'm good at this. Let me take over here, and I'll. And I I've actually saved these people a lot of money just just because I I think it's the right thing to do, and I think it's uh, it, it makes it feels makes me feel good when I've helped, and they I know they've saved that money, and you know something that they're. That, that they know, shouldn't no, have to I pay, that they that. get back. I agree with you on that. I've seen it on the forum, on the radio show. You also answer everyone's text. And, 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 and I'm going back even to Jewish people. I think I said that a, a, a minute or two ago, that they treat you as equals and, and, and regardless of their status. And they can have an ex- extraordinarily high status. Well, here in New York, I mean, very high status. And you won't even know it because on a personal level, they'll talk to you like an equal. And if you ask them a question, if anybody else in their industry, whether they're a lawyer or a doctor or marketing, I've come across all of them, I'm sure you're aware of that. So, and they'll answer it. And anybody else in the industry, to answer a question is $1,000, you know what I'm saying, whatever it is. So, I mean, and they will do that to, to the working class and, or, or the people who aren't as, as privileged as they are or as, or as earned as much as they earn. And they will do that. I mean, I'll give, I, I, can't, I can give you millions of examples. Um, I, I'm not going to say his name, but somebody who's, who's really high in, in, in the world of finance used to come in the restaurant when it closed, and the old restaurants work, work at, and, and very high. Like you hear him on the news and all that other stuff. And he would actually sit down with us, me and the owner, because we were the only two ones left, a couple of dishwashers in the back, because he would come at the end when we were closing. We would close the doors. He'd still be eating. And he would actually teach us about finance, tell us how to hedge. I mean, I never followed through. I really couldn't understand. I maybe didn't have the money. But my boss would. But he actually would sit down for a half hour and just talk to us about finance. Now, I'm just a fucking waiter, and my boss is just a Greek owner, you know what I'm saying? He never went to school. You know? But he would actually sit down and talk to us. And there's a lot of, many occasions where, mostly Jewish, of course, uh, whether it be a lawyer, whatever, you ask them a question, they will answer it for you. And they will take the time out of their busy and very expensive day to stop and answer for you if, you're for, if you are from the working class or if you aren't as lucky as they are. Well, okay, so, so I, that, that's, I, I, that's my point here. So I think when, when forming your opinion of Jews, I think you, you have to, uh, consider these good things that you're mentioning and, and, and combine them with, with, with the things that you think are not so good and, and say, oh, and then form the overall opinion, which I, I think, I think with all these together, it, it comes out positive. And some, sometimes they're together. Sometimes, sometimes you can say what's good about a certain person is also what's bad about them or certain traits they have, which can be annoying or frustrating. Also, also can be helpful. Yeah. yeah there can, there could also be a positive out of them. Something that's a lot bigger than whatever negative it brings. And, and I will say this about myself with, with like the way I, I run the forum and everything that I, I say that, uh, and and there was you know people who didn't like me on the previous forum and complaining about me and I said whatever the negatives you think I'm bringing here I feel that that the the positives which are often associated with the negatives outweigh those so so that uh, that, that what, I'm not saying there's no negatives I bring 
But I'm saying that that, that that there's enough positives I bring where it very much outweighs those, and often they're associated with each other where they, they, they kind of both have to exist at the same time. So That's actually a staple on the bottom of my resume. <laughs> I bring more good than bad, but yeah. I'm definitely bringing both. Well, that's important. <laughs> sometimes, that's, uh, sometimes that's important to consider. You know, if there's a... Sometimes, if there's a large good and a small bad, it's it's better than just everything being neutral. So, no, you know, I, I accept that, brother. And and and, and always, and always like you know, the way you explain things and you're middle of the road and you're very rational. Can we get into just a quick, two quick questions of poker? I know you were speaking about poker previously, but I mean, is that all right with you or no? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, too quick. All right, and I appreciate your time. Uh, two things. You can, hey, can you believe that ACR? I heard you talking about is so shady. They got tipped off a two plus two. And they can't even do any micro adjustments, at least for two plus two to take their money again. Can you believe that that's shady and they haven't responded at all about anything? They just not. They don't. I mean, that is bad. Dude, yeah, the, it's really it's really hasn't been a good year for them here ever since uh, Chicago Joey started to shine the light on a lot of things that are going wrong there and that they're not doing right and they they haven't given a good it's response. So they they haven't given a good response, and uh, I've been very unimpressed with with everything I've seen from them in, in 2018. Okay, the second quick question. Um, don't uh, forget that. Now, global poker, right? It, the, the traffic's growing every day. Everybody's making most most people who are competent in, in poker, and I put myself in the lowest ring of that. Um, and you know that about that. So, but I do appreciate poker. I have a fan. Um, are making money, the traffic is growing, they're paying out in less than 24 hours, no fees, this, that, other thing. Why isn't it getting more play on forums or on different poker podcasts or things like this? It's really, nobody's really even talking about it. Well, because the problem yeah. is, even like, there was one time that lock poker looked like it was great and everything was uh, was working out and they were giving great rake back and everyone loved them and uh, you, you saw what happened there. So the problem was with all these new sites, and when I say new, they don't have to be brand new, even even semi-new. The problem is because they're not regulated, because they uh, you never know what money they really have and don't have. You never know when they're just going to pack up and leave or they're going to screw you or they're going to cheat you. Yeah, that could be true for any title. Yes, yes, but the problem is the smaller ones are much more likely to do it than the larger ones because they don't have as much to lose. So, And, and their threshold for screwing up is much smaller. So if they make a mistake that costs them a lot of money, it can sink them, and then they're just going to screw you. So the problem is there's such little trust for small sites that it's very, especially ones that are U.S. facing because they're... Is Global a small site? Let me bring this to you. Is Global a small site? Yes, it is. The, the, the only two sites that are currently operating that in the U.S. market that are not small are right. America's Card Room and Bovada, and those are what I classify as medium. They're never... They're, they don't okay. even... Sorry. They don't even compare it to things like uh, like poker stars uh, or other ones like that. Uh, I, these, okay, so you guess that's small. So so, right. so Global yeah. Poker is small, and th- so that's the problem is that any small site... Can, they're at much higher risk to screw people at any time. And yes, does this hurt the ones that are totally honest and, uh, and are doing everything right and just are being everyone skeptical about them because they're small and new? Yes, but unfortunately, there's there's not much we can do about that because it's so hard to separate the good from the bad until you see a track record, uh, which is hard to establish because it's it's it's. First of all, the willingness to enter a market like this in the U.S., where it, I know Global Poker has their they, they have their their trick to get around, and they claim they're legal. So they're a little bit different, but uh, but still, 
if, if their model, and I've said this before, if their model could be used successfully by all gambling sites, you'd see it everywhere. They're, they're, they think they're illegal, yeah, but, I, but, but I, don't think, I don't think they are. I think, if, I think nobody cares enough yet to do anything about it, I think is what's happening. But I think if they were to get big enough, I think the government would say, uh-uh, you've, no, this is not going to fly, and then they're, what they do at that point is, is in question. I, I, if I heard tomorrow Global Poker just disappeared and screwed everybody, I wouldn't even be that surprised. Just because of the, the history of all these small sites, and and uh, and so that's that's why I tell everybody with these small sites: if you want to play on them, keep a small bankroll, and always understand that the chance of getting screwed on there is a much higher chance than getting screwed by a big one. Much much higher. Now, can the big ones screw you? Yes. Look what happened to Full Tilt. Look what UB did. You know. So so yes, the big ones can screw you too. ACR. ACR, which is starting to go that direction, yeah. So they're mean. Well, even screwing you by, by by unfair play, even screwing you by the structure being corrupt. Well, that's what I'm talking. I'm talking about the ACR right now. The biggest problem is it seems that there there's inaction as far as all the the issues there with the bots and the collusion, and all that. They just don't seem to care, uh, and they, they sweep it under the rug, and then it's it's become a bigger and bigger problem. That that that's what I'm seeing. I don't I don't think I, I think Joey has a point with a lot of things he's bringing up. So. Yeah, hell's yeah. So, so, and it's like it's like stuff that anybody could catch. Even even like, it's just like it's like dumb stuff. If they're not even catching that, then forget about. It. Yeah. They don't care. They just want the rate, and and, and they don't give a fuck. It, it, they will pay you, and that has always been true. But it's just all, for them. It's just all about the rate, and, and it could be bots. It could be collusion. They don't give a fuck. Yeah, and, and I, I don't understand what I don't understand about ACR is why they're not. You know, Joey has this big following. There's a lot of people who are paying attention here. I don't understand why they don't just uh, make a big show that they're going to, you know, strongly investigate the bots, strongly stop the collusion rings, encourage everyone to report it to them, strongly investigate this stuff, kick a, kick all the bad people off of there that they can find, and, and really they're show waiting they're for serious. it to blow over. I figured that out because yeah, I've actually gone on blogs. You know, I've got a lot of free time on my hands. I've actually been on blogs with different kinds of podcasts and so forth. And they, they haven't responded at all. Not on YouTube. Not on Twitter. Nothing. Nothing. It's been dead silence. So they're just waiting for it to blow over and thinking like it, like it always has been for a while that the DJs will still keep on coming. So they're just going to keep that mouth shut. You know what I'm saying? Batten down the hatches, let it blow over, and the DJs will still keep on giving them rake, will still keep on coming, and the bots and the collusions will still keep on paying their rake, the 24-hour-a-day rake, and let it blow over. They haven't even responded because I don't even think they want to, 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 to expose themselves even more to what they've already been exposed. They're yeah. just going to lay low. That's possible. And then in a couple of months, go on, sorry. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think, I think that's, that seems to be what they're doing, and it's, uh, I don't think that's a smart move at this point. I think that they, they need to do the opposite and show that they're really taking action yes. to get people's trust back, but they, they're not doing it right. So anyway, that's... Even a small thing, just, just fix them up cards. And then, and then get, they'll get back on two plus two, and what will be deposit. I might even throw on fifty bucks, which I'm sure will change their lives. And uh, and, and and that would just change the whole perspective. But they, but they just can't do it. And I will you know, leave you on this: Ignition is now taking New York, which is actually nice. I haven't deposited on there yet, but uh, it's been a while. But Bob and Ignition never took New York, and now they take New York. Well, at least I just found out. Which is that's really so surprising think, to me. Yeah, it, it, thanks for mentioning that. I, I meant to make that a topic, yeah. but it's very surprising to me because. The reason they are excluding New York is because of the very active office in the Southern District of New York that's constantly busting online gambling. Okay, so it's, it's a federal office, but it's in the Southern District of New York, and because of that, they only 
will go after sites that uh, have to do something with New York, meaning like taking New York customers. So by shutting out New York, it's very smart because that keeps that very active office right. off their case. So I don't see what right. has cha- I don't see what has changed to where now. Yes, New York is a very uh, populous state, but I don't see what has changed to where they feel safer to do that. Maybe they just maybe just- global makes them feel safer. Maybe I only have a Bitcoin deposit on my on my page. I, I think uh, they all have these or anything else. I think maybe they just made a calculated decision and said that New York has such a big population, it's worth taking the risk. That's the only thing I can guess. Because they, they have, and I guess global. I guess global. I guess you know made them feel slightly more comfortable because I don't. I don't know. You might. But anyway, Joff, um, you have a good night, brother. And uh, it was nice talking to you, man. Okay, thank you, Spartan, for calling in. Good conversation. You got it, brother. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. So, by the way, the. Uh, Populations in the U.S. Uh, the uh, the population. Let me get it. I think New York is the third most populous state. No, fourth. It's fourth most populous behind uh, Florida. It's third. Texas is second, and California is first, I believe. Let me see. It's still a big population. They have almost twenty million people. So. Uh, yeah, California, Texas, Florida, New York, Pennsylvania. Those are the top five. California, almost, I said 35. It's almost, uh, actually, almost 40 million now, by estimates. They don't have a census yet. Census will come in 2020. But California has almost 40 million people. That's, that's, that's why it'll be a big deal if uh, online poker can come here. Though Texas, they're pretty sizable themselves. They've got uh, 28.3 million. Florida, almost 21. New York, almost 20. And then everything beyond that is much smaller. Pennsylvania, 12.8. Illinois, 12.8. Ohio, 11.6. Georgia, 10.4. So these are all much smaller states. Right now, the biggest state with legalized online gambling is New Jersey with 9 million. But look, that's still less than a quarter the population of California. So that's a big difference. Nevada only has 3 million. The reason Nevada's population is small and will remain small is because uh, it really only has two metropolitan areas and the rest is a wasteland. You've got the Vegas area, which is the biggest, and then the Reno-Carson City area, which is the second biggest. But that's it. The, The rest of the state is almost nothing. There's, there's basically nobody anywhere else except for some small towns here and there. You have uh, things like Hawthorne and uh, you have Elko, but for the most part, there's uh, really nothing in Nevada outside of the Reno-Carson area and the uh, Vegas area. California, what's amazing about the population being so large is it's not densely populated. There's there's long, long stretches you can drive in California with no people. I mean, there may be people there are people on the road, but I mean, as far as the residents, you can drive stretches for more than a hundred miles without a single person. I think actually close to one fifty in, in on some highways without encountering a single resident. So, uh, it's amazing in a a state with such a 
sparse population in a lot of areas that uh, it's still 40 million people. Where in the East, you have states where it's super dense and it's, it's hard to drive anywhere with that uh, population. You compare it to a place like Japan, where everything's crammed in. So, uh, Arizona's growing. They're actually the 14th most populous state. There are actually more people in Arizona than Massachusetts. I wouldn't have expected that. Because the Boston area is pretty big. Massachusetts, geographically, is not a small state. In Arizona, they really only have uh, one real metropolitan area, which is Phoenix. But it's such a wide area now that there's a ton of people. So they've got 7 million in the state. I wonder if those 7 million, what percentage are in the Phoenix metropolitan area? So, I mean, no, they have there is like, like Flagstaff, but that's not, uh, not a lot of people there. I, actually, I know the Western U.S. very, very well. Like, I know little cities, and, you know, you tell me a small city in Arizona, I probably know where it is. Same with Nevada, same with uh, Washington, Oregon, Utah, Idaho. I I know those states pretty well. Uh, But uh, once you get past that, like, I know them, but not that well. Like, uh, I, I didn't... Like Youngstown, Ohio. I didn't know that was right next to Pennsylvania. I just learned that uh, for the story tonight. I I had no idea that there would be this sort of thing where there would be a Pennsylvania casino serving Ohio residents. I I wouldn't even have thought of that. I just don't know. I know where Ohio is on the map, but I don't know know it that well, and I kind of don't think of it in the context of Pennsylvania, even though they're close. Like, I'm just not an East Coast person. So, that's it. I won't ramble any longer. We'll be back a week from today. It'll be March 14th. And, as I said, we may miss a week towards the end of the month. But not next week. Next week we'll be here. And have a normal show. Maybe I'll get Cal Waddell. Maybe I'll give him enough notice so he can keep himself awake. Thank you, Trader Ruski, for co-hosting most of the show. Thank you, Eric Benzamokin, for another fine donation to the free roll. They keep coming in. Very nice guy. Eric at eblawfirm.us if you want to talk to him about any legal issue. I know it can seem intimidating to email a lawyer. But really, he's not intimidating. He'll answer your questions, um, especially if you think you have some concerns about being cheated in poker in some way, or you have arbitration or mediation questions. Maybe like to get him to be involved. So if you ever have a need for that, definitely go to him. And. I don't know what else. Not too long till the World Series is coming up. 
now that I think of it. It's going to be uh, less than three months till the World Series of Poker. I still haven't made a decision yet as to whether I'm going to sell pieces. Uh, part of me just wants to put my own money in and let the chips fall where they may and not worry about how it affects other people. I don't know. I'm on the fence on this one. There is something to be said for just knowing you're playing for yourself and that everything you do is your own success or failure. In fact, that's one of the big reasons that there's no partners on Poker Fraudler, why I run it 100%. I, I appreciate the hosts, you know, the co-hosts here and all the help they give me, but I run it 100% myself because I wanted to completely be under my, not just control, but uh, succeed or fail based upon what I do and not have to worry about others having to do with it. But I appreciate all the listeners, all the posters in the forum. Good night. Shalom.